by yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. All right, Steve, we're back. Hey. Ooh, baby. Yeah, oh, we are. We This is, I think, episode 10 of season two, man. We are rolling. Wow. Okay. We've hit double digits. Yeah. Oh, uh, and how yeah, are you doing? How are I'm you? I'm doing all right. You know, Fe- I mean, host. you know, uh, we just about to exit uh, June gloom, but it's still kind of dark out here. It's weird. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, we're entering July and it's like, yeah, we're full on summer. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm I am ready. I'm ready for the smoke to clear. This it's still smoky out here, but uh other than, you know, just being cooped up, it's a good opportunity to, to catch up and, and and watch some film though. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh you know, you were saying number 10, I think numbers figure pretty well in this episode. Mm. And we're we're going to be doing something a little different with this episode because uh number 1, you're kind of going to be taking more of a producer role. In this episode, you're going to be Jamie, and I'm going to be Joe Rogan. That's right. I'm young Steve. So when I need you to pull something up, Steve, pull that up. I'm going to somehow Google and like send it to you and our guests' computer screen to share, and then you guys can read through, you know, our COVID Perfect. articles. And the yeah, whole just deal. put yeah, it up whatever. on the screen. <laughs> That's great. And the reason why you're taking that producer role mm-hmm. is we actually do have a very special guest today. A special guest, and I'm going to give you a little music bed. Here we go. All right, Carlos. So, yeah, who, who, who's our guest? Well, the music could have given you a clue. It's a returning guest, Kay. Kay, Hi. welcome back. Ooh, Adelaide. So glad to be back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like you, you always come back during around the time that one of my parents has a birthday and then your city wins another championship. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> the stars yeah. aligned. What can I say? That that was crazy, though, that we won the NBA championship. Can I just say really quick? The streets <laughs> were wild. <laughs> wow. So you felt it more than the, the Stanley Cup last year. Yeah, I, I wow. actually was hipped to the fact that we were in the finals because I wasn't okay. paying attention. And somebody was <laughs> like, hey, you should really watch this. This is crazy. This is historic. And so I did. And I went out and uh, celebrated on the winning night. And it was good fun. Yay. Did you join the parade? Uh, No. I mean, oh, I, I went out. It was like the middle of the night. <laughs> okay. No, wow. I didn't go to the parade. I didn't even oh, know there man. was one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. There's always a championship championship parade. parade. Oh, well, shows how much I know. (laughs) Well, I mean, it seems like they're they're the favorites to repeat, so... Right on. Um, Oh, but hey, happy birthday to your parent. I'm not sure which one, but (laughs) select parent. (laughs) Thank you. Um... Yeah, so October was my mom and June is my dad. So, oh, happy birthday yeah, to your dad! Yeah, That's so great. what a yeah, what a fascinating uh, coincidence that you seem to show up. So, so yeah, yeah. So that was October. Um, so there's been a lot going on with you, right? Like, uh, I mean, one thing that I've noticed is that you're no longer film rat on Letterboxd. I've evolved. I've ascended. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I honestly don't even remember exactly when I made that change, but it was just mm. one of those things where I kind of woke up and it felt like the thing to do. And so, yeah, now I'm just under my my name on Letterboxd. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. Is it is it easier to find you bec- under your name or was uh, Film Rat better? <laughs> I have no idea. I, okay. I haven't tried searching for myself. I guess somebody would have to tell me. I don't okay. Know. So it but would be I don't know. still I like, like to imagine that I'm I'm noticeable, I'm findable. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, so if people were to look for you in Letterboxd, if they type K, you would show up? No, it's actually, uh, it's my full name, Kaylin, K-A-Y-L-Y-N. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, but I, I typically go by K, like that's how all my friends and everybody knows me, like friends and family mm. and stuff, so yeah, gotcha. it's, I'm typically only Kaylin when my mom is mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. And then uh, I also noticed you've been making a lot of appearances on Nugentino Cinema oh, on yeah. YouTube. My friend Drew, uh, who runs that, yeah, that's his uh, like podcast and film review channel. Um, yeah, he's a buddy of mine, and we've been doing some joint film reviews and stuff. It's yeah, it's been good fun. Nice, yeah, you've been covering a lot of movies that I like, you know, I'm, oh, or cool. even love. So I mean, you know, um, <laughs> well, I hope I've done them justice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the Waking Life discussion was great. Oh, I love, I love that how one. yeah you um you like um. You made a reference to Alan Watts, and I, yeah. I made that connection too, because um, I I don't know if you've ever heard of his uh, "Dream of Life" speech. Um, uh, you know, honestly, I may have, but I might not remember that it's called <laughs> that. I listen to clips a lot. There's a community radio station that does an Alan Watts hour, and so that's how I listen to a lot of his stuff. So I I, I don't really know mm. the like the titles of his lectures, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of just like a weird nickname for it because it's like the um, yeah, it 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 doesn't really have a name. It's part of a bigger speech, but that segment everybody quotes it. Like it 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 like gets sampled a lot. Um, yeah, and it's all about like dreaming the dream and like taking a risk in that dream and like, you know, actually dreaming out like a whole life for like 75 years. And then you kind of realize that, oh, like that wasn't so bad. And then you realize that, oh, yeah, I could actually live that life. You know, that all those risks that I took in that dream, I can take in my actual life. I have heard that bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah, right. Now that you explained it out, yeah, yeah, totally. I I love his brain. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's actually been like played out as a gag on Rick and Morty. Really? Yeah, yeah, there's a video game that you can play where you're actually just living some ordinary guy's life. And yeah, yeah, and then uh, it's also been like sampled in a song I really love by this band called um, uh, Giraffes. Giraffes. I, I don't think I know and that it one. Like, is it Math Rock? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh it okay, is, yeah. actually, They're I think I do know that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, Joseph Andrioli is the guitarist. Oh, I'm blanking on the the drummer's name though. I, I'm but, sure I wouldn't um, know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the the song title is super long too. It's like I am she him her as you I am she him her as you made me as we all are together our collective unconsciousness is psychogenic fugue. <laughs> that's the full oh title. God. And then it samples that Alan Watts uh speech in in the in the middle of the song. It's incredible. Yeah, I recommend his stuff yeah. to yeah. everybody who's interested in in that kind of area of thinking. Mm-hmm. He's so mm-hmm. smart, obviously, but he makes it so accessible and he's so funny. I I, I I love listening to him when I'm like building furniture and stuff. 
You build furniture? Oh, no, I mean like IKEA furniture. You know, just like kind of do, doing miscellaneous <laughs> okay, things. I'm like, sorry. When I'm, I thought it was like a wood shopping kind of carpentry no, stuff. I was like, wow. I'm not okay. that cool, unfortunately. <laughs> I did take wood shop in school, but no. Um, uh, sorry, I meant that okay. as shorthand for like just doing busy work type of things. <laughs> I didn't want to say cleaning house because that felt too mundane. <laughs> No, nah, no, nah, that's perfect. Folding clothes, <laughs> yeah, laundry. Yeah, there you yeah. go. You like, get it. Alan Watts is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yes. amazing. Yeah, and you, yeah, and you guys also covered American Astronaut. But yeah. I will just say, yeah, I love American Astronaut. But you murdered oh. uh, Corey Maccabee's name. What did I say? <laughs> you murdered my child. Uh, I think you guys like said Corey Maccabee or um, something. Well, <laughs> I thought, forgive me, please. <laughs> no, no, you're forgiven. It's fine. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, what can I say? It's not like people are talking about him all the time. How was I supposed no, to know? Yeah. I haven't met the guy. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, yeah, his, his movies can kind of tend to fall under the radar. He had a new movie last no year. But yeah, and the the thing is like it it's kind of a weird like intersection between like a TED talk and like um also his science fiction obsessions. Uh. Um and I guess he's just been touring around with it. Um, you know, so he actually shows up in person with the movie. But yeah, it, it's only I think played in New York. So there hasn't really been a chance to see it, but yeah, it seems fascinating. It's like he's dealing with a lot of heady ideas in the movie um but yeah that's just it he kind of fall yeah kind of falls under the radar um thank you for the correction no 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 worries (laughs) it's all good yeah so everybody listening like if you guys are curious what k looks like well (laughs) they can probably see it on letterbox but to see her in motion and attach the voice to the face you can see her on Nugentino. In case cinema you're just absolutely dying to put a face to the voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're the ever loving finest case, so you know. <laughs> um yeah, it's worth checking out the videos. Especially I think actually one more I want to highlight from Nugentino cinema. Sure, is the, give him a shout out. You guys did an episode <laughs> Yeah, you guys did an episode on Yee. Yeah. And you disagreed on that movie, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's good. You know, it's not all just like you know, agreeing on everything and, um, you know, uh, we all just get along. I mean, I'm curious about opposing viewpoints too, even though I love that movie a lot, you know, so yeah. yeah. Cool yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, always interesting with him. We're doing uh, Perfect Blue next, so stay tuned oh, for that oh, one. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, Satoshi Kon. He's another favorite of mine too, but Paprika is the one that it's like, man, have you oh, seen Oh, yeah, that? a couple times. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I just love it. I even saw his um his show, um, Paranoia Agent. And okay. That was great. Yeah, I've too. heard of that, but haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah, it it's it it really goes beyond what you think a show is. Like I think um there's a lot of auteurs recently who have been kind of making what their idea of a TV show is, and plus it's anime. So um you know he's going beyond those those definitions. Like you know there's a lot of unresolved things in it, which is great. So, I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we usually have a section in our show that we call appetizers, um, which is basically us just catching up on what we've seen. But since we have you as a guest and it's been a while since we've talked with you, uh, I figured we'd do like a little like questionnaire. Mm. So to just to change Put things up. So, seat. Steve, do you want to keep <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Steve, do you want to queue up our appetizers? Sure, let's do it. It's time for movie food appetizers, appetizers, appetizers. It's movie food appetizers. <laughs> All right, Carla, what you got? All right. Okay. Okay, so this is actually touching back on the New Gentino Cinema appearance sure. again. Um, there was something you brought up in the Bo is Afraid episode, and I think this is the episode where you guys actually met, so he went up to Denver to that meet up with you. That was live in person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you were talking about the the Mariah Carey sound. Oh, yeah. And, oh. <laughs> yeah. and you said you had, like, a weird experience with music, but you didn't, like, elaborate on yeah. it. So would you care to elaborate um, with us? Gosh, well... I'm trying to think of what that exact memory was because okay so in the movie it's it's that song and then yeah I just have had kind of interesting um romantic encounters to uh songs that you wouldn't necessarily expect that so in that instance I was thinking of the time I had um a romantic encounter and the fella had put on a mix of uh sad indie music for some reason and so like of all the things right and so you know a a little a few minutes later hurt by johnny cash comes on oh no (laughs) and it's just yeah that definitely gets yeah right and it was just like it was just almost an out-of-body experience where i was like is this really happening it was like the most like (laughs) horrifying but also funniest thing and so yeah that's kind of what i was referring to so just double double check your cue (laughs) if you're putting on a playlist make sure that you don't have like johnny cash on there um yeah, that was that. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that that's a scene in itself. Like, I think we've, we've probably given another filmmaker an oh, idea. Man. But we, you heard it here oh, first. No. So, you know, if you ever want to sue, if we see a romantic interlude with Johnny Cash... <laughs> is hurt we this is where it was hurt i first, want a point zero zero percent or point zero zero two percent royalty please two <laughs> percent yeah, that's not much gotta zero, make my coin yeah <laughs> um yeah that that was um yeah funny funny memory <laughs> gotcha all right so this one's a little more softball but uh i guess it was relating to something you brought up before we started recording um about uh, your the kind of tea that you're having right now. So oh, I was yeah. wondering, what is your like go to movie food? Oh yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I do drink tea quite a bit. Um. It's just nice, uh, especially for stuff like James Benning that we're gonna get into. It's just kind of a nice little soothing um bev to have. Um. I don't know. I I don't always like eat when I'm watching movies. Uh. Sometimes I'll just have like hummus and crackers i worked at a movie theater for a while and i got kind of burnt out on popcorn while i was there so i'm not much of a popcorn gal these days um but yeah just like i don't know fruits veg tea i don't really have a go-to snack i don't think Mm, gotcha do you ever watch movies though with like a little bit of uh chemical assistance (laughs) sure i mean i'm i i'm definitely selective about it so it's normally movies that i've seen before or movies where it's just like you know it's gonna be very silly um Mm. things like Mm. that like i probably wouldn't go into like 
Tokyo story <laughs> like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like sure. or like, you know, yeah. Ikaru or something. I, I would I would be I am selective. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, I do. For sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I think like Denver wasn't the first city to like legalize like CBD and THC. I feel like Washington State did first, but oh, we God. we were definitely like in the first like two or three, yeah. Yeah, so you would you say you were like an early adopter? You know what's when- so funny is it was legalized um, like shortly before my 21st birthday, if I remember correctly. It was around that time. Oh, wow. So yeah, when I actually started um, to partake in that, I, I it was totally legal. I've never done it illegally. Isn't that so funny? Um, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I polished my halo. Um, but yeah, so, nice. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't say that I was like in line at the door, but I was definitely curious and kind of started experimenting because it was available um but you know i try to be responsible (laughs) for sure yeah okay so just another like colorado related question have you ever been to casa bonita oh my gosh yes so Casa, casa bonita is like i don't know it's like a rite of passage when you're growing up like i know there's the classic south park bit about going there for birthday but it's so true like when you're a kid, everybody's had a birthday at Casa Bonita. It's just something that you do. So I've definitely had multiple birthdays there. Like my niece has, my sister has, um, you know, all that. So I've, I've been there over a dozen times, but as an adult, I have not been there as much. <laughs> um, but I know they just recently, like it's under the ownership of the South Park guys now and they yeah. redid yeah, it. Yeah, they bought it. Yeah. yeah. So get this. It's like, a soft opening or like super exclusive right now so you have to like be mm. on a mailing list and then you get Whoa. you get invited to submit into a raffle and then from the raffle <laughs> they pull your name what? yeah so one of my friends is trying to get tickets to Casa Bonita right now and he's been waiting for like weeks and he's like if I get in I'll let Jeez. you know so yeah I'd love to go to the and like see what they've done but it's really hard to yeah. get in <laughs> Yeah, so for, for our listeners who don't know, oh. can you describe what Casa Bonita is? Yeah, I'm is? sorry, I just took what it as like everybody would know. <laughs> yeah, um. I, well, I know what it is, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, for Steve's benefit, maybe. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm discovering this now. This is Wow, so it's one of those things where like, if you're listening to this and you have access to pull up Google, I definitely recommend pulling up images because it's it's kind of hard to explain. It's, it's, it's a Mexican-themed restaurant. Yes, it's... It's like baby pink on the outside and it has this huge like fountain in front and it has this whole kind of like exterior image that it's this like classic Mexican building, but it's in a strip mall in like the sketchiest part of Denver. So it's like, it's like you're seeing like phone repair, like liquor stores, you know, all this kind of stuff, like bail bonds. And then there's like this huge pink. Oh, and the, and the pavement is like all cracked and filled with potholes and hasn't been like painted in like a decade. And then there's this huge oh, pink building with like these huge like italic letters Casa Bonita and um yeah it's wild and you go in also this I 
obviously, as I just mentioned, I have not been there since it's been redone. So don't take this as any reflection on the new management or anything. But previously, um, the nostalgia memory lane, um, you would walk in mm. and it's immediately humid. And it's like the pool water kind of humid. <laughs> like if you're at a hotel yes. and it's like right. it's right. like a Motel 6 in the middle of nowhere. And you go in the pool room and you're just hit with like chlorine humidity. And like it smells a little bit weird, but like a little bit like chemical clean and it's like probably mm. they hadn't cleaned the place in like 30 years so it's just like a little bit sticky too um but yeah it's just crazy and so you go in and it's almost like like um uh doctor who tardis style where it looks just like a normal size building on the outside but you go in and it's like this labyrinth maze with like with like stone walls and it's like it, I, I don't know, it's so hard to explain, but it's huge. And inside they have like an arcade and a haunted house and wow. yeah, and cliff diving, which is like the main attraction. <laughs> no, for indoor cliff yeah, diving. Yeah, That's for real. So they wow. have this huge water fixture with like a with a waterfall in the middle of the restaurant. <laughs> it's in the middle of the restaurant. Yeah, it's I don't oh my god! Like, is it? Did they dig into the basement, into the subfloor, and you kind of dive into that? Like, like, what do you like? How it's, do you cliff dive? It's seriously like labyrinthine. Yeah. So the ceilings are really big, and it it does have these like huge ballrooms and stuff that are abandoned because it used to make a lot of business, and now like it's just kind of a tourist thing. But yeah, so there were like these wow. huge ballrooms. I remember going in there one time with a group of friends, and we kind of like snuck into the employee only section just to see and we found like these huge rooms um that could fit like a whole like like tony robbins seminar in there you know and it's like a stage and everything massive but yeah in the middle of the restaurant there's a pool and cliff divers and every hour on the hour they do a stage play with a guy in a gorilla suit who chases a girl around (laughs) and the end of the stage play ends with like all of them falling into the water and then after that they have like divers come up and just do tricks and stuff as you're eating (laughs) oh my god this is like the the performance piece in the square yeah it's so wild it's it's extremely difficult to explain because there's nothing else like it if you can pull up on youtube or even google image as i mentioned like you kind of have to see it yeah yeah i i only heard about it because the the south park guys bought it like that was the big thing but if you watch that episode, it sounds like a great place (laughs) yeah it sounds like an awesome place to like just you know throw down some edibles yeah. and just go in there and just have a trip for real. You know? yeah the food yeah. was yeah. always awful it's like dog food uh, for real perfect. but like that's perfect but if you go there and you just get like margaritas and sopapillas it's it's pretty banging mm. but like i would not trust yeah. anything else <laughs> nachos even like you i know, mean i don't think they did nachos there's always like enchiladas mm. and like oh, i don't know gotcha. it just it just yeah. all yeah. tasted like from a can kind of thing Oh, but geez. again, yeah, I, I don't I mean, know imagine, how it is now. <laughs> yeah, if it had nachos, it would be like microwave nachos, you know, where they just sprinkle the cheese <laughs> on top of the nachos and then yeah. throw it in a microwave. You're you're not lying that this is part of like a strip mall. Like it it's basically is. it's it's in the corner of a mall that has it formerly has a Hollywood video. It, it might <laughs> there's no way that Hollywood video is is still no active. no they're all gone now. Yeah, but it's but, like but there's Suncoast. a Pizza Hut. You got a. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a West Fax Brew Co. You got a Dollar Tree. It's right next to um, a, what's this called? It's called um, 
Adventure Dental Vision and Orthodontics, so you can get your <laughs> teeth did and then hop oh, yeah. over and get some food. And there's a freaking yeah. stunt show in yeah, this restaurant. Yeah, there's like an Arby's in that parking lot. Man, yeah, <laughs> get your pupils dilated at the Vision Place. And <laughs> oh, but they got pho. They got some pho. Yeah, in this, yeah there's, in this some, spot. there's some culture there. <laughs> it's Man, seriously yeah. surreal. This is the it's... spot in, 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 in the area is called Lakewood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like it's like right next to Denver. So Denver Lakewood kinda tends mm. to be lumped together, but yeah, it's just uh it's it's another reality, you guys. <laughs> I can't wait to I see what live they've in done the strip with mall. it. This uh, is amazing. No. Yeah. We, Steve, we gotta go on the road. <laughs> visit Kay. We'll do a live episode yeah. with her and then we'll go to Casa Bonita. Fun. Yeah, yeah we'll shoot it at it. Casa Bonita. No, we'll do it at Casa Bonita. Yeah, we'll do the episode at Casa, Casa Bonita, Bonita interrupted amazing. by a gorilla. Uh, he'll steal the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Be perfect. Okay. I'm in. All right. Man, okay, I did guys. not expect like such a detailed answer to that question. I was just like, I mean, yeah, I know it. I, I, I probably got carried away, but no, it's, it's just like, it, there's a lot to explain. Yeah, you painted quite a picture for us. Um, this is exciting. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, my next question is probably not as exciting, but <laughs> I was just curious, okay. um, since you're a big fan of docs, uh, do you watch the spoof? show documentary now uh is this a tv show it is yes it's on netflix though it's like they but obviously you haven't heard of it <laughs> oh man okay. no i i haven't okay. i'm really bad at tv wow that is that a real sentence i'm really bad <laughs> at keeping up with tv no. um so i pretty much watch like one show at a time i'm i'm currently re-watching star trek the original series oh nice um oh, so nice. like that's my 2023 television pretty much is just gonna <laughs> be star trek okay <laughs> so yeah uh, this is the original with uh william shatner and um Leonard Nimoy, that cast. Yeah, how, how many yeah I want to get to like, was it? just yeah. Three. Okay, yeah, it was yeah. very short lived. Okay. Yeah, they're long mm-hmm. though. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. beside the point. It's just to say, I don't really watch a lot of TV. But I think you would enjoy yeah. documentary now because it spoofs a lot of documentaries that you would be familiar with. And like the thing is, it it um it emulates the style that these docs were made. Like they're even funnier when you know what doc it's based on. Like the, I think the very first episode, it's making fun of gray gardens. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's basically Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. And they're always like the lead characters in all of the docs. And, um, so yeah, they're playing the sisters, um, from gray gardens. Yeah. (laughs) And, Okay, yeah, yeah, it's great. I'll take a yeah, look. yeah. Okay, I, cool. I feel like the one episode, if you're just going to check out one that's like um, well worth watching, is the they did a spoof on um, on Thin Blue Line, the Errol Morris movie. Oh, okay. yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. funny. I was just talking with, uh, with a friend about that the other day. I love that doc. Yeah, yeah. So definitely check it out. Documentary now. Okay, so my next cue is um I want to ask you Kay what's a good movie to watch in the daytime Oh so you know what's so funny is I actually have been kind of keeping a, me- a track of this myself because oh, okay. um yeah with the way my work schedule is I generally have time for like a movie or two in the morning and then one in the evening because that's just how I love to live my life um yeah, <laughs> love movies um yeah so I have been keeping a little list of like well I have a tag called movies for breakfast and that's stuff that I watch <laughs> oh, in the morning <laughs> yeah it kind of fits in with the movie food 
music theme, huh? Yeah, um, that should be your a letterbox <laughs> list. <laughs> well, before that, for the last couple of years, like 2020, 2021, um, I think last year is kind of when I started to shift uh, shift to using tags. Um, I would do mm. like best matinees. So on my letterbox, I actually do nice. have lists of matinees that I feel. Um, you know, are just really good movies in themselves, but also great to watch during the daytime. Um, but yeah, let me let me see if I have any on here that I would just kind of yeah, really recommend because I watch so much much stuff. I feel like I could just give you, I could be like, well, here's <laughs> something I watched, but maybe it's not like the best thing, and it has right, to be right. the best thing for you guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> give us yeah. give us the five best. <laughs> um, well, I would say. If I'm going with something a little bit more uh, mainstream, um, Miyazaki. I've been going through the Ghibli nice. uh, okay. catalog this year. My, my, yeah. One of my goals is to watch all the Ghibli movies this year. Uh, so I would say really any of those is going to make a great mm. matinee. Um, not just because it's animated, but just like in the tone and everything. They're so light and fun. Um, and then let's see if I'm going to go for something. I don't know. I, 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 it, it's kind of hard to say because it all just depends on your taste. But here, I'll go for a deeper cut and say Dusty Stacks of Mom, the poster project. It's a short. What? I've never yeah. heard of this. Yeah. Well, if oh, you're asking man. for one specific recommendation. That's a good one. A general yeah. recommendation, Ghibli. A specific recommendation, Dusty Stacks of Mom uh, by Jody Mack. It's a 40. Oh, I know her. Yeah, yeah it's a 40-minute short. Yeah. yeah, so so mm. um, she creates this really cool kind of like collage of, of uh, her mom's poster business um, kind mm. of as it's going, as she's closing it. Um, and so it, 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 yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's like super fun, really unique, um, very personal and it's like an experimental doc kind of. So yeah, a lot of fun. I would recommend that one. Yeah. She, she's kind of known for making kind of wholesome, like just, um, light experimental films you know yeah. i mean i don't mean that as a backhanded compliment but no, no. you know it's like yeah that's what she she's been known for and she was like hot a few years ago but like it's kind of died down a little bit i haven't really heard anything from what she's been doing lately if she's like eventually made a feature well, um, you guys, let's raise the heat again and get everybody to watch <laughs> Dusty Stacks. <laughs> Dusty Stacks, yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, the, the crazy thing is, even though I've heard of her, I've never seen any of her movies, so what? I guess that's a good place to start. Okay, well, now I'm really glad I recommended that. So, yes, I would say okay. great with an iced coffee, summer day, open the windows, Dusty Stacks of Mom. Perfect. Okay, 40 minutes. There you go. Excellent. All right, okay, so I got a couple more. Um, this one, okay, the next few questions I have, um, basically, I don't want you to touch upon what our main subject is going to be. So okay. you'll, you'll have to think if, if it applies to any of the movies you've seen recently relating to the episode for the episode, um, uh, disregard that and like pick the one before okay. that came before it. Okay. Okay. So what was the last movie that you saw that you were thinking five stars? Oh, okay. That's a that's a good question. The last so the last five star movie I saw, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, can I use my letterbox to reference? Sure. Okay, <laughs> I don't. I watched I mean, so much stuff. I don't remember. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, the last five star film I watched was Goodbye Jerome, which is an animated mm. short film. 
Um, it's only okay. seven minutes long. It's on Criterion. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's so good. Um, it it just definitely like hits a lot of. Uh, like things that I like in film so maybe it wouldn't be five stars necessarily for everybody but it really spoke to my taste um yeah should, should I give you like a, a feature or something too <laughs> um yeah okay if you want to yeah. uh let's see just scrolling through the last five stars I doled out before that one was actually a documentary so it's funny uh Ooh. that you asked about that before yeah it's called driver 23 um mm-hmm. yeah it's great I actually ended up picking up the blu-ray which is in transit to me now um after oh, watching wow. it online so that's how much i loved it i definitely recommend that yeah one. I I, i've done that before too it's like you see one movie and it, oh wow and it's from 99 that like i keep saying that that's like one of the best years of movies ever yeah if you look at like the movies that came out that year it's just incredible how how strong that year was. everybody had to get it out before y2k just in case yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so those are my last two five stars. Uh, definitely, okay. I'd recommend both, but Goodbye, Jerome is just seven minutes, so why not pop it on? Okay, perfect. Yeah, you've given us some choice cuts. All right, so the next question is, um, what is your favorite movie of the year so far? Oh, my gosh. We're at the halfway point now, so. How could... Yeah. Wow. Oh, <laughs> man, you're stressing me out. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I really... my My... My favorite movie of the year so far? Oh my gosh. I'm like reeling over here. I really don't mm. know. I've seen so much good stuff so far this year, you guys. Yeah. Um, I've actually been keeping a list called 2023 Discoveries of everything that I've given like four and a half or five stars. And there's like 80 mm. films on this list. So you're really oh you're really asking yeah. a lot of me right now, man. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> let me see. I would say... Is there a... Yeah, yeah, current release, like a 2023 release. Oh, thank you. Yes, I can narrow it yeah. down that way. <laughs> narrow it down, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm doing a list like that too, where it's just like everything that I've seen that's just like five stars, you know? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. well, how about uh, 2022, late 2022? I'll go with Skinamarink. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I'll be controversial and say Skinamarink, mm. five stars. I've seen it twice now. <laughs> I loved wow. it. Um, and yeah, so that's a current release that I, that I would highly recommend, but I know some people hate this movie. So yeah, (laughs) are you what? I I don't say, I I won't say I hate it, but I just don't get it. Like it's just, it it went over my head. Like I just, I don't know. And I guess that's also part of me just not getting scared easily. So it's like all the things that people talk about, like how it taps into like childhood fears and stuff. It just didn't resonate with me. So. See, but I don't think it's really supposed to be scary. It's like it's like doomy. really no. I th- like the end. The ending wasn't well, scary. Like a lot of people talk about the ending being scary. Uh, we don't want to spoil it for Steve though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Steve, I do you know. want to see Skin and Marine? Steve, you should see it. Skin and Marine. Yeah. Are you interested in seeing Skin and Marine at all? I I don't even know how to spell it to figure it out. <laughs> You've heard of that nursery rhyme, though, right? Or is it's like yeah, a kid song, sure. you know? Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a we- like, it, it really out. is a movie that's dividing a lot of people because some people like UK, like it really resonates with them. And do you feel like it taps into some of your childhood as well? Well, yes, but I don't think I don't think it's really meant to be a scary mm. movie, and I think that's where okay. a lot of the divisiveness is coming from. Is people were going right. and expecting like, 
like, oh, popcorn date night, scary movie. Let's all go <laughs> yeah. see Skinner Inc. And it's not that. Right. This isn't like, you know, this isn't supposed to be that. I think it's 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 doomy. It's experimental, and it's very mm. unique. I think it pushes it pushes like commercial horror in a really interesting direction. And I think it's unfortunate that it's uh, kind of been. I think I think the advertising for it kind of like steered perception of what it was going to be yeah. in a wrong direction. And I think right. if it had been pitched more as like kind of like a sinister, creepy, crawling, something's moving in your peripheral vision, like that kind of horror, it's much more geared toward that. Like I don't think it necessarily benefited from a wide commercial release, you know? Yeah, it played at an AMC near me. So yeah. it's like crazy. I think yeah, people just didn't really because not you know experimental isn't always the most accessible type of film and i'm sure we'll be getting into that through this whole discussion but like you kind of have to like adjust what your expectations are going into it like if you're if you go into skinnamarink waiting for like jump scares and well i guess there are some jump scares but if you go in like waiting for something to like quote happen you're gonna be disappointed (laughs) yeah yeah for everybody who's like you know um used to horror being all about build up build up then you know it like reaches like a climax of you know like um just kind of everything spills over and all that but uh, yeah this movie definitely doesn't have it it really is more a contemplative horror film um and i think that's what makes it so good right i guess yeah maybe i need to like adjust my vision for it and watch it again Mm -hmm. in that perspective uh i mean it is fascinating to me that like well one thing when the movie first started i actually laughed out loud in the theater and it's such a quiet movie (laughs) i laughed because yeah because of one of the credits because one of the credits was like the sound it was credited to freesound.org which is like a great yeah that's a great website like i actually get a lot of my sound from there too because it's like such a great resource it's like a creative commons like you know um you can just download people's sound and a lot of people don't expect to be credited or, you know, paid for um, the sound. And there's some amazing sounds because some of these people who are recording sounds are like, uh, you know, they, they're using professional equipment, stuff that I could never get my hands on. So if they can record like the wind better than I can, yeah, I'm going to get it from freesound.org, you know? Yeah, well, this so, person, yeah, I just... they, they, they made the film, like, in their childhood house, and I think their budget right. was only, like, $12,000 or something. Like, this was a <laughs> shoestring movie. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that it, like... I I I feel like this is one where like in a decade people are gonna look back and be like, Oh, mm. this is this was like the Blair Witch of its time where like some people just yeah. don't it yeah, it, it might miss the mark with some people, but I think it has a very unique staying power. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because yeah, we're we're probably like a decade apart. Um and like um Kyle, uh Kyle Edward Ball is is my age and um yeah, I think he, he like that phone with the smiley face. Like that's something that I remember from my childhood. Like he seems to be touching upon a lot of like kids who were born in the eighties, like our you know, our memories of of stuff. So uh, you know, there's there's definitely certain things there that I think should resonate with me more. But I think yeah, I was just caught off guard. There was a lot of hype leading up to the movie too, and I I got caught up in that. You know, like um, some people were really praising it, and I was just you know, it was like. 
it became a TikTok thing. Like it was just oh, strange, yeah. you know. Oh, um, well, maybe that's how I benefited yeah. too, because I don't, I don't use social media. I, I don't have a TikTok, and so like all of the <laughs> hype, great. like I just yeah. totally didn't. I didn't yeah. see any of it, so I got to go into right. it like pretty fresh. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was. Yeah, part I, of it. I wish that that was the case with me too. But um, yeah, maybe like in a couple of years, I'll, I'll revisit for sure. Okay, so um, yeah, this question I, I brought it up before we recorded, but I'm gonna bring it up again now. Is um, what was the last movie that made you cry? Yeah. Well, I cry a lot at movies. It's actually like in my letterboxed bio, even like I cry. <laughs> I cry yeah, a lot. you have a very detailed bio now compared to previously of the what is it? It's the race against the watch list. Race against baby. the watch list, baby. Yeah, that was my bio for a long time. And then, yeah. I don't know. I What can I say? I've matured. Um, <laughs> it's no longer a race. Um, and it's funny because probably I've logged more films this year than any other year before. I'm, I'm already almost at 500 just because I'm logging shorts and stuff too, mm. um, which some people... Uh, you know, would tisk at, but it is what it is. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> we love shorts. We love yes. shorts. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, I approach films a little bit differently now, and I wanted to kind of just uh, mix up my letterbox. So yeah, you, you already mentioned I like changed my handle, um, got mm-hmm. a new bio, you know, starting the year fresh. Uh, nice. But yeah, so to answer your question, though, the the last movie that made me cry, that isn't a movie that we're going to be c- touching on later, I think, um, was actually Tale of Princess Kaguya, um, which Ooh, was, yeah. oh, it's so good. It, mm. it was a rewatch for me, because as I mentioned, I'm going back through like the Ghibli catalog and um, and related. And so, yeah, I... I, I I remembered being very affected by it the first time I watched it, and I kind of expected to not enjoy it as much this time, if I'm being honest. I was like, you know, maybe I was just riding that hype wave, and maybe it might not land with me the same way. And I felt actually more affected by it this time around. Like, I really got into the the stare, like the narrative, and I felt so absorbed by it. And it's a very emotional and sad movie. Um, and I, yeah, like the ending, I was just all tears. Like I was crying a few times before then just at different moments, but the ending, wow. oh my gosh, I'm getting goosebumps just yeah. thinking about it. It's total mess. Sob fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's an incredible film. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think it, it, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I think that same year it came out as um, uh, The Wind Rises. And yeah, they were both very affecting so for me. Good. But this one... Like I think I like Takahara a little more than than Miyazaki because he's always just experimenting with the look of his films. Like none of them look the same. So and that one yeah, was I all hand drawn animation. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I looked it up. It's the most, according to Google, the most expensive film to come out of Japan just because it was all hand drawn. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was like fifty Jeez. million dollars to make this movie because it was all hand drawn animation. Oh my god! Every single well, time. It- it, it paid, paid off. off. You can see oh it on God, screen. Oh my God, I know. And it's sure. so beautiful too because like it it makes it kind of timeless like because mm-hmm. it's so, um, it doesn't use like any computer generated like techniques. It kind of just like, it feels like it could have been made 20 years ago and you know, it, it just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tale of Princess Kaguya. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry if I said that wrong. (laughs) No, no, no. that's perfectly fine. Pronunciation. I'm not like uh, a stickler for pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) Contrary to the Corey Maccabee (laughs) segment, but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you too. um, Would you mind saying hi to a friend of our show, uh, Jacob? Hi, Jacob. <laughs> okay, there we go. Jacob, that was for you. So Jacob, <laughs> he's been a guest on the show before, and he was saying how much of a fan of yours he was oh, on your uh, your uh, Over the Garden Wall um, appearance. So, that's funny. Um, oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Thank you. And he, he's also one of our, our listeners that, like, yeah, got turned on to the show. He loved it. And he actually, I, I forgot to share this with you, but um, he sent me the vinyl of the soundtrack. No way! Yeah, oh, no yeah, so, yeah, exactly. What color is yours? Um, it's like way? a marbled, like it's like a gold, but it has like flecks of like orange in it. Splatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the same one too. It's like the Harvest Festival one, I think, because the other one is called um. Jason Funderburker Green. <laughs> like that's the other version. And then there's gonna be another one that's gonna be, I think, just called Fall Leaves, and it's just it's a little more plain. But yeah, he got me that one and it's actually signed by um uh one of the members of the blasting company. Oh, so what a kind yeah. gift. That's so cool. I know, it's incredible. He went above and beyond. I was like, Yeah, you don't have to do that, and then yeah, it just came gosh. in the mail like a week later. <laughs> So wow, yeah, thank you, Jacob. Yeah, so sweet. Shout out. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I guess that's it for appetizers. We're ready to move on to the main course. Yum, yum, yum. Oh, do we have music for main course? I realize. Oh, yeah, I, I haven't made oh, main I course. Uh, I haven't made a main course <laughs> jingle funny. yet. But all right. But that, here, let, yeah, let's uh maybe just a little like masterpiece. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, just a little yeah, just lay out that main course. Okay, so yeah, yeah, Kay, you reached out to me to do this episode, and this has actually been a dream of mine. So I want to thank you for reaching out, um, not to do an episode with you. Just kidding. But, um, no, it, uh, no, I just wanted to cool your jets a little bit. No, it was it was a dream to do this episode um, on James Benning uh, before I even had. A podcast like it i always just thought you know i was getting invited to different podcasts if they allowed me to just have carte blanche and like any topic you want on a on an episode i would have picked james benning and it's great that we're doing it with you because that was like something of a surprise i you know with your first appearance other than knowing a little bit of your taste i had no idea that you were into james benning at all so this is gonna be exciting we're gonna delve into pretty much like his life and his career his filmography are inseparable you know so i figured what would we'll do is like basically kind of go through his work chronologically and then make a few stops along the way yeah um yeah and i guess i I just wanted to start with asking you um before even james benning like what was what was the movie that like got you started in like slow cinema um you know, it's funny because it actually, it was James Spenning that kind of helped oh, okay. introduce Perfect. me to slow cinema. And I have like a very distinct memory of it, um, of this introduction. So I was working for the Denver Film Society um, and gosh, I, this was almost, I hate to say almost a decade ago now, but it's true. It's like eight <laughs> years ago. Um, and I was working there with a friend of mine and he um 
was very interested in James Benning, slow cinema. He called it boring films. <laughs> okay. um, so like that's, In a good way, yeah, I hope. Yeah, but you know, it's just one of those things where like if you're not already inclined toward that kind of filmmaking and you just sit down and watch like RR, you're going to be like, what is this? You know, you're going right. to think it's very boring as compared to like Reservoir Dogs or something. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. not everybody's cup of tea. So yeah, I, I remember... Um, my, my first introduction was with RR and I came into work and we have like screens in the lobby and he was showing RR um, just on one of the screens between films, like when there was nobody out and you know, everybody was seated and he was hmm. playing, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the experimental musician Steve Roden or Roden. Um, but he hmm, does these no. kind of like interesting durational, um, like nature, like almost Foley pieces. Um, and so, oh, nice. yeah, I, sorry, this is kind of a long story, but it was just like a very impactful moment for me um, in a lot of ways. But he, he was he was playing a Steve Roden song over RR and I walked in and I was like, what what is this? What are you what are you watching? Um, and he just kind of gave me a quick rundown and I just ended up being completely entranced. Like I was just standing yeah. there in the lobby, just like, you know, just clocked into work, just like standing around. And I, I ended up watching um, as much as we were able to watch before we had to start actually working again <laughs> yeah. um, because we were employees. Um, so yeah, and it was just kind of like, wow, I was so fascinated. And so from that point on, I, I kind of started talking with him more about like, you know, who is this filmmaker? I've never seen stuff like this. And he ended up really being um, a mentor for me in getting into this kind of experimental filmmaking and experimental film in general. So, so I owe him a lot. And it was, it was RR. That was my first introduction. So, so yeah, James Benning has a very special place in my heart for being the gateway into this whole other way of approaching film. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's funny because RR was also my first James Benning. No like, way. that was the. Yeah, like 2007, like when it came out, like, I just couldn't believe that the movie existed. Like, just hearing descriptions of it. I mean, this was before, like, you know, people, you'd see like a trailer or a clip. I mean, there's no trailers for James Benning movies. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, th- it was just fascinating to me. And I think I was following, like, a, a blogger based out of Toronto. And, you know, they would write about movies that they would see at at the Toronto Film Festival. And that was one of them. And I was just like, man, this was a time where basically that now I think of it, it's like when you hear about a movie in a film festival, it's like, oh, man, you're so lucky that you saw that. And then it's gone. But now we're we're like so like, um, you know, saturated in access that, you know, even James Benning's films aren't really hard to find now, you know. But back then, it was just like, man, will I ever see this movie? Like, yeah. it sounds so amazing. I mean, I was just blown away by the the fact that somebody made a movie based on this premise of, you know, it's just one shot and it's like the length of, you know, um, the train, uh, how it passes through the frame and then the shot ends. And then I, when I finally got to see the movie, I guess we'll get into it when we get there chronologically. But I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, my reaction versus the, you know, the... I guess the anticipation for it was fascinating. Um, but yeah, like RR was, was that movie for me. Um, I will say, though, even before that, though, I was kind of already aware of slow cinema because of Gus Van Sant. Like he was my gateway because of, you know, the movies he made with Jerry and 
Elephant and he was saying how Bellatar was a big influence on those movies and you see it when you see the Bellatar movies you're like oh yeah he just basically stole that shot from from Bellatar yeah um, I mean I guess yeah. when you like bring up directors like that I mean I, I, yeah Bellatar and like Turin Horse um definitely speaks to slow cinema a lot but I still feel like it has like more narrative than you get in a lot sure. of this so uh, yeah I guess I could count that as well and then um there's also kind of more um like uh, m- like literally meditative films like um spring summer autumn winter spring like that one mm. is a little bit it's it's very narrative driven too but it has like some slow cinema moments so I guess sure. I did have like a, a smattering of things before but that was my first real exposure was R. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny how it has like the you could do like a Venn diagram of of slow cinema, and yeah. it has like its own like sub genres within yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I mean, you know, my list on Mubi, um, the contemplative cinema starter pack, which is just an insane list because it just like I draw from so many different types of slow movies. <laughs> like sometimes I wasn't even sure. It's like Ozu, does he consider is he considered <laughs> slow cinema? You know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was using um this blog uh, run by Harry Tuttle as like my my like my ref my resource for it. But it's sad that the blog's gone now. Like it, you know, but I think the graphic I managed to save it so it's still on my lit nice. list. So it has like all these different categories of like wordlessness or like having no plot and like all these things that you know, kind of fit into that category because, you know, some filmmakers, it became a trend, I guess, in 20, uh, 2008, maybe that um, uh, a lot of slow cinema was coming out in art cinema. And then it would seem like a lot of these filmmakers were now aware of what the tropes were versus like, you know, it was something organic coming from them, you know, um, and Benning is definitely a true original. Yes. Like, you know, there there's very few filmmakers. There's a lot of filmmakers who try to imitate him. I mean, even Gus Van Sant has said that he's been influenced by by Benning. Um, and it's funny how, like, there there's even, like, you can find, you know, James Benning-inspired videos <laughs> on on YouTube. And it's people who basically are just like, oh, yeah, let me just put my camera down in one spot. But there's a lot more yeah. <laughs> to it than that. And just, like, recording something durationally and i think yeah if we get into his like bio and who he is as a person like it definitely gives you a lot more like uh, context of, of what's behind the work and it's not it's not just about like long takes um and being like stationary in one place because he didn't even start out that way like his films weren't contemplative right off the bat you know he um so yeah let's just start with that so sure. he, he was born in milwaukee Wisconsin in 1942 um and he he grew up basically loving math and baseball like those were his his two passions and he has this great story he talks about of like how he was uh I guess he was in uh, University of Wisconsin and he was about to go to class and um he noticed that there was this, this energy in the air and all these people were flocking to like the student union and he ended up like cutting his class because he wanted to find out like why are everybody why is everybody heading you know to the union and you know it was basically this old man who was like doing his own version of Finnegan's Wake where he was like picking random words from the pages uh, or like spelling out James Joyce so finding words that would be like J that would start with J and then you know A you know and then continuing to create sentences that way and then reading it and then 
he just remembered like seeing that old man like after he was finished reading because it, it apparently it took him like an hour and a half to do this exercise. Um, he had like this big smile on his face, and the old man was a uh, John Cage, and Benning decided there and then is like, I want to like make art that makes you smile like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what did, um, led him to like delve into art and um yeah yeah there, there's all these stories um like his biography is very open you can there's all these resources actually even on imdb it has like this segment which sums up how he got started how he bought like a bolex camera and started using that um but i think uh, another like instrumental event with him was when he went to graduate school he studied film under david boardwell and i'm sure you're familiar with david boardwell okay uh, the name is actually not ringing a bell, and I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> he, he he is one of the foremost like film scholars. Like you know, um, uh, he and he has a very like structured approach to things. Like if you ever go to his website, his breakdowns of films, like whenever he posts a still, it's always listed as like figure, figure one, figure two, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that also kind of gives us an idea of how Benning decided to approach filmmaking. Because he, yeah, he's he's admitted that that like basically, um, uh, that he, um, he considers himself an artist who uses the medium of film rather than himself as a filmmaker. Yeah. You know, it's just like the same way that you know an artist chooses paint or, um, you know, sculpture as their medium. So yeah, so aside from being influenced by John Cage, he was also like influenced by Andy Warhol. Um, and you can see that in the work and some of them were, we're going to be talking about. So he kind of got started in, in the early seventies. I mean, he says he started earlier than that, but like, if you look at his filmography, um, uh, most of them are listed in the seventies and a lot of them are, are hard to find those early films. Uh, one that I'm curious to see, and it has a very apocryphal title. It's called, um, uh, time and a half. And I guess it's about like a factory worker who's working overtime. So uh, I'm curious what, what that film was. And I think like, um, you know, what was instrumental in his like formation as a filmmaker too was, um, you know, collaborating with Betty Gordon, who also like um, was his lover. So they were like in entwined in this romance and it resulted in all these films. And um, yeah, one of the, like, I guess the early films that I saw for the first time uh, on film from James Benning and Betty Gordon was um, this movie called Michigan Avenue. It's funny, the the reason why I was able to watch it on film was I didn't know this, but in the New York Public Library, you can actually rent film reels and then they project it for you and then oh, you can gosh. watch it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a six-minute short. So, like, basically, it was my first um, experience running a projector too because they showed me how to work it. So, like, you know, I watched it, and I was amazed, and I was like, yeah, I just rewound the reel and then, you know, played it again. <laughs> oh and, yeah, it was incredible, you know. So, yeah, it's a it's a great resource. And I was seeing, like, because the table where they had all the films that were being rented, like, other people are taking advantage. It's like somebody was renting out, like, Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> and that was several film cans. I think that was, like, five cans of film <laughs> that they were going to be watching. And you're basically led to this room that you can project it, like, privately, and then it... You, um, there's like headphones plugged into the projector so you only get the sound directly so you know you don't disturb people in the library 
Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to New York in a few months. I'm gonna have to like oh, try there you that. Go. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah, gonna go into the to the film archive like as a pilgrimage, but now I wanna do this just like even for the experience yeah. of just like projecting, that's so cool. For sure. Wow. Yeah, definitely um do that and then also um pay a visit to uh I'm blanking on their name now, the the filmmakers co op. Oh yes, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely go there because yeah, they have such an incredible resource of experimental films, and they're they're all on film, and they also have a projector. Oh, uh, yeah, it's so too great. bad. Um, I w- I would probably refer you to MM, but I don't. I think she like uh, resigned her head position <laughs> recently. I think she's retiring or she's focusing more on her filmmaking now. So, uh, but I don't know. Maybe I can still ask her uh, if there's somebody that can get you in because it's it's in a weird building. Like it's in a very corporate building. And you have to take an elevator to get up there. So um, you can't just show up. Like, yeah, to like say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the filmmaker's code. But it's great. Like um, the the storage room that they have, which is temperature controlled. There's a sweater there by uh, that's owned by a... Uh, it was Carolee Sheenaman. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She's another incredible experimental filmmaker. Also around James Benning's um, uh, generation. She she passed a, f- a couple years ago. But her sweater, I think, is still there. Because it gets cold in that room. So um, my friend who used to work there, she said that she would put on Carol Carol Ishino and sweater. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give me the hookup, Carlo. Come on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I'll, I'll give you some New York um, like tips, too, of like things to check out. Yes, please. For sure. That sounds great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, weird sidetrack. But, you know, relating to Benning's bio, he also had like a New York period. So, uh, but we're... Before we get to that part, yeah, the the one film I and I shared this with you both of you, um, and I think it's the best collaboration that he did with Betty Gordon. And I remember I saw this film actually at a Betty Gordon uh, retrospective, not a James Benning retrospective, but it was fascinating to get her perspective on it, you know. And also, you know, uh, this was a film I'd been seeking out for a long time because it was so hard to find. Um, but yeah, it got like restored, like maybe I think last year or two years ago, and yeah, it looks amazing. And this is the United States of America from 1975. Um, So yeah, Kay, what did you think of this movie? This movie is so good. And it, it he talks about it a little bit um, in one of the documentaries that we'll discuss as well. And I'm so glad I watched that before watching this because it gave nice. some really good insight. Um, like specifically, it's uh, when he's talking about the shot at the Grand Canyon, like when they get out and it's just this very kind of like in and out way of experiencing the world that he's trying to deconstruct in his films. And so I really kind of approach it with that perspective of like how it's a commentary on the consumerism of American culture where it's like we're surrounded by all of these things and it's just about like checking it off a list almost like yes I've been there right. done that seen it cool Grand Canyon great let's get back in the car and keep going <laughs> and so I thought it was just like so interesting and what it's only like it's like just under 30 minutes it's like 25 right. six minutes something like that and yeah he just fits so much in so it's like not only an encapsulation of america in the 70s through the music and everything that you hear on the radio the little sound clips and stuff yeah but it's a larger reflection of american culture that remains today that is that is so kind of like 
closed off and individualistic in your experience and when you are outside it's like very brief um I think there's like another moment where they get out of the car and that's also very brief it just kind of cuts away um so yeah I, I thought it was just like so smart and so sharp and it, it it's a great introduction to Benning as you'd mentioned because um it kind of sets you up for getting used to like reading between the lines because there's nothing that really happens in this like you're seeing through the car window but there's no strict narrative but it's very clear at the same time like what their intention is so it kind of gets you into the mindset of like it's not necessarily slow cinema but it's a little bit more abstracted um yeah you you don't even see their faces yeah exactly it's like you're you're basically put in the perspective of sitting in the back seat in between them so you're seeing through the front windshield and you're seeing their silhouettes um but that's yeah that's the perspective it's it's so good i recommend it yeah Yeah. and it's just uh, i think I, i said in my review that like it it's kind of it's calling back to his early work, but it's also projecting forward because of you know um, you know the landscapes, and he obviously revisits a lot of uh, landmarks in the U.S. Um, throughout his career. But it's just funny to see it like through different perspectives. So this one, you know, there's this inherent excitement of just being in the car and the landscape is like moving past you, you know. But getting just used to like that fixed position. And it's funny. I, I is the documentary you're referring to the the Richard Linklater one, um, or is it circling the image? Circling the, the image, yeah, because there's yeah. a segment in that where he goes to the Grand Canyon again and oh. talks about like being there and climbing up and down and how gotcha. it's like yeah, much more immersive. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just funny because um, uh, I guess the reason why I thought of Richard Linklater was you know originally richard linklater's like idea for um dazed and confused was that it was all going to take place in cars that you never left the cars in the movie yeah like that was his original invention and i was like <laughs> really i would have loved to have seen that version i mean i don't know it's just like you know even the part where you know they're hanging outside the pool hall and then you just see it from the car perspective like passing by or like um the revenge on obannon <laughs> uh but yeah uh yeah it's just a funny connection that they have and and this movie um yeah there's just so, so many things that you notice uh like after repeat viewings like one thing is like, like he showed the continental bar um which you know is iconic in taxi driver but he shows it like during the daytime you know um and uh yeah there's almost no evening shots in the movie too like un- until i i think they get to like reno and i think that's uh that was intentional because you know reno is obviously such a bright city um with all its lights so they can shoot easier at night but yeah it's just it's such a fascinating film and like the the other thing about them like being this artistic power couple and just to hear like betty gordon you know talk about it because i don't think james benning does (laughs) he and he never he's so open about his life but like in terms of his relationship to Betty Gordon, there's no almost no discussion of it. Um, and with Betty Gordon, she she doesn't like get too detailed about it, but it 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 does kind of. And this is what I said in my review too was that I feel like this is definitely more of an intro to to James Benning's work than it is Betty Gordon's work because Betty Gordon definitely wanted to move more towards narrative, and you can see it in her features like Variety you know, that she definitely wanted to make films that were a little more um, conventional. Whereas this is, yeah, it's a good primer for Benning. Um, 
and uh yeah there's there's even like um another kind of i guess precursor is the there's a train that passes too right <laughs> in one shot <laughs> and they help hold it for so long so it's like a precursor to to rr um the other thing that's fascinating about it is that uh you know all the sound k is was added in post like they, <laughs> yeah none of the sound was synced because um they wanted to intentionally like cue it to basically be oh okay so we're playing this you know this particular top 40 hit as we enter you know this part of the landscape and i don't know did you see denver anywhere along the road trip i'm wondering because I, I i didn't recognize anything I don't think so. If if he did show Denver, I didn't recognize it. Um, I would have to look back and look very closely for it. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a movie that you can rewatch. I mean, being under half an hour and yeah, just all the, the discoveries, you know. I mean, they're, they're also just driving the perfect car, I feel, because the windshield is like a great frame. I mean, one of the hardest things is shooting in like modern cars because the windshields just don't capture everything. Like I feel like windshields in older cars were a lot bigger then. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a great view. It's it's a really beautiful film. It's yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. Why not? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, um Steve, you saw this film as well? Yeah, thanks for for forwarding this one to me. Yeah, like you know, I'm I'm coming in cold. I I don't know much about Benning at all. Interesting. And so being able to watch this, the thing that really stood out was that um you really feel the connection, or at least I did, between James and Betty. Yeah. Through there, there's something about hanging out with them for that, you know, how long is the movie? Maybe half, half an hour. Less than a half hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's something about just being there with them. And you know they're not, you know, they're not necessarily interacting too much. Um, there's something about the passage of time and the passage yeah. of of states and everything. You feel, can, you feel like, wow, th these people really. I don't know. You feel a love in in a way that's like it's hard to it's hard to kind of yeah. articulate. And you know, and so much of these movies, they kind of occur in your mind, as opposed to fully happening on what you're watching it you know like because it's because you're because there's no dialogue you're you know you're just along for the ride um you know you're just imagining what are they seeing what are they experiencing you're and your brain is allowed to kind of wander and so you're yeah it's like it kind of it definitely breaks that wall where you're kind of in it and um, right and then i guess the, the other thing it's just um you know just the way it's shot you know, you're so we're so used to seeing the faces of the drivers or the two person shot, you know, that is in a lot of like Tarantino films. And um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of nice to experience this kind of cinema from this perspective. It's not, you know, uh, it's just it's very unique. Yeah. yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I almost feel like it, it, I guess, being a foreigner, like the the American road trip is like a necessary thing. I mean, have you guys taken road trips? Like what's the longest road trip either of you have taken? Oh, do you want to go first, Steve? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I've uh so my longest road trip was from the Bay Area to Asheville here. Whoa. So that was a, a good yeah. 4-day trip. I did 3 stops. Uh minivan full of stuff. <laughs> you um, and the fam. No, the, the fam actually flew, so I. Oh drew. wow! You you went solo. 
So it was just me solo bolo with a bunch of stuff and a ton of podcasts and like <laughs> audiobooks. Um and it was really it was really enjoyable. You know, I took the the Interstate 80 route, so I kind of went through Reno and Salt Lake City, Wyoming, through Nebraska, then down into like Kansas City, St. Louis, Nashville, up into North Carolina. So it it was a fun route to go and you really see the landscape change similar to this movie and um and maybe that's why i you know you know i was able to kind of put myself in it in in the rewatch because you know you know that that road trip wasn't too long ago and um you can't help but just uh have a lot of fond memories of something like that even though you're you know your back is hurting and you know the whole deal right and so you were your stops just practical stops just like to rest um, or um basically like yeah have... so oh, okay yeah I, you know i stayed with with some friends in uh salt lake city but then like i picked a spot in nebraska that was a good like midpoint and then i stopped at st louis uh, like I, I got a hotel room right next to the arch so that nice was yeah and you see that nice. in the movie yeah. too you see the arch yeah. <laughs> in united states yeah. of america um the, the, but the main thing i was you know j- you just notice is just all the walmarts you know and... <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's what America's become. Oh yeah. man, yeah, Walmart in every state. But you know, um, actually, they've they've successfully kept Walmart out of uh, New York City. There's no Walmarts in New York City. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a Kmart. That was the amazing thing. Like that Kmart held out for a while. Yeah, but uh, no Walmart. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Cool. Um. So, how about you, Kay? What was the longest road trip that you've taken? Oh yeah, I mean, I well, I grew up here in Denver. I've lived here my whole life, so I mean, a classic American road trip is something that I did a lot growing up. Um, it's mm. like the main way that my family would take vacations and stuff. So it was like multiple times a year, maybe two, three times a year when I was a kid, we would go. You know, sometimes it was just like next door to Nebraska or New Mexico or something. But then sometimes we would go all the way down to like Houston or we would go to Iowa. Um, I think the longest road trip I took just by myself solo driving was up to Missoula, Montana. Um, wow. Yeah. And that was oh, that was pretty long. Um, it was like a multi-day trip, but it was great, especially just by myself driving through like the open expanse of Wyoming and then into Montana, which is a beautiful, beautiful state. Um, so that was great. And then another long one I did was uh, for my birthday a couple of years ago, I flew into LA and rented a car and drove. Oh, up. wow. Yeah, I drove up uh, the coastline all the way up to Eureka. And then I hiked the Redwoods for a couple wow. days and then I drove back down. Whoa. Yeah, I stayed in San Francisco for like a day um, on my way up and on my way back down too and then I stayed in Los Angeles for a day like when I arrived and when I left so it was like a whole California adventure for me and it was like coming out of COVID so I was like I just need to get the heck out of here Um, (laughs) and yeah so I saw um, I saw Big Sur for the first time the Redwoods all of that it was it was beautiful so yeah I've done a lot of road trips So, (laughs) so you do have like some touchstones to these locations that uh, Benning basically comes back to several times in his his films. Yeah, yeah, it, it it added a very personal element a lot of the time. Um, and I, you know, growing up here in Colorado too, just like being in nature and hiking and stuff is is big. So, um, you know, going out and hiking for a few hours and then sitting at the peak of a mountain and just looking at the vista is is something that I'm accustomed to. So his films speak to me in a personal way there as well. Wow. 
Oh, that's great. And yeah, I mean, I, it goes without mentioning, too, how, like, the car really figures um, a lot in Benning's films. Like, that's basically how he gets access to these locations is by driving around. And he's willing to drive those those long distances. But a lot of his films tend to to stick on the West Coast. He doesn't he doesn't move further east, despite his like uh, New York um, like period in his his filmmaking. And yeah, I guess um, I would say too, my uh, the only road trip that I've actually taken, I took with my dad. And it, funnily enough, it was in your neck of the woods. Okay, we drove to um, to Telluride. Oh, cool! Uh, and we passed through Denver. Yeah, yeah, for the film festival. This was like in 07. And that was a great festival. Like I, I met Werner Herzog there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there, he was. Um, he was playing Encounters at the End of the World, and uh, it was his birthday that day. <laughs> the screening too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. it's funny because that's that was only the first time I met him, but I also met him a second time. So oh my gosh! But that's another story for another. I am absolutely day. green with envy. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Okay. Where were you in 07? Uh, like. You should... <laughs> Bedroom at my parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> Should have gone up to tell you right, snuck out, and oh, you know what yeah. sucks is I have some friends going up this year, but tickets sold out in like an hour. I wasn't able to get it's a ticket. Wild. Yeah, so oh, I'm not man. gonna be able to go. Yeah. I have a friend who's oh. projecting up there too. Oh well. Wow, they they can't get you the hookup. No, like, well, I mean, projecting? they did tell me that like I could sleep on their floor, <laughs> and that I could like you know they do some free like public screenings, and so they were like, you sure, should come yeah. up anyway, and I was like. I don't know, a seven-hour drive to sleep on your floor and maybe see a couple mm. movies sounds kind of tight, but, like, also kind of not. So <laughs> maybe <laughs> right. next year. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I am curious. It, it is a fascinating festival, too, because it's, like, it takes place at the same time as the Toronto Film Festival, so it kind of gets overshadowed. But, yeah, it's its own thing. Like, I love that town. Um I love the gondola that they, they boast it as like the only free public transportation in all of America. <laughs> and um, and yeah, the town really, yeah, yeah. And they, they really come out. The The town's really down for it. I know like one of the screening uh, theaters is actually like a high school gymnasium that they convert, cool. which is great. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's actually like legit theaters there too. And there's a, I hope that video store is still there. I mean that would be great if it was still there, but yeah, it was it was a great experience. Like it was really fun, and yeah, the other thing that I love too is that they don't have um VIP status in the festival. You know, like people, other people was like, oh, you get to skip the line. They're like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're Sean Penn or you're Werner Herzog, you line up with everybody else. Get in the queue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's a great time to like uh, chat with them. But yeah, when I met Herzog, it was actually because I was I was trying to get into his um, encounters at the end of the world. Uh, screening and you know so you're basically waiting to get in um, because yeah it's like first come first serve um, and I was one of the last people to be let in so I was like just standing there with him as he was waiting to be introduced uh, <laughs> uh, you know to introduce his movie so uh, it was great. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I just did the math and I was like 13. So definitely mm. I was not <laughs> like free. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able that. to sneak out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny how all our like our road trips are connected somehow through California. Yeah. Like we all like came from California. And you know, it it's funny, Steve, because I've been actually talking with like relatives about like making that road trip from here to you because you know there is that freeway that connects us it's the 10 you know i can basically like take that freeway most of the way 
uh, totally to get to you. So yeah, maybe That'd be sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a plan, and maybe I can do a James Benning piece <laughs> along the yeah. way. H- hook yeah. up like a GoPro, yeah, or something. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> All right, so going back to Benning, he basically. Yeah, split up with Betty Gordon. They went their own ways. Benning kind of went further in his his filmmaking, and he made his his first feature, uh, which has a very enigmatic title, um, eleven by fourteen. Um, and I was initially like baffled by this m- title. I was like, "What does that mean?" And then you know, just knowing his connection to math, like eleven times fourteen, one hundred forty, uh, fifty four. Like, I don't, I, I didn't understand. And then I, I realized like, oh, it's because he has another short film called 8.5 by 11. And I'm like, yeah, that's like the size of paper. And I realized, oh, 11 by 14 is a picture frame. You know, that's like a standard size for a picture frame. So um, he makes this first feature. Uh, it's already kind of uh, for your first film. There's already things that are he's establishing but it has a narrative weirdly enough but it's a very oblique narrative um and yeah i just rewatched this recently and like i saw the new restoration for it it looks incredible like um the the previous screenings i i've been to to see it like the the prints had been faded so just to like see it like in full color like you really saw what he intended and this is something that benning talks about too because you know the majority of his filmography before like 2009 was all shot on 16 millimeter and he was saying like oh yeah maybe my movies would look better you know shot in 70 millimeter IMAX or 35 millimeter but uh you know it's like but he wouldn't be able to shoot it the way he does which is that you know he says he has to be able to like get in and out of places quickly he often like doesn't shoot with permits and it's funny even like his soundtrack choices sometimes like yeah I mentioned the top 40 um hits you know he doesn't clear the rights for those yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna use this piece of music whether they like it or not, and they can sue me or whatever. But I, I've never heard that happen. I guess basically because the, the screenings are so niche. Like, who shows up? Like a music executive is like, oh, I want to see a James Benning movie, you know. And then his whole rule now, um, because uh, yeah, I, I met him, and we'll get to that. Um, uh, he, he told me that he, yeah, he actually like, um he'll allow his movies to be screened anywhere but the rule is you have to bring him out there <laughs> so if you're you're playing it in new york you have to fly him out to new york to be with the movie and i think that's so much like a big part of attending a, a james benning movie is actually him being there and giving context to it you know and it's like well you know the movie should be be able to explain itself speak for itself all that thing but no going to a, a screening with james benning present and the Q&As are incredible. You know, he has, like, funny stories. He's a very funny guy. Actually, does the thing. Like, we're talking about these movies, like, they're very structured. Um, but, like, yeah, he's, he's he comes from math. But he actually has a great sense of humor. I mean, uh, he, he's a great follow on Facebook. <laughs> it's just, yeah, he's really funny. Like, you can add him on Facebook, actually, and he'll add you back. <laughs> like, he, he's just open to everybody. Right. Uh, the only thing that he does, though... Um, is that there's, I wish like sort of like how people save like, uh, Paul Schrader's Facebook posts. Like I wish somebody would do that for James Benning because, uh, he, he has them like basically disappear after like a couple of days. So anything he posts, it just is gone. There's no history of anything he's posted, but yeah, he's, he's a really funny guy. And, um, yeah, Kay, you actually went to a screening, 
uh, of his and you like um got to meet him as well yeah i did oh my gosh it was mm. the most dramatic day because i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know about the screening until that morning and it was sold wow out. and because oh, it was no. like in this tiny it was at the smallest screening room of this local theater of course because like there's not a lot of demand mm. it's like a 40 person theater and yeah. i had some friends who work there and i just remember frantically texting them like you guys don't understand like please could i just stand like in the background like i promise will be so quiet like let me stand off to the side and they're like they're yeah. like we'll get back to you and so all day I was at work just like constantly checking my phone like oh my gosh my gosh and my friend just my Man. friend eventually texted me and he's like he's like well why don't you just come down here and you know we'll see if if there's any empty seats and you know what's so insane is hardly anybody showed up I was so disappointed Whoa. I know right I was like you crazy people um yeah yeah so it's just like this 40 person theater and maybe half of it was full which i mean was good for me because i was able to get in and get a great seat and like have mm. like i was able to ask him some questions and everything but uh yeah it was a very uh very memorable day memorable day for that reason <laughs> Wow, yeah. yeah, and just imagine all, all the build up towards it, the high stress and then, <laughs> you know, finally getting in and then, and then finally there's not getting hardly anybody. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah, but uh, no, I'm just wondering, like that's that's a strange thing that, you know, like certain theaters will sell out for screenings and then they don't show up. Like that's just strange to me, especially for something so niche. Like I mean, in New York City, obviously there's these things where it's like, oh, this movie's like a hot ticket, so people buy tickets, but what I always imagine, like something like MoMA, for example, like a lot of people walk out of these these screenings, you know. So it's just like, man, I just know, like when a, a screening is sold out, like man, that one of those tickets was at least wasted, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's disappointing because yeah, you would assume that if people got a ticket to this, they would know who he is and not want to miss the right. chance. But who knows? Um, but yeah, he screened. Um, he screened two moons and Alan's mm. worth, uh, and it was, oh, it was wow. so yeah. great. Yeah, it was beautiful. Okay. Yeah, well, we can we can probably get into those two movies later on. They're much um, later in. Yeah, they're they're yeah, more recent. Yeah, we're in definitely. His filmography. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just, mo yeah. Mo yeah, it is funny because most of his films, um, like that, uh, get screened are his current films because he's so prolific. But you know, I I think there's definitely, um, th there needs to be more of screening of the older stuff especially with these restorations going on and I'll, I'll i'll get into why why these restorations are making the rounds and how great that is um when we get there but um yeah so when when he made his first feature um 11 by 14 it's this experimental like narrative um film uh the narrative is very 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 um uh oblique as i said like you know th there's a murder that happens in the movie and it's like when I first saw it, I was like, "When did that happen?" Like, <laughs> I, I completely missed it. And, you know, maybe this is like the the skinnamarink kind of oblique approach. Um, yeah, and the move, the, the the shots, you know, are beautiful. Obviously, he's like creating, especially with this restoration. You can see like they're they look like postcards. Uh, but he also moves the camera, which is strange, you know, to see him like pan in certain shots. Um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, he, he, he was still like kind of finding himself, but you can already see like, you know, and, you know, people consider this to be a masterpiece. But I think the movie he made after this was is even better. It's um, it's called Grand Opera. It's like an American or uh, what is the I keep blanking on the subtitle. 
It's like called Grand Opera a historical and historical romance. romance. Uh, oh, and geez, historical romance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just this um yeah, this beautiful film that feels like it's um it's a summation of of all his his short work and and the feature. I mean, literally it is because there's actually like a sped up version of the United States of America in it. Like he crams it in. Like, you know, it's already a 30-minute film, but then he does like a basically like a a 5-minute version of it that's sped up. <laughs> and yeah, that's the other thing that's shocking about it, you know, cuz considering that um, and this is something actually I might bristle against later on is um, that, you know, he is synonymous with slow cinema. Like this movie is fast. Like it, it's an hour and a half, but like there's so much crammed in it. And like there's a lot of experimental edits that kind of I think this is more um, the influence of uh, one of his peers, uh, Hollis Frampton, who's also like a mathematician. Um, and so, you know, I think Hollis Frampton's style is more like this style of like kinetic, but then you see images that are, you know, things that you see in later Benning films, like oil derricks in it. And then, you know, just having that remix of, of United States of America in it. And like, I, I remember I'd been putting off this movie for a while because I was just like, yeah, it's, it's one of his earlier films and like only crappy copies existed. And, um, uh, when I when it got a DVD release with um, paired with strangely enough with um, the film I wanted to see O Panama with uh, Willem Dafoe, which we can get into in his New York period, um, uh, he uh, yeah I just watched it on a whim and I was completely surprised. I was like, man, yeah, this is like one of the best Benning films. Like to me, this is like up there. This is like top tier Benning, you know. Um, yeah, so in the 80s, he kind of ended up in New York. Uh, he got involved with the art crowd there. Um, and uh, this is when he's basically like doing a lot. He's starting to establish work that's like based on fact, um, but not quite documentary. Like, you know, he basically he made a, a movie about Ed Gein, who is a famous um. <laughs> Oh yeah, serial killer suicide. Yeah. yeah, um, it was like Ed Gein and another killer. Um, she was like a female killer, and he made like a fictional version of it. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, so yeah, he he adapted that, but it's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, or Psycho. You know, it's like it, it, it's mainly uh, um, like uh, what people are actually. There's this whole subgenre on YouTube that people are obsessed with is these interrogation videos. Yeah. So yeah, so he kind of does a version like that, but it's like actors playing them, um, and then it, it's deliberately made to look artificial. Like even the way he lights it, like he lights it in a way that makes their makeup look caked on. Like you know, it's really fascinating. And then you know, maybe it's commenting on the fact that you know they're also like kind of the living dead in a way. And then um, he also made a film that I, I find very hard to follow <laughs> called um, American Dreams. Which was, uh, yeah, then this is another pattern that continues through his career where he always has like a counter edge to something kind of um, celebratory. So, you know, he's basically celebrating the life of Hank Aaron through baseball cards and all the records that he's like, you know, establishing through his career. But then there's this text um, running along the movie and narration, which makes it hard to follow. That's what makes it hard to follow for me. And the text is basically from Arthur Bremer's diaries. And uh, Arthur Bremer, I think, was like another... Was he a serial killer? Or I think he was a gunman. Like, he definitely, like, committed the mass shooting 
Um, so like, yeah, there's always like this contrast between the two and this comes up time and again in his work. And then, yeah, he, he made a film with like, I guess the biggest movie star, um, but maybe not at the time he was more accessible, but yeah, he made a film with Willem Dafoe, um, called Oh Panama. And it's only a short film and it, it's his only, I think like legit fiction film. And I think, yeah, because it has Willem Dafoe in it. And then also, yeah, it does have narrative, but it's also bleak. It's about actually, like, kind of Willem Dafoe cooped up in his apartment and he's sick. So he's having, like, these fever dreams. Um, And it's only half an hour long. He collaborated with Burt Barr, I think, making this film. And it's actually, like, the perfect sick film. So if you're ever feeling sick, (laughs) like, watch O Panama. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 and, and he's having these these fever dreams, and yeah, great Willem Dafoe performance. Like, I think, yeah, I didn't even know this movie existed until like, yeah, they did the restoration for it. So that would be a pretty good letterbox list. Yeah. Oh Six yeah, Sick yeah. Oh yeah, I was I was thinking about that too because I I thought like Cloud Atlas was also great to be a sick film you know yeah that that, that would be another one so breakfast what is it movies for oh, breakfast yeah, movies for breakfast <laughs> and sick movies no not yeah those would be two great yeah. lists i think Absolutely. i do want to give uh k has a list called wet shoes oh, yeah. what is that about what is wet shoes about that list it's okay so it kind of started as a joke because i have mm. this pet peeve about like getting my shoes wet like it's the most uncomfortable <laughs> feeling in the world yeah, it's to awful. like step in a yeah. puddle right and so mm-hmm. i started noticing in movies how often people will like walk through water with their shoes on and so i started making a <laughs> list of people either standing in or walking oh. through water with their shoes on it so it's called wet shoes and it's a very eclectic <laughs> list it ranges from like lord of the rings to like weird mm. experimental shorts jaws jaws yeah, yeah so i mean <laughs> groundhog day has to be on this list right because that's such a pivotal scene oh my gosh i don't think i've seen groundhog day since i was like a oh, kid really? oh man yeah yeah because yeah. that that's a, a a big one because he he always steps in this puddle so he kind of realizes oh, oh shit now i gotta skip it you know now i know because you know he's done it so many times yeah <laughs> yeah that list has so, jaws yeah. right next to house that jack built um so it's like <laughs> nice. it's very all over the place but yeah the yeah. common thread is everybody steps in water with their shoes on <laughs> yeah i can definitely see the parallel between uma thurman and the shark though her scene <laughs> and house that jack built is incredible oh man um uh, i forgot to mention that um the United States of America actually got a sequel called also confusingly called the United States of America. So you only yeah. can really distinguish them by the year. And I think, uh, yeah, it's 2022. And um, uh, the, the unique thing that he did with this time around, he didn't shoot it um, through the same perspective of the car. But the other thing was he never left California because this was like still kind of pandemic time. So his travel was very limited. Um. So what he did was he stayed in California and he found places that evoked all the other 51 states. Um, so he found a way to represent all 52 states in one state in California. Oh. So, um, yeah, so every shot is like supposed to be like a reflection of something. And I, I saw a clip on YouTube. I, I really want to see it. Like, it was a crazy thing. Like, um, you know, being here in California, obviously I have the access to the most James Benning screenings because he's always holding them and you know he's local here um but uh yeah it's just sometimes i 
have to like really get myself up to drive ironically enough to really want to go to LA and go yeah. through all that find parking and yeah um yeah so it's it's been a while since I've seen a James Benning um uh film in the in the theater yeah. I mean even yeah I would say pre-pandemic you know um it does seem like driving to one of his films it is like that's already part of the movie oh like, yes like well, the experience. well let yeah. me tell you guys like my last experience of trying to go see one of his films oh, yeah, so okay. um this was i think 2021 um uh he was doing a screening of 10 skies because there was a book published by um i think it was by erica balsam um so to tie into the book launch they were going to do a screening uh, to tie in with that and then you know you could buy the book at the screening obviously have them sign it um and so i was gonna i was supposed to go to that screening um but i got into a car accident um oh in my own yeah in my own parking lot like i was just leaving my parking lot uh in front of the house and um i got hit <laughs> by a car like reversing out of his spot and my car got the worst of it because <laughs> he he was driving a Silverado and I had like a crappy Honda Fit, and <laughs> you know the Honda Fit just like took the brunt, uh, and the, that basically meant yeah I'm not gonna go see that screening. <laughs> so Dang. yeah, but you know I, I was unscathed because I was going like five miles an hour, but it's just because you know it's like that immovable mm -hmm. object truck, that I, <laughs> and I guess my Honda Fit is the unstoppable force. But yeah, so. Um, <laughs> I guess I still haven't recovered, but yeah, I, I'm I'm on the lookout. Like, if there's another James Benning screening, I mean, you mentioned Kay Allensworth. I think that's doing the rounds right now, so I definitely want to go see that um, when he does. Or you know, he's so prolific; he always has something new coming out. So you know, and I I feel like um well we'll get to it when in his chronology. So um yeah, but, it, uh, go ahead. Well, see. yeah, I'm curious. For both of you, what's your experience kind of watching these, especially like, mm. like the longer ones? It sounds like for Carlo, you're able to kind of get out and see it as a screening. Yeah. But um, but I'm, I'm guessing some you probably also are watching at home or you know, on yeah, Blu-ray I mean, or something. Yeah, the the majority. Yeah. Yeah, like, are you able to kind of lock in and just kind of watch it like in one fell swoop? Are you kind of moving around and getting fidgety? <laughs> like, like what's what's your experience? Okay. Like. Cause like it, it, for me, it's 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 sometimes I kind of need a break. Okay. And so I'm just That's curious, what's your experiences? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I I I'm curious to hear what Kay has to say too. But like, I I think it I, that is something we probably should have established early on of like just getting into slow cinema and all of that. That yeah, it does require like an adjustment. You know, uh, it it took a while. I remember too, like. I guess one of the first movies where I really struggled watching, and now to me it's like one of the most accessible of his works, is um, is Werkmeister Harmonies by by Bellatar. Like I could not get past the first two shots of that movie. Like I just really struggled because it's like all one take, you know, and it just it just requires that that adjustment initially. But you know, after a while, you know, when you've seen a few of them, you're like, oh, this isn't too bad. And actually, like the next. A group of movies that I want to discuss with Benning's work. Uh, yeah, I just watched them again recently, and yeah, the, it's a totally different experience now from when I first watched it. And you know, we'll break down what it is and what the formula or the theory was that was driving it. Or no, actually, I should say, if we're being true to his mathematics origin, what his proof was of getting there. You know, um, 
Yeah, because uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll get there. So yeah, how about UK? Like, what is it for you? What's the experience of like watching a, a slow contemplative film? Yeah, I think or Benny. I think it's it's very important to outline the fact that like these films do take time to adjust to, like you said, um, and it it does make them somewhat difficult to recommend to people, even though they're so good, because you kind of have to have um, a little bit of practice I want to say in watching these kinds of films because it is very easy to get fidgety especially if you're coming from watching stuff like Die Hard you know like it takes time to readjust and I think um, for me having seen like you mentioned like Bellatar and that kind of stuff helped a little bit Um, so I kind of knew like how to shift into um, a more patient mindset but I also think um Something that we kind of miss touching on in terms of his influence is um, is art installation and really approaching it from an artistic standpoint. So right. when I was first starting to get into more like durational cinema, I started to view it very much like that. Like if I was in a museum and you know how some museums have like a little room where you can go in and see these films. So I kind of approached it like that, like as an art installation Mm. piece almost like sit with it meditate with it and it's also like very okay for people who are getting into these to like yeah pause it get up stretch your legs like it's not going to be something where like you have to punish yourself and sit here through (laughs) 13 lakes for two and a half hours and if you get up you're not a real cinephile like that's not right exactly yeah I I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's realistic it takes time um and so something that I actually do a lot when I watch movies Denning or otherwise is I really love knitting and that's part of why I don't snack a lot when I watch <laughs> movies too so that kind of helps oh, like with my fidgeting so um oh, yeah I'll just cool. sit and like mm. knit and with with Benning stuff too um I I tend to prefer to like watch them with headphones just because it is so much about like atmosphere right. and soundscape um I have a pretty good setup here like analog speakers and everything but some things just really benefit from that so I think it's kind of like the mental part of like I'm sitting down I'm putting my headphones on I'm going to experience this thing um but yeah definitely having something to do with my hands helps so mm. uh if if mm. if somebody is listening to this and they're interested in getting into these films but they feel intimidated you know like yeah maybe try something like 13 lakes watch two of the shots and like just see how it feels like i think it's it's important to like warm yourself up to it and, and don't expect to click have it click right away but just keep giving yourself the chances because i think eventually like you will find something to latch on to that feels very personal and that's when it really starts to like unlock and open right. up um so yeah that's kind of my approach is just like you know make a pot of tea get my knitting pop headphones on and and i'm in it so yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's really, really wonderfully put, Kay. I think, you know, the, you, you said yeah. it very succinctly. And I mean, I, just to add to it, um, from Benning's perspective, I always thought that he he refused his films to be shown at home or like, you know, um, streamed, even though, you know, they have been streamed. They were actually streamed, I think, on Fandor a while back. <laughs> like, you know, that's, yeah, that's the closest that they've been to streaming. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, no. Wait, sorry, I'm I'm wrong. They they some of them did show up on um on Criterion, uh, channel because yeah the, yeah the United States of America was on there. That's how I saw it initially that new restoration. But 
I really thought that that was his like kind of strict thing that you could only see it in the theater because you know that really makes you focus and I think that definitely helps if you if you're just in the theater yeah. then yeah there's no escape I mean you could walk out if you wanted to but like you know I think there there's just you know less distraction you know like I think yeah we're it, it is an interesting um thing to bring up with his films because everybody's like double screening most of the time these days that you know it's like um yeah th- that's not gonna help like you're not gonna get into these movies you know if you have your phone out at the same time like you know it's just not gonna work for it and i think yeah watching them at night definitely helps and i guess that's why i asked you that question earlier Kay, about what's a good daytime movie oh, because yeah. that yeah that's what i have trouble with i have trouble watching a lot of movies during the day because it's just like with the sunlight out it's just like i can't focus like um yeah i mean i could never watch a james benning film during the daytime like i think yeah they have to be nighttime unless it's in the theater so it's like completely dark but yeah he he also talks about just like how you know you you brought up 13 lakes it's like would you really like spend 10 minutes just watching a body of water so it's like he says it's like entering a contract with the audience that it's like okay i'm gonna have you sit there for 10 minutes just contemplating this lake you know i mean that is actually one of the few bending films i haven't seen and it's one of the big ones um because yeah it uh, it was paired with 10 skies um but yeah when they screened 10 skies the one i was supposed to go to they they didn't have 13 lakes um but that's the one like yeah if if they announce like oh there's gonna be like even right now i would end the show i'd be like okay i gotta (laughs) i gotta go see 13 lakes Yeah, Yeah. I mean, obviously a theater is going to enhance his films, as they would any, but, like, especially his, because it forces you to stay in that meditative Mm, place. But, you know, like you said, not everybody's going to have that opportunity. And so I just feel like if if somebody is willing to open themselves up to try these films, go easy on yourself, but also Mm. know that, like, it if you are able to turn your phone off or put it on Do Not Disturb and, like, really focus, like it's kind of like cheating on a test. Like you're only really detracting from yourself. Like you can sit there Mm. on your phone and scroll through social media while shots of lakes play in the background and then be like, okay, I watched it, but you're not really, you're missing the point. And so it's like, yeah, you know, and, and if you find that you can only get yourself into that mindset for like little bits at a time, then start there. But just know that like his stuff is, is designed to be atmospheric, to be meditative and, yeah, just work your way up to it. Um, but see it in the theater if you can. See every movie in a yeah, theater if you can. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely like that piecemeal approach to, to it. And I mean, you know, the, his work is, is very available in the sense that you can find stuff on YouTube. And they're like really good quality now. And he was actually asked that at a and a He's like, do you mind that your stuff is just like on YouTube for everybody to see? And he's like, his response was... Um, sharing is caring <laughs> i like that <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what he said yeah so he doesn't care because i mean you know we'll we'll get into it as as we move on with his career but like he also has stolen work of others as well um so he, he yeah he doesn't care it's 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 a form of sharing and i mean you know even i guess his use of of certain songs and not clearing the rights for it is is a way of, of taking and redistributing 
in a way. Um, yeah, because it's all but, such an artistic approach. Like, he's not a commercial filmmaker. Like, he's not trying to make no. money doing this. Like, he's an artist yeah. first. Like you said, he's an artist who uses the medium of film. And I actually watched stuff like Spiral Jetty and, like, the art, like, the land art films mm. that inspired him a little bit, too, that he mentions. Um, like, I think in one of the docs, he specifically mentions Robert Smithston. Smithson. 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 Bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it's, like, important to understand, like, that element. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, actually, I think this is a good point to get into the, the two documentaries because, you know, since Steve brought up the point, um, I think the documentaries are also a good way of, like, dipping your toe in if you don't want to go, like, directly at Benning. And there's two documentaries that are both excellent in their own way, but they're they're two different approaches. So one, um, Double Play, is more like, I guess, if you're into Richard Linklater, it, here's an avenue to get into Benning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's just basically like a hangout movie. And then uh, the other movie, which is a little more like, I guess, behind the scenes. I mean, you know, Benning is known for working alone and being alone in these places but he actually allowed a film crew a tv crew to like follow him they they were from this network in germany called um Dreisat. and uh yeah so they followed him around while he was making 13 lakes and you really get like a uh, perspective on how his working methods are even though you know i think he might have been a little conscious of the crew following him around but then also you know there's, there's this beautiful voiceover in it that like really explains how he feels about certain things you know like even just how he he talks about like how this landscape was like taken away from the natives and you know basically you know they we commit well americans committed genocide uh, and um you know in how he wrestles with that and like how his films all have like a political aspect to them and you know you can read it that way but then they can also be just like this calming relaxing thing but i always feel like there's an edge with every single one there's always something there with it like kind of it's not quite right you know um but yeah what did you think of these docs Kay? yeah um i will go ahead and start by talking about the circling the image one because i loved yeah. that yeah. one um i actually yeah. watched yeah, I love it, it too. twice um nice yeah because it, it's uh i think i watched it first when you first sent it what was that like mm -hmm. i i don't even remember what day that was everything is a blur time isn't real <laughs> uh, according to betting right. yourself time isn't real yeah um, it's like <laughs> present is a point that you can't define <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i watched it uh some time ago uh when you first uh -huh. sent it and then i i rewatched it uh i can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before just to kind of like get myself back into that mindset so i think if if somebody like isn't familiar with him like i would almost recommend yeah starting with one of these docs to get an understanding mm. of who he is and what he's trying to do otherwise it's just going to look like shots of b-roll basically um right. if you don't have a context but yeah so circling the image was very impactful on me um there were multiple times where I would just pause it and be like, mm, yes, like I feel that. Um, and I even took down some notes of moments that really oh. stuck, stuck out to me. Um, but like, 
it's it's just so before I get like too deep into anything like just in general it's so cool to see him go through his process like I loved the shots of him just standing out in the middle of nowhere like with his hands cupped around his ears just yes so that's such an indelible image yeah, yeah like that and it just really gives you a sense of of who this person is like as as a character mm. himself like this very unique mind just trying to kind of make art in in a world that is very um past this sort of art you know like we're in yeah. tiktok and and five second videos and <laughs> you know all this stuff and so the idea of of still going AI. out yeah exactly and and going out and like really trying to capture a natural element in an intellectual and engaging way i i, I think it's it just really speaks to like what a unique person he is um and yeah, like you kind of mentioned before about how he uh, in that in that film he's shooting on sixteen. It's it's uh, circling the images him finding the first two shots for thirteen lakes. Um, yeah. And so you know he talks about like how it's a very like it's a very um, I almost said lonely, and, I, and maybe that is the right mm. word. But he is kind of like this loner filmmaker. He yeah. goes out and does these things. Like he carries all the equipment himself. He he it's a very um personal thing to him um and i I, th I i really appreciated that and i loved the shots in that of him just like there's one shot of him just like sitting down and listening to music with a, gl a glass of juice and i was like that's oh, so yeah. oh yeah yeah that's early on he puts a cd on yeah. and it's funny did you notice like the first cd LTV. that was on top of his <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that yeah his, his yeah it's his daughter's band sadie benning oh, <laughs> she, cool. yeah. I didn't yeah she's yeah yeah so he's like yeah let me promote my daughter because he's obviously very proud of her i mean just yeah. a weird si a side note i guess aside so sadie benning is like an artist in her own right she's in this band la tigre but she also like kind of first became known because of her pixel vision shorts and it's funny because that the reason why she has a pixel vision camera is because of her dad like she always i guess wanted a film camera and then she said like one christmas like she thought that was it because it was like a box shaped like a film camera and then she was so disappointed that it was like this fisher price like toy camera but like she she basically started a revolution like pixel vision became like the thing in the early 90s for for indie filmmakers and you know you even see it in slacker yeah. richard linklater there's a whole segment i was gonna say yeah. yeah yeah it's one of my favorite bits in slacker is the the pixel vision part you know with the even the sound kind of becomes more distorted in that part um because i don't know if you're familiar k with how pixel vision works um okay so it records on cassette tape uh it records images on cassette tape which is insane yeah yeah, and that's how it looks. Um, the other thing is it actually only records silently, so you have to record sound separately from it. Um, and I forgot the length of time that you have on the cassette tape, but you can only use one side, so you can't flip it over. So it uses up the entire <laughs> cassette. And, you know, obviously for these filmmakers to use it, they, you know, you can't edit on cassette. You know, <laughs> there's no way to, like, splice it, like, determine exactly where that, that image lands. So you, they had to transfer it to 16 millimeter, blow it up, um, and then edit it. Um, so that's how, how they work with Pixel Vision. And I mean, you know, uh, the greatest use of Pixel Vision is obviously Michael Almereda, like his, what he's done with his films, like his short films, like uh, Rocking Horse Winner. And um, I mean, the uh, uh, Another Girl, Another Planet is just incredible. I think it's still the only feature that's like shot, um, you know, in completely in Pixel Vision. 
uh and it's it's incredible but yeah just a weird aside with <laughs> with sadie benning yeah and there's all yeah yeah so th there's all these little details in in the circling the image doc that i noticed like this time around like um when he leaves his office because uh, you know he teaches at cal arts and we'll, we'll get into that too in his chronology but um did you notice k the the film still that's on his door on the office Okay, well, it's it's a very famous experimental film, and a filmmaker passed away recently, actually, R.I.P. Uh, it's from Michael Snow's Wavelength. It's that, um, oh my god. Okay, speaking of movies you have to see in the theater, that's a movie you have to see in the theater. Do not, like, watch a digital, even if there's, like, a, a 4K restoration of it, watch it in the theater. Um... I, I remember, like, uh, I saw, I guess, like, a crappy YouTube copy of it, but then I was just like, I didn't, I don't get this. You know, again, skin and rink kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Uh, skin and rink is my reference from now on. But, um, yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> um, so, you know, like, but yeah, that was really it. Like, you have to see it projected on film, um, because that's so much a part of, like, its texture and, you know, because it's only really one shot. It's, it's, the way people describe it, it sounds like the most boring thing ever. It's like uh, it's a really slow zoom of like a 45 minute zoom into oh this room. God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's things going on. And then there's like things going on in the soundtrack, too. And I remember when I saw it in the theater at Anthology Archives, which should be one of your stops, uh, Kay, when you go to New York. Um, uh, so I remember uh, I, I basically made friends with with one of the projectionists at Anthology Archives. And she, she's actually originally from California, too. And, you know, like, the projectionist is, like, such a rare occupation these days. So she's, like, kind of in demand. Uh, so she, she actually gets, like, flown back to Cali to sometimes project films. But anyway, so I made friends with her. and uh, But sometimes she goes to, like, anthology screenings, even though, you know, um, she's the projectionist. Like, she goes as an audience member. So she sat next to me. And I just remember, like, there's a part, you know, because the wavelength of the title is basically, like, also the sound, the way that the sin wave rises. So it reaches, like, a crescendo. And I just remember, like, I almost felt like grabbing her hand um, when yeah. it reaches that peak. But then I realized, like, her hand wasn't there on the armrest because she was, like, holding her ears. Like, she was, <laughs> like, holding them close. You know, but, yeah, that was, like, my memory of Wavelength. So, yeah, I love that Benning had, like, a still of Wavelength on. So that's why you didn't recognize it, Kay, because you've never seen it. Um, yeah, but that's the famous room. And, like, you know, it, it is, like, one of the most, like, I think, iconic American. Well, he's Canadian, but... One of the most iconic experimental films ever made is, is Wavelength. But it should only be seen in the theater on film. Like, I think there's no other way to see it. Like, yeah, just no matter how good your setup is at home, it's just not going to be as good. Um, <laughs> Noted. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I loved those little moments where it, like, really puts mm. him in his in his environment. Because I, I was talking... Um, I was talking with a friend of mine about his stuff and it's like it's very easy for his films to come off as pretentious or for him to come off as sure. pretentious in what he's doing but it's like when you actually just like see him making his movies and going about his life and kind of like living in like he's not living in LA he's like living like outside of it, LA in California like this little town that used to be a resort and and it just like he's very he's living this very kind of like salt of the earth like very tangible 
lifestyle and I, I think it, it really sets him apart as a filmmaker too like he's not in the rat race necessarily like he's right. going right. out there yeah. doing stuff that's meaningful to him um, and I think in that doc too it, he talks a lot about his uh, looking and listening class and I feel like his filmmaking is such um, a continuation of that like I feel like right. with all of the stuff he's making he's trying to reincorporate the the activity of looking and listening and, and being very conscious of your surroundings and paying attention to how they affect you and, and how there's this uh, relationship between us and our environment. Um, and sometimes that relationship is, is physical in having like, you know, the way that we manipulate our environments or the way that our environments influence the way that we um, go about our lives, whether it's like living in a desert and having to accommodate that or so on. But then there's also the relationship of time. And he talks about that a lot in this film and it's obviously uh, like one of the cornerstones of his filmmaking is, is his meditations on time um, and the way that like he, there's a part where he talks about how you can have an experience in a place and come back 10 years later and it will be entirely different even if the place hasn't really changed at all because it's like things are always changing and time has right. this right. like subtle subtle um influence uh, that can also at times be like an erosion whether it's like a physical erosion on the environment or like on our memory and and so I think it's just really interesting and so circling the image really gets into his mindset and gives him an opportunity to talk about the value of of just image and just spending time in a place and the substance of place that we miss out on so much in a contemporary society where it's like we spend so much time inside or in cars and and separated and and i i can't remember if it's that film or double play where he talks about how rare it is that people get a a moment in life to just sit and and look at something like who you know really carves out even just 10 minutes to sit and look at a vista it doesn't really happen and so his film is very much combating that and challenging the viewer to not only be patient but to invest in it to um you know really kind of like put yourself in that place and and think about it and and reflect and and I think it's it's so um compelling in that way uh and and yeah so circling the image does that really well and just giving you context of how he chooses the shots that it you know like you said it's not just off the cuff he's not just going out and setting up a camera like he'll drive the full circumference of a lake um even the one that was what like 500 miles because it's so yeah yeah yeah, he mentioned that yeah that massively yeah like (laughs) just to get the right shot exactly and so it's very um yeah there's so much thought that goes into what he chooses to do and the recovery of image uh as having innate value and not needing narrative which is another key part of his Mm. filmmaking and he uh that documentary actually opens with that and that was one of the moments where like i think it's only maybe like five or ten minutes in but i paused it and i just sat there with that for a long time where he's talking about how like narrative was introduced to film too early yes yeah and that's a recurring thing Uh, he talks about um right but yeah that just struck me because it's like we're so i and i even mentioned this when we were talking about skinner ink like just waiting for something to happen and it's like right it doesn't yeah you lose out on the essence of the image and what just a play like what story 
just a place can tell on its own. Um, and it creates this like really interesting layered feeling too because it's like you're observing the place but then you're observing yourself observing the place. And then it's like as you're watching it, he talks about too like how the human brain is like geared towards storytelling. So you create a narrative. Yeah. So it's like mm -hmm. there's the place, there's you looking at the place, there's you observing the narrative. And like so there's all of these kind of reflections of like trying to see past what you're initially looking at while also like getting this very personal experience of like observing yourself as an observer and uh, yeah so his films are like so deep and complex and it's more than just yeah an image you know right i got carried yeah, away document. but <laughs> no no that's perfectly fine you, you, you feel like right. yeah you launched a bunch of ideas there and it's fantastic um because yeah it's so great for that reason it encapsulates yeah, it all the stuff yeah yeah, and it's like if you, you ever question his commitment to the work, it's there. Yeah. Like you see it in that doc, you know, of just like how how present he is, you know. Um, and yeah, you mentioned the, that quote, like that quote and then another quote that was mentioned in the documentary, I actually have them. Like I, I transcribed them. Oh, yeah. Like you can't find these these quotes anywhere. Like I had to transcribe them, but I'll bring it up as we get into those movies. Please. Um but yeah I, I also just wanted to add with um with with that whole um like that effect of like creating narrative and where your mind is while you're watching. Uh he did mention that in another um uh Q a I had attended and I think it was for readers where he was saying that, you know, it's like um it's just impossible to really like just focus on something like that that requires like um complete meditation and focus you know you'll you'll reach that kind of plane of like meditation basically like a flow to be state. just like yeah yeah exactly and you know you can achieve that but he said like you know the more common experience that he doesn't i i don't think he said he didn't mind he, he says like that's actually part of the experience too is if like you're watching one of his films and then you're starting to think about your groceries <laughs> you know yeah. like uh what are you gonna grab for dinner or like what's what's the next thing you're gonna do after you leave the movie that's part of it too yeah you know that starts to inform the screening and then that sometimes that your attention can go in and out that you can be like focused on it and then your mind starts wandering again because i i definitely have that kind of mind where i tend to wander a bit and maybe it is a form of adhd you know but like my mind definitely like but it goes off in places where it like launches all these these inspirations that you know like I, I I'm definitely like a furious note taker I think even most of my reviews on Letterboxd are like from these like flows of consciousness that I I get while I'm watching a movie you know like I, I think that's like that that's the ideal for me when I'm I'm writing a Letterboxd review is like when it's like oh yeah I was totally in there and you know it, it inspired the, these words to come out you know um and think, yeah and you oh sorry no go ahead oh i just i just feel like that's such a valuable part of his filmmaking like it doesn't hold your hand like you have to show up and you know if you kind of check out for a second like that's okay like we're all human beings you're allowed to be a person right it's okay um yeah, but yeah. yeah just like that space and like that that um Oh, I lost my, my train of thought. But just kind of creating space for that to happen where it doesn't right. normally. Like, you can get that if you go to a gallery or something and just really reflective and meditative and inspirational. Um, but you kind of have to, like, show up with that mentality. Yeah. And some of my favorite works of art are those ones where you bring yourself to it and 
you know, you have to complete the work. Like, the yeah. work can't exist on its own. Like, you know, it's what you bring to it, you know, and then that becomes the work. Um, you know, I mean, another artist that's, like, completely an artist, not a filmmaker, that I actually feel is, like, some... Another James who has, like, some parallels with him. They're also... He's also from California. Um, is uh, James Terrell. Um, are you familiar with the artist? No, okay. I'm looking him oh, up right man. now. Oh, if there's a James Terrell sky space in Denver, you should go see oh, it. Wow, like, <laughs> his images are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So his work requires you to complete the work because you show up and... Yeah, the sky space is the best example because it's just basically a hole in the sky <laughs> and you're watching the sky and then you know the light is changing around it and you know the, the optimal time to basically experience these places are like during sun sunrise and sunset you know um and they're incredible like you know i there's actually this thing too where um uh one of the major works of art that he's working on is the rodent crater which he bought which is somewhere in arizona i think it's like in flagstaff near there so it was a crater like created by a meteorite and he's making it into like this massive work of art and it's still not finished. And like the only way that you can go see it is basically if you complete the James Terrell passport, which is that you have to have visited every single piece that he has in the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he, he has several and you have to prove it somehow. I guess maybe just take a photo um, of yourself there. But uh, like some of these are in private residences. Like, you know, the, he's done like private commissions. Like I know there's a sky space in a house somewhere in, in Hollywood or Beverly Hills like that he made for like some rich family. So like it, it's crazy. But yeah, it's the same thing. It's like you have to show up like, um yeah, I'm so lucky that even though it's a bit of a drive for me, like in Pomona College, because that was his alma mater, he he made a sky space for them in 2007, which is, you know, weird connection with Benning with his 2007 movies. Um, Whoa, it, it looks like there's one in Austin, and I'm going to be in Austin next oh, week. Oh, dude, oh check it out. Go. Try to yeah. pop over. Yeah, I just Hell found yeah. there's one, there is one in Colorado. It's about an hour and a half away from me. Worth it. Yeah, and it Worth looks it. like you go actually there. have to like hike up to it. So you like park, and then you oh, hike a trail man. up to it. Yeah, it's called uh, like the Sky Space, and it's like this yeah. box. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what a lot of his work is. It's, it's either Sky Spaces or like... Um, he also like basically the rodent crater actually encapsulates all that. So there's a sky space. There's also like these three D like um, rooms that he does, which plays with like perception of like depth, which is incredible. I mean, you know, the the Drake video, the Hotline Bling, was basically inspired by by James Turrell's work. Classic. Like he saw the James Turrell like uh, retrospective at LACMA here, and he. He was like, I want my video to look like a James Terrell piece. I mean, um, so there's these rooms that you experience like that. And it's also like how light affects our mood. Mm. You know, it's really incredible. He has a, sens a sensory deprivation tank. Another weird like trivia about the uh, Rodent Crater. Like, you know, I guess um, Kanye West is such a big fan. He uh, he actually like donated a million dollars to the Rodent Crater to develop the Rodent Crater. Good for him. So... Wow. Yeah, but man, Kay, you told me about like taking a hike um to the place that's actually connected to Benning too. There was a, another Q and A I think oh. where he mentioned like the reward of basically like walking up to the, to hike to a place versus like just driving up there. Yeah, yeah, and, that's what we were know. talking about with the Grand Canyon about how in United States right. America the seventy five one 
they show the couple just getting out but then like in circling the image he goes back to the Grand Canyon and talks about how important it is to understand the sense of place by hiking down and hiking back up yeah there you go mm -hmm. yeah so it's right there so yeah definitely Kay like let us know um what happens with that Terrell trip if you ever head out there I'm like putting it in my calendar right now the next nice I can go. yeah do it this year 2023 <laughs> yeah yeah for this, sure uh in July I'm sure I can cool, cool. All right. Um, yeah. So another thing you brought up was the the looking and listening class. And I just wanted to elaborate on what that entails um, for people who don't know. So um, uh, it's a shame. Actually, he doesn't do it anymore because I would have loved to have audited that class because um, the whole thing with it is that uh, um, I guess the reason why he, he was told to stop by the university by CalArts was that because uh I guess there's like some insurance issues and, you know, parents are not comfortable with what he's doing. So he basically takes all his students to the Central Valley, which is a big location in a lot of his films. Um, and he he has them pair off. And usually if you're you're a girl, you have to go with a guy like, you know, it's a weird thing. That that, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, because I guess they don't want them to be alone or they have to be protected. Because, I mean, you know, it's it, it Central Valley. It's like there's all these um natural like um dangers that you could encounter but there's also like you know a lot of strangers you know? yeah, so he, he yeah he lets them pair off and then basically like um you're not allowed to bring a pen and paper no camera nothing to record anything so not even like anything to record sound so even i don't know how he did it when in the advent of smartphones but i guess he maybe uh let them keep it but not trust them not to use it um and uh so yeah, he makes them go out to the Central Valley and just, like, observe things and just walk as far as they can. And then they have, like, I guess an arranged, like, meeting time to come back and reconvene. But that was the class, you know? So it was basically to experience what he does, uh, but without, like, recording anything, you know? Um, and even, like, yeah, even though you're paired off with someone, like, he encourages them, like, just to be in the same vicinity, but not, you know? They don't have to stick together. You, know? <laughs> you don't have the to hold thing. hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, be on the safe side of the street. You know, the older person, you know, do you guys remember that? But yeah, but yeah so that that's one of the things he does. And I guess this is a, a good segue to, to get back into his chronology because we went into a bit of a detour there. Oh, wait, but before we do, um, do you have anything, Kate, to share about the, the Richard Linklater double play doc? Oh, my gosh. Um, this was like... Yeah so affirming for me first of all because <laughs> i i've been a link later fan for as long as i've been like a self proclaimed cinephile and even before that nice. like link later is so special to me like slacker is one of my legacy films i've seen it so many times it's it's like very close to my heart and so having that very deep connection with Linklater's stuff and then seeing like his connection with Benning and having this other personal relationship with Benning's work was just like it just affirmed my taste in a way that's kind of hard to explain like it just felt I felt really seen when I when I saw this I was nice. like because it, it ties together so many things in film that are important to me and I was like yes like these things that I search for like are real and there are people who are like very intent about this and like this is valuable and it just felt like I don't know it just spoke to like a part of my soul that's like not often spoken to <laughs> so oh, that's wonderful yeah it was very very um 
very enjoyable. Like I was smiling through a lot of it, especially the scene where, um, because like you said, it is just a hangout movie. Like there's a part where they're just throwing a baseball back and forth and that's like very lovely. Um, but the, the part where like, I just was like, grinning was when they're having lunch together and they're just like talking over their food and they're talking about time and dreams and Mm. stuff and I I just was like man I wish I could be at that table with them and then I was like oh but like I kind of am through this film right and and just like that sort of discussion is like what I live for and so to have watched these two filmmakers that I admire so much who reflect and encapsulate so much of my taste and perspective on film get into to these topics and have this conversation was like it was incredible for me so I, I really love this one I, I feel like circling the image is a better um entryway maybe to understanding yeah. like Benning's film specifically but if you're just kind of trying to like find a way to introduce yourself to him at all and you have a more mainstream like exposure to film um the the double take is is a great option but yeah i i I just it's so good it's it's one that i could see myself popping on again just to like kind of listen through um it's wonderful yeah yeah i I could listen to them talk about film for hours (laughs) yeah i i was pleasantly surprised by this because i was just like well i'm a big fan of this series it's actually part of like an ongoing film filmmakers on film series or or filmmakers on filmmakers series um uh cinema uh notre temps uh cinema of our time and i think it it, um yeah there's like been great filmmakers covered by it but usually it's just focused on one filmmaker so it would be like i guess one standout would be like claire denis doing it on jacques rivet and that has a great title too it's called the night watchman nice um yeah there's one on brisson that's incredible there's another one with uh on john cassavetes during the making of faces which is great um but yeah it, th- that is the incredible thing about this series is like how it's focusing on these filmmakers at a specific point in their career so like in at this point it's basically like maybe a couple years after Benning had transitioned to digital and then for Linklater it was when he was getting ready to release um uh Boyhood which has like a, a great connection between them and you know that's why I was saying that the I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't realize that there was that connection that they had this like right. decades long friendship um because I'd never heard like Linklater mention James Benning previously uh, but yeah, he talks about like basically um, uh, that the first grant that Austin Film Society got, like they spent it on flying Benning out there to screen his films, you know, which is just like, wow, that. that's incredible. Like, yeah, that was the first thing that he he sought out. He didn't seek out like, you know, Citizen Kane or, um, you know, uh, like uh, even like uh, what's uh, Bresson or something, because Bresson films were kind of hard to come by at that time too and you know another thing that they have in common is uh they're great at q a's and we see portions of that in the documentary you know and you can see uncut versions of it on youtube too i mean like yeah blink later like i love his his uh q a series for um jewels from the wasteland where he's like covering every year of the 80s <laughs> but i don't think they finished it like i don't uh, i forgot what year was the last year that they did they definitely got up to 86 i want to say like that was the last year that they covered Gosh. but yeah, it's such a great series because he has like so many amazing stories related to it. Like one of my favorites is the Blue Velvet one. Oh no, not Blue Velvet. Um, uh, out of the out of the blue, which is the because he has a great like Dennis Hopper 
story so it's worth listening to but, but yeah, yeah so, I, I love the the connection between the two of them yeah you wouldn't have realized that time figures both in their films but yeah i mean that conversation you brought up Kay, where they're at the dinner table um yeah they, they, they're actually like kind of comparing each other in terms of how they approach time and yeah. narrative you know because uh definitely um uh, i think Linklater is more aware that he is you know dipping his toe in in the mainstream and that he plays that game you know even though he does want to like insert these um these uh these experimental touches and you know that that's why that's a crossover with boyhood because benning was so fascinated like you know when they're watching the clips he's like can i see like a a moment where you see him age like how do you transition from one age to another it's really beautiful like he's you know he's got this great smile on his face and then yeah he tells the john cage story as well yeah it's such a special doc yeah yeah it's wonderful um yeah made by gabe Klinger. i think it's called yeah double play because of the baseball thing actually you know another weird aside that it made me want to watch a link later's bad news bears remake like it's like yeah it's like man this actually might be good like with billy bob thornton maybe i should i should check this out um Yeah, I, I'm. I'm definitely. Maybe that's something we could do in the future. K is like do some uh, Richard Linklater B sides. You know his <sighs> lesser um, praise films like Mutant Boys and Me and Orson Welles. Like people tend to forget about these movies. You're speaking my language, Carlo. I love um, it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like I haven't like Steve. I feel like you haven't had much chance to talk about what um, these docs meant to you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but that, you know, that's my role here as <laughs> young Steve here. Um, it's all good. I'm enjoying the convo, and you guys are ripping and roaring. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. I guess now we can tie it back into the chronology. We skipped forward a little bit. So he had his New York period in the 80s, and then he um, he got offered a teaching job at CalArts. Um, and it, it's a university that's outside of L.A. It's, like, north of L.A. It's basically the valley uh, but it's 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 a place called uh, Valencia where it is, and um, so he's a little more outside of LA. And I think he was only offered like a year teaching job, and then he ended up staying. And he continued making his like text and image films. So another one that's really hard to follow, but is also beautiful in making that Richard Linklater co- um, connection. Richard Linklater shows up in this film, and there's a clip of it in in double uh, play. Uh, it's called North on Evers. He made it in '92. And yeah, I just when I saw that movie, I just stopped following the text that was scrolling on screen because I just couldn't. I was just appreciating it for its portraiture, you know, because it's one of his early like just focusing on people's faces and like this moment of contemplation. But the shots are very quick; they're not as fast um, as as long as you know his later portraiture films. Um, and yeah, and I think the the thing that made North on Evers unique was also this was the movie where he made because he shot Linklater in Texas. So um, he traveled around America on a motorbike, which I don't think he has anymore. Like he stopped <laughs> doing that. Thank God, because, you know, I, <laughs> I can only dread what could happen to him on a motorcycle. Um, although he did make a remake of Easy Rider, by the way, and I think he did do that on a motorbike. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, he continued to make these texts on work and one of them actually speaking of stolen uh, he made this film called um, Utopia uh, which I think like steals like all the 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 images from like uh, another documentary so 
It's like yeah, and then um he puts like these uh New York Times like articles with voiceover um over the the images and I think he just basically turned the image black and white. And <laughs> it's funny. And that was the last like text um you know uh image film he made and i mean along the way he also made like i think one of them was a complete masterpiece which is four corners uh which is just yeah it, it's hard to describe it, it it's like a quadrant film which has like four different biographies and then also four different landscapes and it's it's one of his films that he returns to milwaukee to shoot there and there's like i, I think i put that in my review that there's a a really surprising moment where i don't know if he manipulated the sound but it looked like he he captured like a drive-by shooting, oh my like while a basketball game is p- going on. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, this is like straight out of a Hughes Brothers movie. Like, it's just so strange that this moment happens. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I would love if I uh, get a chance to ask him about it. Like, how was that done? <laughs> that scene, yeah, that moment in, in Four Corners. But yeah, um, I need to see so, that yeah, one because guess... I've been to the Four Corners actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that was actually part of my road trip too with my dad nice. uh, to Telluride. We stopped at Four Corners and I did the round thing. Like, I walked. <laughs> and this is pre like social media too, so like there weren't that many people taking photos, which was great, yeah. you know, and posing. So. <laughs> yeah, Four Corners. Um, yeah, it's it's a great film. Like, it really is, and it you also get to see like precursors of artists that he really admires. Um, cause yeah, each one focuses on an artist and, you know, I, I can see parallels. Like, he, uh, one of them is Monet and I think I, I compared some of the images that he shoots, like they feel like a Monet painting, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, so, uh, after that, he, I guess he kind of exhausted that approach and, um, th- yeah, this is one of the two quotes that uh, I'm going to pull from that documentary circling the image that are so great. So the first one is... I had decided I'd only had two criteria to make a film from now on. And those criteria are to go to a place that I want to be in, to really understand place, to define place as having meaning, and then to look at a place in a way that can tell me something about my life too. So it was something a lot simpler. And it basically paved the way for the California trilogy, which is like a very like cornerstone work in his in his body of work, you know, um, and yeah, I have the the other quote, which, you know, you alluded to, Kay, I have the full quote here. Oh, great. So, uh, th- yeah, this is what begins circling the image. It actually shows a clip from the California trilogy. Uh, it's it's basically the, the Golden State Freeway, the five freeway and how many lane- crazy lanes it has. Um, and then there's this quote where he says, if you look at the California trilogy, it has 35 shots, each shot two and a half minutes long based on the length of uh, a roll of 16 millimeter film, which is two minutes and 47 seconds. The idea was to go back to the beginning of filmmaking and shoot a whole reel of film like they did at the very beginning. To record a train coming in or a kiss, they just shut, uh, set up the camera and shot the whole reel. And the reason I wanted to go back to the beginning is because I thought filmmaking grew up too quickly, that narrative was introduced too quickly, and the real study of image was dropped and replaced by the study of narrative language. So I wanted to go back and do these one-take roles. So, yeah, that's the full quote. Cool. And so impactful. I love that. I, yeah. like, I, I've been sitting with that for a long time and I've actually approached different people in my life who love film and just asked them what they thought about that because I think it's so, mm. it's such a great thought. Yeah, 
I mean, it, it's it's so influential to me. Like, I love this kind of talk because it, yeah, it basically reframed how I looked at film right. uh, when I when I first heard it. And I remember too the first time I heard it, it was so weird because the the copy that was circulating of um, of uh, circling the image before the one that was like basically the one you see now. It's on YouTube and it's also like a. Um, it's on a DVD as well. Um, I think yeah, that's a great set. I think it's like included with two of his digital works. Strangely enough, um, but uh, like the version that was uh, that was circulating before, it had a German overdub on it because I think that was the broadcast version. So I could only hear fragments of his English in it, but I was like able to piece it together from what I could hear. Um, but yeah, this was like back in 2009 I think when I first saw it and um yeah it's just stuck with me ever since because um I'd always had like a, a fascination with silent film and you know I was drawn to that like you know Guy Madden is one of my favorite filmmakers oh my gosh I love him yeah yes. yeah we yeah we dedicated a whole episode on Cowards Bend the Knee That's so uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and you know Guy Madden is also like a big influence on me so like yeah I was thinking along those lines of like yeah what is it to be to go back to that beginning and then you know just like rethink things from that start point like not because I, I feel like that's the problem that I have with most films and that's why I'm so jaded with a lot of movies it's not that I'm a contrarian or you know I hate cinema <laughs> you know like that's what people think I am but like no it's really that that it's just like everybody's just basically making something that was based on rules established by somebody else before them and then they just accept it as like okay that's the approach you know right, like right. we have to have a narrative we have to have characters we care about like an inciting incident has to happen within 10 minutes you know, like those those kinds of things. And people are just so conditioned to that. But like, yeah, that's why I appreciate filmmakers who who don't take that approach. Like, it's almost like they tore everything down. And it's like, let's start from basics again and then like build from that. Yes. And it, yeah, and that that's the approach that I've taken with my own work, too. Like, I've kind of torn myself down and rebuilt. And yeah, it's funny because even with that mindset, my films are not like James Benning's films. Like, I mean, that one film, Steve, we talked about, um, mm -hmm. Acquainted with the Night, is the closest one because, yeah, there, there was definitely some Benning influence oh, yeah. there. But, like, the films I make now are nothing like his films because, yeah, like, eventually you find your own groove, you know, when you, you start to think about things this way. And I think it's it's a useful approach to any art, you know. It's just, like, question, like, why music is the way it is. And, I mean, that's yeah. what Cage did. You know, he was, like... Yeah, why does music have to be harmonic? Like, can it be just natural sounds? Like, I, I, another musical movement I'm a big fan of is music concrete, which is all just like these artists who, like, Pierre Schaefer is, is one of the big artists there. And he's like, um, yeah, they just record them, um, uh, ambient sound, like natural, like field recordings, and that becomes the work. Yeah. You know, I yeah. would definitely so, recommend that you check out Steve Roden or Roden, who I mentioned before then, because mm -hmm. his stuff yeah. is so great. Like the one that I, the track I listened to over RR for the first time is called Proximities. And for that, he mm -hmm. went out to a field of metal sculptures at, at dawn and basically just recorded the sound of the metal as it warms oh, and like pops. Amazing. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, just that's a quick incredible. aside. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I love I that mean, kind you know, of stuff too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Sensory ethno Ethnography Lab. I don't think so. Harvard. Yeah, you have to add the Harvard. And I just remember like uh, <laughs> Werner Herzog has like a funny line about 
the people at Harvard. He's like, you know, Happy New Year's, losers <laughs> at Harvard. Yeah, that was good. Garlic. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> no, yeah, that quote in one of those Q and A's. It's great. But anyway, like they they were a thing for a while. Like in documentary filmmaking, like you know their their films like Sweetgrass, Leviathan was a big deal. Oh, I love but Leviathan. They, yeah, and I think you you liked one of their films, uh, Kay. Um, uh, Mana Kamana. That's them oh, too. Oh, yeah, oh, that's oh. hard. Yeah. yeah, that's an amazing film. I love that. Yeah, one. yeah. Yeah, so there are some great films that came from that, but there are also some that are very like you know they're they're stuck in their academic ways. But uh, that's beside the point. The whole thing is that the sound for all the films, even though they're different filmmakers, they're kind of a group, a collective. Um, the sound is done by all one guy. It's this guy named Ernest um, Carroll, and it was funny because my first experience of watching Leviathan, like I think at IFC Center, they they fucked up the sound somehow. Like it was like too muffled. But it was great. Like, you know, I loved it. And, um, uh, yeah, and so he does, like, field recordings, too. And I've, I've checked that out. And, like, yeah, Ernest Carroll stuff is incredible because he's just so good at recording sound. Like, I, I mean, aside from the sound from Leviathan, which a lot of it, I think, comes from GoPro cameras, how he adjusted the sound to that. Um, uh, there's another one. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite Harvard films i'll have to find the link for it because uh, yeah i think it's on vimeo it's uh it's about recycling it's just like an cool. incredible recycling documentary <laughs> you know that. because you know yeah harvard's sensory ethnography lab is all about like you know they're they're more in tune with like frederick wiseman's approach of like I observing love wiseman. oh my goodness yeah. yeah so it's it's all about like being a fly on the wall and kind of leaving the camera to like you know film these people and not intervening you know yeah. um so yeah if i could yeah. loop back around to kind of the jumping off point for this where you read that quote which i love mm. i want to frame that almost yeah. like it's so good i'll send it to you <laughs> please do yeah. i won't have yeah. to transcribe it myself but there's yeah. um it kind of ties into a quote that i didn't take down verbatim from double play but kind of just uh you know off off the top of my head what i remembered after pausing it he's um He's talking about a similar thing, and he says that he's not interested in having his students. He says not interested in having his students make another good film because there are there are already <laughs> right. enough good films. He'd rather have them push to find something new and interesting to make film culture grow. And I, oh, I love, love that. that. Yeah. yeah, I should have taken down the full quote, but it was just the end part that really stuck with me because it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can make another astonishing narrative that's like complex and oh my gosh like I'm crying at the end but it doesn't like I don't know it doesn't have the same staying power necessarily well I guess mm. if it's a great film it will but like as something that is wholly fresh and, and really trying and like seeking to expand what is possible I, I love that I love experimentation in film yeah. and in art in general but especially in film yeah, I mean, I appreciate that more too, uh, because yeah, the the attempt to make a great film, like I don't think it's really up to the filmmaker, right? You know, that's like something that like is judged over time, and you know, it's like it, it's more how audiences respond, and then sometimes yeah, it might not be the right time when it comes out, and then you know, there's that reappreciation in the future, but yeah, absolutely, like I I think that's a better like um 
a goal to have when making films rather than trying to make something great or like trying to best like the narrative films that have come before you right you know um and then some people don't even do that they're just like completely ignorant i mean another like great quote uh that i love which is also a quote of a quote is from <laughs> abbas kiristami in his like documentary on 10 and 10 and he talks about like the different generations of filmmakers like you know he, he says like uh, yeah i'll just sum it up so he says the first generation of filmmakers um made films the second generation watched the films of the first generation then made films uh the third generation um didn't watch the first generation but watched the second generation and then made films and then the fourth generation didn't watch the films of any of the previous generations <laughs> and just made films. And like, I think that that pretty much sums it up. You know, it's like there's a lot of like ignorance to film history and like kind of people. I mean, I've heard people who like say that they don't watch black and white movies or like um, they don't watch movies made before 1980. Like, it's just like ridiculous Why? things like that where, yeah, they're like excluding like huge sections of filmmaking oh you know yeah and then they consider themselves to be cinephiles like you know i mean you know you stay on on twitter long enough like film twitter will really like, oh you know if gosh. you want your your blood pressure to rise like you know there's just like so many like dumb takes like that uh but yeah like i i, I really feel like that kind of open-mindedness to like having like thinking that there's thing still things that are possible you know because I, yes. I think the, the yeah, the close-mindedness like uh, that I would relate to in music that people would say is like, oh, every every note has been pressed already. You know, you've already touched on every note. But you know, uh, there's another Thelonious Monk quote where it says, "Well, it's not how the oh uh, no, it's not the note being played. It's how you play it." Right. You know, that's really what makes it new and fresh. And yeah, I really do think that you know that that really needs to happen more. And it's funny, I uh, I guess another tied into personal experience. I actually know a few people who have been James Benning students, and I can see how that has affected them and their approach to like their art. Whether like yeah, they end up going into filmmaking or something else. You know, um, you know, one of his greatest students, who's actually now probably arguably like more famous than he is, is um, Amy Simitz. You know, and it's funny, her film, uh, um, uh, what is it? She She's Lost Control, I think, is it? Or she, um, what's the, it came out a couple years ago. I'm now blanking. Um, uh, but she had a film uh, come out and like James Benning has a cameo at the end of it. And I was just like laughing. I was like, oh, that's her like paying tribute to her, her former mentor. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. And she actually just relating to our previous episode about TV, I forgot to mention, she made one of the greatest TV shows ever in uh, um, The Girlfriend Experience, which is, a you know, an adaptation of the, the Steven, Steven Soderbergh movie. And it's so much better than the movie. But yeah, like, it, it's just fascinating to see, like, how, you know, his influence has on his students. And yeah, the, that, that open-mindedness. Because, you know, Amy Simons doesn't make films that are, like... Um, uh, that are like Benning or even um uh Spanish filmmaker uh, Lida Lechundi, I think is how her last name is pronounced. I, I I love her work too. And uh yeah, her film is her films are also very different from Benning. So yeah. Um another amazing story though I want to bring up with his students while we're on it. Um he he talked about actually like one student that they he basically had them do math based like art. You know, because he, he's always like, that's one of his, 
things that he's out to prove is that, you know, I mean, the, the phrase he uses actually is that, you know, there's a proof, but then there's also an elegant proof, you know, yes. so there's like an easy solution to a math equation, but then you can also arrive at it in a beautiful way. And that's creative and artistic, you know, and I've always loved that. So he, he told the story once of like one of his students and what he ended up doing, okay, relating to one of your hobbies, actually, <laughs> the the student knitted a scarf using the Fibonacci sequence for oh, his cool. girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just how his influence, like, reaches. And, yeah, I think the the decade in California, like, I think that, that led him to this massive work, which is, yeah, like, we, we broke it down, like, 35 shots, each shot 30, uh, two and a half minutes long, so it's all... They're all the same length. They're all 87 minutes long. Uh, the first film being El Valley Centro. And um, yeah, it's just amazing to me that, you know, it's like in this phase that he's entering, like I, I it's a rare thing, I think, in art too, where an artist, rather than like adding more layers or complicating their work, they, they actually go more simpler. And it's it's so much more effective. And yeah, like having that, that structure that you have you know like it's a it's a um it's it's a two and a half minute deal but that that's the thing like uh, i think this is another kind of uh i guess residual effect from watching benning's films too i have a very distorted sense of time <laughs> so the way i feel time is very different from like how time passes you know so like two minutes and ten minutes to me are virtually the same <laughs> Like it's a weird thing that I realized about myself that I don't realize that sometimes like time is actually and then yeah he talks about this too of just like how um he's fascinated by the idea of like how you feel uh affects the speed of time like you know um objectively it doesn't move so like but two minutes where you're enjoying yourself you know moves a lot faster than two minutes when you're bored Oh my gosh. You know, you know yeah. one of my favorite novels of all time is Catch 22 and that's actually one of the key things in there because oh, one of wow. the one of the people or one of the characters in Catch 22 spends all of his time like all of his free time during the day doing things that he hates so that he feels like he's <laughs> living a longer life because he's more aware of the time and so it's right. like the catch 22 is like yeah you're like more aware and like living a longer life but you're doing things that you hate <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> that's beautiful yeah I man love that i gotta book. read this book it's yeah so that's good like, yeah so this is the character Roset yosarian that's him no That's it's one of the side characters mm. and i oh, if i remember okay. correctly he like spends his days doing like shooting or archery practice it would be shooting <laughs> it wouldn't be archery it was like shooting practice or like target practice and it's his least favorite thing but he does it all the time and became the best sharpshooter <laughs> just because he hates it <laughs> Mm, so man funny. Yeah, yeah i mean i I think that's something i would enjoy <laughs> yeah man so should we get into um the california trilogy yeah you kind of uh, started touching about uh, touching on it already with like the shots yeah. and everything um mm -hmm. and i did just want to add about that like i i really liked knowing that each shot was like the same length because yeah. as i was watching it i it made me invest a little bit more where i was like okay i have like two and a half minutes to gain as much as I can from this shot and like really study it and appreciate mm, it cool. yeah so I actually kind of like it it helped me to know that where it's like mm. you know 
what was his intention with this? Why did he choose this spot? Why did he choose this framing? Why did he choose this time of day? Like, and it really helped me kind of like invest more individually as I was watching the film. So I, I, I feel like that helped um, my viewing of it. Right. Yeah. And then also just, you know, that, well, I guess with my distorted sense of time, it's like being surprised of when it decides to cut. You know, because he, he, you know, he's very strict about it. Like, I mean, and also he said because the one roll was two minutes and 47 seconds, he basically had 17 seconds to like either slide it, you know, to w- where he wanted to start and then where he wanted it to end. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, this was really the thing. So I, I've, I've noted down like some of the more remarkable shots in the movie i didn't list down all 35 but (laughs) um in el valley centro i mean obviously the opening is incredible where we see this kind of whirlpool um which i learned is is basically the spillway where basically the water comes from uh where a lot of uh los angeles and central valley like draws its water from um so the whole idea i guess is that the water overflows to reach that funnel and then it starts like going in and it's just like this void this hole and mm. yeah this was definitely an image that i think i i felt like i could you know watch for longer than <laughs> than two and a half minutes yeah. you know and it's such a great opening to to the film um and then you know there's also a train we see a train in this and Classic. it's kind of yeah <laughs> we have but because it you know two and a half minutes and it's one of those long like bnsf like uh freight trains we don't see the whole train pass through <laughs> it gets cut off um but yeah i mean the most powerful image to me was the the oil well that was on fire um which uh is basically like i think it's used for a lot of the promotional material for for the film like you know you see stills from el valley centro it's this shot of this fire and apparently he said like it went on for like six days Oh my God. like it took them six days to put it out because you know it's like it's like in um there will be blood you know when the <laughs> the well explodes and the fire comes out like that yeah. takes forever because it's just burning constantly and there's there's two kinds of um uh flame so the one that he said he wanted to capture was when it was still like billowing because when the oil really spreads it becomes like that boom like explosion like you know in, in there will be blood so yeah, it was like caused by an accident. But the the beautiful thing about this image, and you know, it, it just goes to show how much thought he gives in in every shot that he sets up. He has this body of water in front of it, and then it's reflecting the flames onto the body of water. So you get you know the fire and the water together in all in one image, and you know it's just compelling to see. Um, and then, you know, there's this thing that he talks about. You start to piece together as you're watching it, you know, because it's, it's all about the Central Valley, but it's also about the people in it. And it's mainly like farmland. And a lot of the people you see are the laborers working on this farmland. And and then you kind of realize, like, these farms aren't like family farms. These are like kind of uh, they're, they're corporate farms, you know, where they have like these laborers or they're, they're probably underpaying um and uh that is another very telling thing like um but that we kind of hear throughout the trilogy that the language we hear the most is spanish and that's why the title because i'd never heard of el valley centro like i was like yeah i just know it as central valley and as i realized oh that was purposeful that he changed it to spanish because you know also there's the roots of like california used to be part of mexico you know so um 
yeah, it seems like he he's he's tapping into that. But then he also shows like there's other industries in the Central Valley, like the prison. Um, and the prison is fascinating because it's like, yeah, I guess this is the part where he kind of touches with the sound a little bit. You kind of hear like a riot going on in <laughs> in the prison. But yeah, it's just weird because it's the Benning way of shooting a riot where it's basically like from the outside on the roadside. Um. Yeah, yeah his but stuff yeah, th- is like very subtly political. Like you wouldn't mm. guess just at first glance, but yeah, it's all of those little choices that really speak to his intention when he makes these films. Right. Yeah, and yeah, and like I love that he says that you can view it that way, or you can just view it as something that's like contemplative and right. you know. So, so it, there's no like wrong approach to the work. Um, yeah, and I guess rewatching this movie, this is why I guess now I'm, I'm bristling against, even though he is kind of like the, um, I guess name that people associate the most with slow cinema. I don't think he's actually a slow filmmaker. (laughs) I mean, just the fact that he talks about how he makes them things very quickly, like really started my mind, like rolling that, you know, he's able to get in and out. So even though he's very patient and also, you know, he has his camera on a tripod. Um, but yeah, he shoots two hour, uh, two minutes and 40 seconds and then he's out. Like, mm. he's gone. And so the fact that he moves at that pace, I was just thinking, like, yeah, maybe this isn't slow. And especially now that I'm more adjusted to longer shots, like, the, yeah, these shots, like, seem to fly by. And then I thought about that quote about, like, you know, how when you're enjoying yourself, like, things move faster. And then I, I thought about it even more in the sense of like in every shot in this film, there is a different pace, even though they're all equal in, in length. Right. You know, so like, yeah, a shot of like the marshlands is a lot slower than, you know, like the tumbleweed uh, desert, you know, uh, storm that happens, <laughs> you know, like that, that, that shot seems to move a lot faster to me. And I, I realize like, yeah, when there's an event that happens, like the shot moves a lot faster than when. It's just a still shot of something, you know? Yeah, and it Um, creates this really wonderful, like, tension and drama in his films because you'll get so, like, engrossed in a single image and then suddenly, like, it's jarringly different. Like, it could go from being very quiet to being very noisy or, like, you're in the middle of nowhere and then suddenly it's, like, traffic. And so it's just, like, it creates this really interesting juxtaposition of, like, moods and tones while still, like, conveying the same place. It's, it's, yeah, it's so well done. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's incredible. I mean, that is another thing that runs along his work is that he loves contrasts and like, you know, following something up in one of the other movies we'll talk about. Um, that's something that I noticed a lot more rewatching it um, is that, yeah, he, you know, the the slowness or the fastness, like contrasting that the sound, as you mentioned, like all of that is on purpose. And it, it's so funny, too, that he, he, he kind of like jokes about it, that he doesn't even know if he's come up with the right arrangement or like the perfect <laughs> arrangement of every yeah. film because you know the shots are modal you can move them around you know they don't know so he's like thinking but then of course because he's a mathematician he's like you know he's thinking factorial so it's like oh the, yeah the variations could be like in the hundreds you know, of the different versions of the films you could make right. you know and and then i mean what what is also impressive is that he he mentioned during the making of this film that he almost like shot like a one to one ratio like almost every shot that he made like was the final like i think he said maybe he did like 38 shots so he ended up using 35 
out of the 38, you know? Mm. So, yeah, everything had a purpose. And then, yeah, that's another thing that he talks about, too. I think he mentioned that in the double play documentary about um, preparing yourself for, like, chance things to happen. And then that, you know, if you're prepared enough, like, you will, like, chance upon, like, things that will happen randomly. I mean, one of the things he mentions in Circling the Image, which actually I now know is not, unfortunately, not in 13 Lakes, is how funny that shot is where suddenly, like, this huge cruise ship crosses the the horizon of the lake. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, the, the documentary crew captured him filming that, too, which is incredible. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I love that shot. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so um, yeah, the, it really is like it's this film is like a great like it establishes what the film is gonna uh, what the series is gonna be, and um, I love that like the end credits are like his cast list, so like it relives like every um you know location. It tells you basically like where it was where he shot it, the um the name of the place, or like something that's like a signifier to like remind you what it was, like a spillway or, you know, a speedway. Um and then um and then like sometimes he'll mention and this is another kind of political clue that, oh, this farmland was owned by this corporation, you know? <laughs> like it's it's mentioned in that. And what I love too, like everything is with intent. So even the end credits is two and a half minutes. <laughs> so it's it's totally like within the shot length. <laughs> I didn't of notice the that. Of oh my yeah. gosh, how did I never notice that? Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah, funny. It's yeah, it's exactly two and a half minutes. So he timed the, the, the title cards to... Because it also has what two extra guy. after... Yeah, he mentions all 35. <laughs> There's two credits. One is um his name, obviously. He just he doesn't say directed by James Benning. It just says James Benning. And then um the last credit, which I found surprising, Linklater Connection, made in part with funds from the Austin Film Society. Nice. With a grant, yeah, mm. from the Austin Film Society. So he used that grant from Austin Film Society to make this trilogy. Um Yeah, so it leads into the second part, which is Los. Um again, con- I, I thought he was continuing with the Spanish um the uh, names of the places but it's funny because you know los in english means the mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah that confused just... me too i was like cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah i was like is he like trying to play on the sound of the word like homonym like loss or you know like yeah, yeah. um but I, I also learned later on that he said in again in a self-deprecating way that like Oh, it's only called Los because it's only part of the city, so therefore it's incomplete. That's so smart. I never got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So yeah, so it's incomplete. But the <laughs> irony is, like, I think it's actually one of the most comprehensive like LA movies ever made. You know, huh. and it deals with his, you know, his ambivalence towards LA, which I share as well. Like, you know, I I live outside of LA. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in previous episodes, so it's not a secret that I'm in Orange County. Um, and, you know, we have this kind of weird love-hate relationship with the city. Mm. Like, it, it's a weird kind of, it's a fishbowl kind of place. Because it's like, people who are in there aren't aware of, I think, or they they don't care about what outsiders think of the city in a way. Like, they're mm. just so caught up in their own world and you know having lived here long enough and even lived in LA for a while like 
I realize like what the the central issue is, and it's mainly like the transplants. <laughs> Like they're the problem. Like everything that people hate about LA, it's it's nothing to do with natives, like locals who are born and raised here. Like they're cool. Like those people are awesome. You know, they know what they're talking about. They're legit. Like even like you know, it, it, like Laker fans tend to have like this, um, uh, like identity of being fair weather fans. Like they only care when the team is winning. No, I know some like diehard Laker fans who are like born and raised here. And like you know, I have much respect for them. You know, it's like they 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 really love the city, and like they still make the city actually worthwhile. I feel actually, but the yeah, it's these transplants, these influencers, these these people who still have aspirations to be part of Hollywood. Like yeah, they ruin it all. Like you know, they've they've made the city so overpopulated. They're the reason why their traffic is so bad. Um, you know, uh, the the this association with LA people like being kind of fake. It's them. <laughs> it's people who aren't even from here. They're the fake people because yeah, they just don't care. Like there's this kind of yeah, just um, insincerity that I get from from LA transplants. You know, um, but yeah, they're the, the the thing is yeah, what I've learned is that LA does have its value. Like you know, there. Uh, I mean, most of the cultural artistic things i need to experience it's not here in orange county i have to go to la to like you know screenings you know and stuff like that you know i have to go there um but yeah like i love how he kind of stays on the periphery of la like the most kind of within la he goes to is like the second shot of the film i think which is um the billboard i love Um, that shot yeah, and that's another recurring uh, bending shot, billboards. Yeah, I think yeah. it's even the poster for that one, isn't it? Mm. For the film, it's like the available billboard, or is that the next one? I forget. Uh, I think it's it's the next one, yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. most I... is the freeway as the poster. Yeah, the freeway, and also the other one is uh, Arco Plaza in downtown, which is another great shot. It's like this uh, public sculpture. Um, and it's like, uh, you, you might remember it. It's like these red kind of steps and it's surrounded by a fountain. Like they're, oh, yes, they're kind yes, of yes. curving around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very famous, um, like a uh, public art piece. There's a lot of them scattered in downtown. And what I love just knowing where that is, is that just off to the side of the shot, there's like this really bizarre, like outdoor escalator next to it. <laughs> And it's yeah, it's basically like just leading up to like an outdoor like walkway that connects like these series of buildings around that area. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Um, but yeah, that that's as close as he gets because uh, I think the um, the billboard is like in in um in West Hollywood. It's off of Sunset Boulevard, which is you know obviously a very famous street. You know, there's a movie named after it. Um, and it's also one of the longest streets in LA. It actually is one of the few streets in LA that runs almost completely east to west. Um, it starts in Santa Monica and it ends in, um, uh, I guess it's downtown just before Boyle Heights because they change the name. It be- becomes like Caesar, Caesar Chavez um, once it hits Boyle Heights. So um, yes, yeah, so like Sunset is one of the like the main like vein streets of LA. So. Yeah, and you know that area of West Hollywood that was that was like an iconic location for like um, uh, where the t- Tower Records was, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like uh, Colin Hanks, you know, Tom Hanks' son like made a documentary about it. It's great. Um. Uh. But yeah, so that that's as central as you get. He mainly stays on the periphery, and downtown is 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 also one of them. He comes back to. To downtown a lot in in this film um 
Uh, like, yeah, the, the other thing that's also in downtown, which is bizarre, and again, he goes back to jail because uh, <laughs> he, he focuses on a jail again because that is another thing that he's fascinated by of just, like, how it's become this industry, mm. you know? that Like, I didn't know this until, like, I was a little more familiar with it, but, like, I didn't know that jails were privatized, that yeah. it actually, like, they make money off, like, keeping people in jail, it's which is just awful. crazy. It's so bad. Yeah. There's a line in the in Double Play where he says it's become more profitable to grow prisoners than cotton and like that is <laughs> know, so right? resonant it's so true yeah. america's wrecked dude it's yeah. so bad <laughs> it's awful yeah and yeah benning is there to capture all of it well yeah. the weird thing is like i didn't even know that there was a distinction between jail and prison and i guess that yeah. that goes to show like um uh uh, how much experience I have in that. <laughs> you should keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, so the LA County Jail or the, yeah, the city jail, uh, it's in the middle of downtown. And it's one of the first things you see actually as you're entering downtown off of the um, the 101 freeway. It's like you can't miss it. It's a building to the left as you're like descending the freeway. And um, it's bizarre that it's just there. You know, it's like so central. And then you get like these people who are basically like, and this is what he captures in the film. It's like a lot of these people who are getting out, you know, of jail. And I, I, I'll make that distinction between jail and prison. Like jail is basically where you're you're put temporarily. But, you know, sometimes people end up staying there for years because like they never get to trial, which is just insane to me. <laughs> it's like that you're and you can't afford bail. <laughs> yeah, you can't afford bail. So you're staying in jail until you, you reach your, your time for trial. Um, yeah, so you see these people being released and I'm actually curious to like go back there, um, and drive past it because one of the things that he captured in it is there's these row of, uh, pay phones in front of it. And you see like one guy, I think using it. And then there's like a family that comes out of the, and I know like, I'm just wondering like in the age of smartphones, like are those pay phones still there? Like, That's you know, outside. Question. Yeah, if you need to make a call after prison, you know, what, yeah, what if you, you went to jail, like, before smartphones existed, and then they just let you out, so you have no other way of, like, contacting anybody on the outside, um, yeah, but that, that is fascinating, and then he, he, he shot a place, too, that was, like, um, like, pretty close to me, I'm giving away my location right now, but he shot, um, at the Crystal Cathedral, um which is in garden grove um and yeah i i'm not too far from that place and it's a fascin it's like one of the best like pieces of architecture in in orange county and what it was known for previously and they've stopped doing it though is that it used to be a drive-in cathedral oh. so you could go to church in your car <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, wow. so they have a massive parking lot because it was meant for that. And, you know, the preacher's, so like, on a mic, a loudspeaker, you know, speaking to everyone, you know. Um, yeah, I wish I had got to experience it when they still did it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I, was, I love that, you know, he, he, he goes even as far, you know, even though, yeah, we're not Los Angeles. We're a different county already. It's like, you know, saying that something in New Jersey is part of New York City you know oh, wow. <laughs> that kind of thing mm. yeah like he, he he's expanding the definition but you know it's funny because we it's kind of a joke that Orange County gets roped into being like you know a satellite of LA because it's like our baseball team is named the Los Angeles Angels even though we're nowhere near and then you know we obviously have Disneyland here and everybody thinks that Disneyland is in LA you know 
So there's all these things where, like, yeah, I think he may be commenting on that, like, of <laughs> Orange County still, like, being part of L.A. You know, I mean, it's, it's depending on where you are, it could be, like, a half-hour drive with no traffic from, <laughs> so it's not too far. Um, yeah, another amazing shot in it is he, he films Grand Avenue, which is a notorious street for before, like, I guess, uh, GPSs, like, learned a little better like it confused gps's all the time because it's a double decker street oh yeah they yeah. have that it, it's kind of thing here in in colorado i remember the yeah. first time i ever saw a double decker highway i was like what is happening <laughs> what is this yeah and what's incredible about it is double decker and it's still on top of a hill on top of that that's yeah. insane so, so the gps would never know whether you're on the top part of grand or you're on the bottom part of grand which was just so funny you know if you get lost in downtown oh, driving luck. and that can happen because a lot of streets in downtown are also one-way streets mm. um yeah but like i love that he captured that because it is like one of the great sites and like if you ever go to la like that part of grand actually now is where the broad museum is which is like a great like free museum oh, cool. um yeah which has a lot of modern art in it um and uh i think uh yeah the Walt Disney Concert Hall is also just like a little further up um and oh another weird like connection to Benning actually most of his films get screened there at the... no way oh, <laughs> yeah cool. so okay so this is a weird like bizarre connection so the the Walt Disney Concert Hall is actually it was established by Roy and Edna Disney and they were, you know, I guess their alma mater is CalArts, so they're, like, big, like, patrons of CalArts. So they decided, okay, we're going to build this amazing concert hall in L.A., which is also, like, an incredible architectural marvel. They got, like, uh, Frank Gehry to design it. And it's, like, this massive, like, um, bends of steel that um, apparently was inspired by, like, just random pieces of paper on a desk. Huh. <laughs> like, that was the, the inspiration for it. Um, and then in the back of this like incredible concert hall, um, uh, there's a movie theater. Well, it's a, it's a performance uh, space. It can be used for like stage and, and uh, dance. But then, yeah, they also tend to screen a lot of movies there. And a lot of them are from CalArts, you know, and James Benning is a teacher at CalArts. So a lot of his films get screened at that theater. <laughs> and it's just funny that it's like a Disney theater where, where Benning gets his work screened at. Yeah, it feels um, like so, like, you would never expect that. That's so funny. Yeah, and yeah, so that, that Double Decker Street, that's where it's at, you know. Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, he also shot, like, a, a K-Town uh, mini mall, which kind of uh, gives me PTSD. Because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, K-Town or Koreatown, in, uh, which is, like, right next to downtown in L.A., um, it's notorious for being terrible for parking. Oh, no. Um, and it's just so funny because where he focuses on this parking lot, it's obviously very tiny. Um, you know, there's plenty of space. Like, you can actually just drive in there and park, you know? And, like, it seems like somebody's actually leaving. These days, you can't do that anymore. Like, a lot of these mini malls, actually, you kind of have to prove that you're going to one of those businesses to be able to park in it. And then it's, like, valet or oh, something like that. You wow, have to pay. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's just gotten so crowded. And then, you know, if you're trying to find street parking in K-Town, good luck. Like, you know, you're probably going to have to walk a mile to wherever you originally intended to go. Um, but yeah, that's why it gave me PTSD. <laughs> 
and then um yeah he has this shot again political uh <laughs> of um it's a cop formation i think they oh, were yeah. going through training and the there's protesters yelling that they're fascists i was like yeah. <laughs> laughing <laughs> the cops look yeah, so he, uncomfortable <laughs> right and it's incredible because they're not reacting to it but then you find out later on oh because benning added that sound later on that wasn't really um, oh, did he? But, I thought that they yeah, were like yeah. fidgeting around. It looked like they yeah. were uncomfortable. Well, it, it yeah, it's weird. I think maybe it's more to do with like rookie jitters because oh, okay. they're like training, and then also like it's weird in terms of access. This is also another thing that fascinates me about him is like the question of access in terms of um, he's he says he's able to get in and out of places quickly, but sometimes actually he he is able to just like stay there and film and like ask permission most people are cool with it which is great so i guess the cops were were all right with him filming that because he's pretty up close you know yeah. um, he's not like filming from far away like he's like the next cop is like right there in front of us yeah um yeah but i guess yeah he 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 got permission to to film them and which is funny now like in our <laughs> age where you know body cams and stuff but cops are still like you know they're very aggro if you try to film them yeah, yeah like... i guess he didn't tell them that he was gonna put the fascist overlay after yeah <laughs> no he didn't yeah and they'll never see it you know it's like uh, they probably didn't even know who he was they're like oh so who's this funny. old man yeah oh my gosh. um and then yeah he shoots uh steve one of your favorite places in all of la uh dodger stadium question Ooh. of access too yeah he managed wow. to get into dodger stadium and film not during a game, though. It's like basically, again, it's tapping into this thing of like, who are these unseen people, the laborers, you know, like who basically have to water, you know, the grain. Um, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, so he focused on that. But I was wondering initially, I was like, man, he got into Dodger Stadium and like was able to, to film there. And I, I haven't heard the story of how he was able to do that, um, you know, because, yeah, Dodger Stadium, it's like, it's notoriously hard to get into if you, you know, like it's on a hill for one thing. Yeah. And then there's all these like, um, what do you call those? The parking attendant booths that are blocking yeah. the way to even get in. And it's hard to get out of there too. Like the, what is it? The place called it Chavez Ravine. And I think that's another thing, you know, that he's kind of tapping into. If you know, you know. So like in order for them to, to build Dodger Stadium in Chavez Ravine, they basically had to get rid of, the entire community that lived there. Yeah. <laughs> so they displaced them in order to build Dodger Stadium. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. So all the people who used to live there, um, you know, and uh, funnily enough though, the adjacent neighborhood to it that's like nicknamed the uh, Frog Town, like it's it's one of the like most dangerous neighborhoods in LA. Like so if you ever like are going to a Dodger game, don't walk out of Dodger Stadium. <laughs> like, yeah, drive. <laughs> Or wait for your Uber or whatever to get out of it. Because if you end up in Frogtown, I'm sorry. Like, that's it. Yikes. <laughs> um, Such yeah, a friendly so... name for it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. I can't remember. The... Do you know, Steve, what the origin of Frogtown is? Why it's called that? I don't, actually. Oh, let okay. Me, let me it sounds look it so whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's like Alice in Wonderland or something. Exactly. Or, uh, it Toad's sounds, Wild Ride. It sounds like, yeah, yeah Over the Garden Wall. Yeah. Or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jason Funderburger. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny. There's that parallel, too, because I found out about Lincoln Center in New York. Um, they also, like, displaced that neighborhood in order to build Lincoln Center, that that was like a thriving... I mean, you know, actually, um, In the Heights, which is a terrible musical and movie, 
by <laughs> the dilettante uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. I'm not um, a fan <laughs> of him. <laughs> yeah, he's awful. But like, it touches upon that of just like that was that neighborhood, um, uh, like that basically that got displaced and they got pushed up further north. Oh, sorry, no, fuck, I'm messing that up. It's not <laughs> Lin Man. It's not in the Heights. It's West Side Story. What the oh. fuck? <laughs> yeah, okay. what he ripped okay. off. Yeah, West Side Story was about that neighborhood. That's okay. That we can destroyed. still drag him anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That was my opportunity just to rip into him. And then um, just real quick. So mm-hmm. Frogtown, the actual name of the area is called Elysian Valley. Right. And sometime in the, between the 1930s and the 1960s, the neighborhood got the name when a swarm of western toads invaded its streets. <laughs> Literally oh, Frogtown. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Good to know. You know, obviously, in that time, there was a ton of construction and mm. development. So I'm guessing those frogs also got misplaced and they yes. kind of just came into that area. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Incredible. Crazy. <laughs> oh, good Amazing. to know. Piece of LA history right there. Wow. Okay. So he shoots oil derricks as well. Again, another <laughs> ubiquitous. Uh, James Benning shot. Classic. Um, yeah, and I uh, as it was progressing, I was actually thinking of another movie that kind of captures L.A. through, like, interstitial shots in a way. And I don't know if either of you have, have seen Night on Earth, the Jim Jarmusch movie. No, no. I, I've oh, only man. seen a handful of Jarmusch movies. It's such a blind spot, I feel bad. Uh, I would say, like, Night on Earth is creeping up there for me as, like, one of his best. Like, I would say it's probably my top three of of his films like it, it really like it's grown on me so much over the years it's his warmest movie like it's such a moving film you know talking about like movies that can make you cry like that movie mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also one of his funniest like thanks to to roberto benini but the beauty of it it's set in five different cities and every opening to each city has like its own like kind of it, what establishes the vibe of each city and it's beautiful in in LA like he's just capturing all these things that are almost like you know mini poems in a way in these shots and they're they're a lot quicker than than Benning but it also captures the character of the city like one shot that I can't forget is like it's an abandoned car on a street you know it's somebody like probably parked there and never used the car again and like a palm tree is kind of like growing into it like it's basically covering the windshield because it's just yeah yeah so it's a shot like that or like the rocky and bullwinkle statue you know stuff like that that really establishes uh, there's like a famous car wash in la that they also shot with the palm trees in the background so yeah it's it's amazing stuff and i I started to relate that to to this film what do you Um, think of like la or los angeles plays itself have you seen that film Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Steve did an oh, yeah. e- and I did an episode on it. Oh, yeah, no it's way. one of our favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, do you feel like that is more representative of? LA? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's funny. The guy who made it, uh, Tom Anderson, he's not. I, I found out he's not actually originally from L.A. Oh, funny. But he, yeah, but he is one of those transplants who really like adapted uh, to L.A. and he really appreciates the culture of L.A. And it's funny. Like, I actually rewatched it again. Um, uh, in preparation for this episode, I was just like, yeah, like there's certain things that it touches huh. upon, and oh, I don't remember. Right. Uh, maybe this is a Mandela effect thing, but I, I kind of could have sworn he featured like a shot from Los in <laughs> <laughs> Los Angeles plays itself because, yeah, it, it's very neatly structured. Uh, obviously, they're they're both friends. Um, they they both teach at CalArts, 
um and all, uh, tom anderson tends to like host the screenings like the q a's for for benning's films oh, cool. um but like uh yeah the the like the way he structured it is like towards the end of the film he's basically showing like what he feels are films that represent la best you know <laughs> i love that he has like this whole hate for for heat which i still think is a great la movie it's <laughs> great uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah and i mean he even mocks um uh, uh william friedkin's uh, to live and die in la too <laughs> a lot in that but yeah i also love that movie as well but you know it's like he he leans more towards i mean yeah he obviously loves uh, yeah he features some shots from a uh, night on earth uh in it um he loves uh you know a lot of them uh the filmmakers uh like charles burnett and uh Haley Jerema um and uh Billy Woodbury like those filmmakers that that's what he feels like killer of sheep are like more representative or Kent McKenzie's um uh the exiles you know but I love how he's like basically choosing the periphery details I mean one of the things he says early on in the movie is like you know if a mo- and this ties into narrative which I love is the you know, if you're starting to notice like the background, then that means the story isn't working, you know, and that's not always the case. What if we do just focus on the background of these films and like, mm. you know, yeah. uh, I also love that he's not actually the narrator, even though he wrote the narration, like he got somebody else to do it. But his voice doesn't sound too dissimilar from <laughs> the guy doing the narration. Uh, but yeah, Los Angeles plays itself. Uh, also, like yeah, great like companion piece to this. Like I think if you want to get a version of LA, like I think actually it's a good movie to watch before Los. Huh. Um, yeah, because like you know it kind of gives you an idea of what LA. I guess what most people who live in LA feel about it in terms of you know being on the outside of the industry or like you know being in that kind of clique, you know. Um, yeah, it's a great film. But yeah, why did you bring that up, Kay? I'm just curious, like, what prompted it? Oh, oh, you're just talking about other films that represent L.A., and that was just yeah, that yeah. came to mind. Yeah. Ah, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, just a couple more shots I want to mention from the yeah. the film. Um, he focuses on the Metrolink, which is a commuter train, and that's also something that I think if you live here, especially you live outside of LA, it's something that's significant because if you don't have a car, um, that is your only way to LA. Like, I mean, you know, you could pay like hundreds of bucks to, for an Uber, but you know, the, there's no taxis that come out to like the, the exterior parts of the greater Los Angeles area. So you have to take the Metro link um, to get to LA. So that's like basically the commuter train that people take if you work in LA or you have to do something in LA and you don't, or sometimes, you know, you just don't want to be stuck in traffic. You know, people take this train and, you know, I, my first year here, I didn't know how to drive. So that was a train that I was very familiar with. I, I took it a lot. And like, I, I, I did a short film on it that actually like, uh, I decided to just ride the train from end to end, you know, so it, it all ends in Union Station and I just wanted to see like where it ends up. Like I took one of them randomly and just like see what the last station was and then I just took the train back, you know, and <laughs> made a, a short film out of it. Um, yeah, so it is, it's a very significant um, uh, uh, train for, for people who know, <laughs> you know, who don't drive <laughs> in L.A., and some those people do exist. Like you can be carless in LA. Like it, it, like I think there was even like an article about it in the LA Times. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the I guess the close to the end of the movie, 
and this is the shot that like Benning said he had like a lot of trouble with just because he just didn't feel comfortable shooting it um was uh, uh the shot in Skid Row and there's like an altercation going on um and this was I think cuz I don't remember Steve do you know when the tents started popping up in downtown um god I mean I know there was a big increase after occupy oh um, okay but so but are you thinking before that yeah no because i don't remember i i think because you know i obviously was gone for a while and you know i when i came back that's when i noticed that oh wow there's yeah. all these tents everywhere because i don't remember yeah, that i think when i, I think there was before. a big jump up after all the after occupy la wow okay yeah that makes sense um yeah so this I was think, pre- I think a lot of people so or at least this is just anecdotally that you know mm-hmm. a lot of people came in had their tents and then what when it was over they just left a lot of them or gave gave them Man. to the homeless community yeah, yeah. oh but, that's wild but but that's kind of that's like half anecdotal half no that's know, great could be true so yeah, yeah. i mean i'm curious uh you know since it's it's been something that's been around for a while now um i even love like the joanna hogg short film that she made recently where she talks about like how she struggles like not shooting that in downtown and in hollywood oh like, right the, the tents you know she mentions that like she feels guilty doing that so benning also felt that because also he, this was, I think, the only shot he did, maybe in the whole trilogy, where he had to hide it. So he basically like dressed up as a UPS guy, like dressed head to toe in brown, and then um, uh, he put the camera in a box, and then he laid it on one of those like there's you know these like kind of vents or generators like on the street, and he just put it. He propped up the box there and just like acted like he was waiting for something, yeah. <laughs> and oh, then he filmed the, the street. Yeah, so, and yeah, this was 6th Street, which is now, like, if you go back there, it's, like, lined with tents. Like, you know, it's it's in the heart of Skid Row. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, he just felt uncomfortable doing it, but it was just, like, something that, that I think, you know, if he was going to do a portrait of L.A. and, you know, pre-tent, you know, era, <laughs> like, he captured it, you know, and it, it just goes to show how long this has been going on that, like, yeah, because I, I, I'm also fascinated by Skid Row that, like, basically you know as a country or as a city they allow it to exist you know (laughs) it's just a thing where people just turn a blind eye and dump all all the people there and then just like okay here you go like this is an area where you can be and then you know we're you don't bother us we don't bother you which is not what happens obviously they bleed out from from and that is always fascinating to see too in downtown like to walk around downtown is to you know, to see the interactions between um, people from Skid Row and people who are a a lot of tourists, you know, and stuff like that. So, but yeah, the fact that it exists there and, you know, Benning was completely uncomfortable doing the shot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Because, yeah, like just him having to hide it. Plus, you know, there was that confrontation going on in the shot. There's like a fight, Um, you know, it, it, it's very, yeah, it's a little more like transgressive than other <laughs> uh, shots in Benning films, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, he ends with the ocean, which is appropriate, you know. I so love we it. begin and end with water, and yeah, the water thing is a connection throughout all of them, right? Um, yeah. They always are bookended by by bodies of water. Um, so so Gobi, the third part, and it's funny, I. 
you know, I've seen Los and El, El Valley Centro like so many times, but I've never watched the Gobi. <laughs> Why not? Like this was yeah, preparing for this episode, this was my first time, and like I'm just thinking like too that the, you know when he first released the the trilogy, like he actually showed them together, um, so people oh, could cool. actually go in and watch it for five hours. Yeah, oh, just like, that would be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of like the foremost like uh, James Benning scholars, uh, Julie Alt, she has this story about like basically that the. Um, she yeah she went to see it at anthology archives and like she was with like uh like a hispanic family and they they're the only ones that sat through the whole thing that's like, so they watched cool the entire thing. <laughs> i love that yeah yeah so i think yeah that that's a big part of it is that sugobi really needs to be with these other two like i i don't really feel like it stands um on its own as well as the other two you know, like, I think Los can be watched uh, completely independently of the other two, um, especially. But Sagobi, for some reason, like, I feel like it needs these other two films to really resonate, you know. And uh, I- I'll also say, like, another big reason why I-, I had skipped it for the longest time was, um, uh, I well, the first time I even, like, read something about these movies was um, through the Time Out Film Guide. Um, and there's a British critic who, funnily enough, is named Neil Young. <laughs> Nothing to do with the Canadian musician. Um, yeah, this British critic named Neil Young, he he reviews Benning films. So um, he's talking about, like, how great El Valley Centro and Los is and, like, how funny they can be. You know, it's like, you know, he's talking about, like, effusive praise for these films. Like, you know, like that Los An- uh, Los actually makes Los Angeles, like, a... Uh, a work of art <laughs> like that's what he he talks about and then when you get to his review of Sogobi, he basically says well this proves that the geniuses uh also have their off days <gasps> yeah <laughs> like, that's what he said <laughs> oh my gosh what yeah. a thing to say <laughs> i know right uh and i guess maybe if benning ever read that he's like yeah i don't want to talk to this guy but <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah so um yeah I, I think that definitely affected me i always just thought like oh maybe it's the lesser of the trilogy but yeah, oh, yeah. like because of this episode and uk like um asking if we could do this like it was like oh that gives me the perfect reason to finally complete the trilogy <laughs> and watch it um and i can tell why people like are if even if they are like on board with the other two that they're not with Sogobi as much because yeah, there is that difference. It's it's now focusing mainly on the wilderness. I like that though. Yeah, exactly. And it it's also setting the table for the next two films that he makes, which is 13 Lakes and and 10 Skies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um where he really is going back to nature. Um and initially I think his plan was for it to be like totally untouched nature, like it was like no humans um at all you know so we we're now away from humans and the industries but you just can't get away from it you know uh but i i don't remember seeing like a single like human figure like i think the only evidence of humans we get um in this version are like through vehicles and machines almost like yeah and but yeah it is fascinating when i thought initially when it started i was like oh is this like uh this is going to be just like how California was before it was untouched, you know, and just like focusing on the wilderness. And yeah, the, there was something really calming about it. And, you know, it, it is definitely a good way to like get started if you want to get into his just like stuff where it's just out in nature, no people whatsoever. Like this is a good kind of entry point, I think, for that, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and then you know you you brought up K about like his his contrasts initially. Yeah, the movie also plays with like loud, quiet, loud. <laughs> the ocean at the beginning is super loud, and then the next one is like I think an orchard, and it's just like it can be calming. kind of jarring. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he he also just like does hard cuts right from each shot, or is there like yeah, yeah, there is because. That that's the other thing about like the whole trilogy. Like once it finally cuts to black, it's so affecting for some reason for me. Yeah, like, I yeah because you know we were just like two and a half minute shots after one another, and then it's like oh that's it, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of startling. It's like oh like because once you really kind of get into the groove and you get into the rhythm, it's like it it's for me at least I don't want it to end I'm like I could watch this for hours right. and hours and hours and then suddenly it's over and it's like oh but I thought there was gonna be more <laughs> yeah exactly me, and least. I mean yeah yeah we're, we're talking about like these films with two and a half minutes which might be a task but yeah the the ultimate running time of the all these movies are 87 minutes you know, know. it's shorter than most movies yeah, yeah um great. yeah so but yeah it's just that the the shot length you know he's like oh i, I think he made another joke in the QA where he said that um i forgot what new release it was at that time um he was saying that uh like there's more shots in the opening of like this movie that just came out versus his entire like trilogy <laughs> you know he's saying that. yeah so um yeah so yeah it, it it is an adjustment though if you're you're i i feel like you know the the two other movies are like sexy and exciting if you can say that about huh. slow, his, his slow films sure. whereas Gobi is really like the mature kind mm. of um meditative piece of, of the whole thing um but it is also necessary because if you end it with los it's just kind of well yeah it, it even though you end with the ocean it's like I, ironically enough it's still open-ended you know it's yeah, like he um, builds this kind of momentum with it yeah right and then we get to see it um like you know the, the callbacks you know to certain things so like yeah you mentioned the blank billboard you know it's now blank and it's like in the middle of nowhere <laughs> it seems um yeah and it's like been torn down and i guess like it's like why would somebody have a billboard out there <laughs> like you know it's like what's the the traffic like along this billboard because uh, you know i mean he's we mentioned about how he he manipulates sound i wonder if he took out like the sound of cars passing by it's hard to say because that billboard looks yeah. like so dilapidated and dusty yeah. and stuff too. Like it's hard to imagine that it's been used in the last like, mm. few years at least. Right. And I mean, that that is another thing that he likes to focus on is like, you know, in terms of places like it being previously occupied. Mm. And is it possible that this was like an, a part of like an abandoned town or city that's now gone? You know, because he, he also talks about the Salton Sea, which figures a lot in, in most of his work. And that yeah. was like a resort town or a holiday town that people would go to. And, you know, it flooded <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> and it, it came from your neck of the woods, too, okay? I think like the Colorado River. <laughs> Sorry. <accident. laughs> yeah, and people lost their homes and it's Aww. crazy, you know. And yeah, But now and it's like this... No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to just say, like, even with Allensworth, like, his most recent mm. one, that's, like, a whole city that, or a town that just doesn't really exist anymore. You mm. know, it was, like, totally right. erased, and he went back and captured it and all these stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he loves abandoned places. That's definitely <laughs> another part of his his, his over. Um, yeah, so 
we come full circle with this film and yeah. that ending, man. So we, we go back to the spillway. It's now like actually shot from a different angle mm. and there's no longer water flowing through it. So, you know, you can <laughs> add it up to a lot of things. You can interpret that in a few ways. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shot. And like, just to touch back on a few shots that I loved before mm. too, like in Los, I think my favorite shot was by the airport where you see those two huge jets coming like right at you and you're swallowed oh, yeah. by the shadow. Like, I love that yeah. shot. Um, I mean, I've only been to LA a couple of times. I don't think I've spent more than like 48 hours total in LA. So I can't yeah. really speak to like the cultural impact of these places or geography but i loved that shot and then um yeah the closing shot um with that with the water and it like being kind of it has that like concrete barrier it's so Mm. yeah not in los but of um gosh why am i spacing on it now what is it called what is is sagobi thank you yeah 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 it's it's, yeah it's a weird title compared to the other two because uh i think this one is native american um so the other two are spanish and this one yeah i I forgot what local (laughs) language it is but um it's uh it's it means the the land yes um yeah i just spaced on the name for a second so thank you Um, (laughs) it's all good but yeah it's a very powerful and affecting image to end on yeah Really? Yeah, that is. Yeah, and it, like, uh, I mean, you know, I guess one interpretation about it is, you know, the, the, the a constant problem that we seem to have down here is uh, droughts. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's probably one of the things that is not dra- uh, draining anymore. Mm. And I guess this is actually what in- inspired me to go back to to Los Angeles plays itself because one of the key like sequences is the Chinatown sequence in that. And what I love about that whole sequence is that basically, um. And then also in turn, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and LA Confidential is that uh, like uh, Tom Anderson is like dispelling these myths about how how LA was formed. You know, that like uh, there's this whole myth that people still believe to this day that basically that the water was like stolen from Owens Valley, which was like, you know, farmland. And they basically like illegally like streamed the water from there. Um, They opened like an aqueduct. Um, in order to, and I think it's like William Walholland who headed that project. And, you know, he's obviously got a, a famous uh, street named after him. Um, and uh, yeah, but like, uh, I was thinking about that because of like, oh, now there's the drought because of all the water that <laughs> they've been taking. But then when I went back to the Los Angeles place itself, he talks about like, no, that that's actually not what happened. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the public actually approved for the water to come through. But like, you know, it's more you know exciting and thrilling to build that that myth of like that we stole the water that you know la is corrupt and you know all these these studio bigwigs you know as terrible as they were you know like that that was one of the other things that they did to like feed their industry was to steal water from you know farmland um but yeah it's just fascinating with that final shot and it's it's quiet you know that's the other thing it's like completely silent the water is almost still yeah, and then also, um, yeah, I think I sent this to you like earlier. The um, the final, the, each of them also have like pieces of music, but it's fasc- fascinating how they're kind of sourced from something else. Like you hear it from like a radio, or um, like I think he said like the song that ends um, Los. Like I think he recorded it like in a cantina that he was in, <laughs> um, and he used that. But the yeah, the end of of Sogobi was so moving because it was um. 
uh, it's a Sioux version of uh, Amazing Grace. Oh, really? Uh, by yeah, by this artist, um, Johnny Mike. Um, yeah, and it's so beautiful. Like it's such a beautiful piece that that ends it. And you know, there's also a beautiful like native uh, piece that plays in four corners. Um, so yeah, actually, it, it opens four corners. Um, it's like a piece that starts the film. So. Yeah, this uh, this California trilogy was basically like the start of a hot streak for Benning. I mean, I, I really think like he couldn't miss, you know, after this, like uh, his final like um, uh, 16 millimeter works. It was 13 lakes, uh, 10 skies, um, uh, RR and um, uh, casting a glance. I'm always blanking on casting a glance. So those ended up being his his, his final uh 16 millimeter works and what a way to go out like uh these two are actually paired on a dvd um and it was one of the times where i think they were still like kind of figuring out how to to transfer his films because it's like window boxed mm. um <laughs> it's opposite to letterboxed um if you, <laughs> you guys know <laughs> yeah window box is basically like you get the black bars on the side and at the bottom so it's it's weird to see it because you're even more aware of like you're watching this square frame in a black box, you know. Um, and it's already weird to watch a James Benning movie on TV because you know all our TVs are sixteen by nine, and a lot of his films are the square aspect ratio, so four by three. Um, and uh, yeah, so they they were still figuring it out with this film. I wish they would re-release the DVDs actually and. Uh, do a better version of them but I, I'm hoping like I think um, since they're doing all these remasters um, these these two films get that um, that treatment because um, they deserve it um, uh, with RR you know as we were alluding it to it was like our end our gateway I was saying that the the thing that shocked me so much about the film was you know the structure of the that it takes the length of time of the train to pass through the frame and one of the the early shots that was just hilarious was the, the tiny train. Do you remember this one, Kay? Where I don't actually remember the tiny train. Oh my god, it's <laughs> so good. This. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it was a train because um, just my familiarity like with riding. No, it was um, I think it was one of those pickup trucks where they modified the wheels to like go oh. on railroads. Like these are like maintenance vehicles that they have basically, oh, and they go along the railroad this. tracks. Yeah, because I remember seeing them in New York City, and that m- helped me piece it together. Because um, the shot in the film, it's like um, it's close to dusk, so you can barely see it. But it's just so comical to see this like tiny thing, like going down the the railroad tracks, and it's shot from a, a strange angle too. It's like from above, almost. It's like was he on a bridge filming it? Um, but yeah, it's just uh, yeah, the, the, early on that shot, I was like, I like this guy, like. Yeah, there's like- this- this sense of humor to it and then you know obviously the intentional uh soundtrack uh too i mean there's really two main standout audio clips and one is um you know general eisenhower's like retirement speech or when he was i guess stepping down from being president the where he was warning people of the military industrial complex which is incredible um and then uh the nolan ryan no hitter you know, which is, you know, he's obviously like such a big baseball fan that he, he remembers that game and he, he had to play the broadcast over the radio as the the trains are passing. But yeah, it's it's an incredible work. And, you know, what a way to, to end his his 16 millimeter filmmaking. 
um, so yeah. Good. And uh, oh, so yeah. oh, oh, just real quick. So, so mm-hmm. those trucks that go on 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 the on the rail line, those are called high mm-hmm. rail trucks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect, a high rail truck. And yeah, actually, the movie that was paired with it. Have you seen Casting a Glance, Kay? Not yet. I uh, there's still oh. like a, a good chunk of his filmography that I need to mm. get to, but I think that this will definitely like this chat will definitely spur me to <laughs> absolutely fill in yeah. those oh, yeah. gaps. Oh, that's, yeah. great. that's great. Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised by this too because I just thought, oh man, I'm gonna see like uh, I don't know. I I just feel like the Spiral Jetty. Uh, it's something that you go to experience yourself, and I just didn't want to see a movie about the Spiral Jetty in that way. Even though you know you mentioned the Robert Smithson Spiral Jetty film, which is one of my favorites, yeah, and I think so it's good. it's closer to me. In, yeah, in terms of my philosophy of like assemblage and editing, like I think Smithson's idea is like my jam. Like that's what I would do. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I was just like, man, I'm I'm. I'm like, do I really want to see this? But, you know, since it was paired with RR and I was a completist, I was like, yeah, let me just watch it. And, like, let me let me just see the first few shots. And I didn't realize how inventive the structure of it is. And it all has to do with... And I think Smithson never got to see this happen because, you know, he died tragically in a in a, a plane crash. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's an earthwork. It's it's this, like, uh, this spiral of, like, stones that um, is in... Uh, it's in Utah somewhere, and I think um, it's now owned by the Dia Foundation. Does what? it still exist? I thought it. I thought it was like yeah. more ephemeral, and it like eroded into the water. Oh no! Well, here's the thing, Kay. So it that that's really like the the beautiful accident that I think Smithson created because it's an earthwork. So what happened was, um, uh, like I guess though he didn't account for the tides and like the rising tides, so it sank. Yeah, it was like lost for a while. Right, right. Like it was gone. And then but now it's resurfaced again. And actually like more recently like James Benning actually made another film just to kind of come back to it. It's it's completely above water. There's no water around it. <gasps> no like you way. can just walk out walk and it's out like and desert. It's, like desert. <laughs> it's oh like flat like, you know. Yeah. I really so, want to go see yeah. it now. I thought that it was lost yeah. because, like, I yeah. No. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, time to go to Utah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on my list, and it's definitely like a place you have to drive to. But Benning has mentioned like it's the experience of like trying to find it because there's actually two of them apparently, but the, that's the main one is the Robert Smithson one. Um, he said the experience of finding it has, like the fun has been taken out because since it was bought by the Dia Foundation, like they now have signs everywhere. And obviously, oh. if you use your GPS on your phone, you know you can right. fi- you can find it through Google Maps. But he said that was part of it was just like trying because he he came back to it several times. Like it's in in several of his films um, was like just trying to figure out how he got back there. And like you know he was saying like you know these unintentional things that Smithson intended like are now part of the work because like you know um, because it got flooded. Like, there's all these, like, debris and stuff that's now around it, you know? Um, so, yeah, and it, it's, like, a quote that he likes mentioning of, like, the the landscapes mired in abandoned hope, you oh, know? That's, that's so, good. That's a good line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Smithson's <laughs> writing is incredible. Like, he really was, yeah. like, a talent. Like, I have that book, The Selected Writings of Robert Smithson, and it's it's incredible. It's so inspiring. Um but yeah, so the other thing about casting a glance that I forgot to mention, which is the main premise of it, or the main approach that Benning takes, is he actually, within the span of like two years, 
captures the tide rising that it took like in 30 years you know so he's actually chronicling the the tide rising and then you know he has a title card before every shot that basically says like 1972 or like 1982 so he's actually capturing like when the tide was going up and then when it sank so within two years he managed to see it like sink and then kind of re-emerge again from the water um oh my gosh yeah and then see this yeah it's it's a really incredible film and like uh there's another like musical cue in it um which kind of uh is a nice like subtle like um like connection so um it's a very moving like country song i forgot if it's like loretta lynn or somebody whoever was like in uh married to graham parsons um and it's it's a well-known song i'm blanking on it right now but um uh yeah maybe steve you can bring it up (laughs) what was the song in casting a glance um but yeah pull that up steve um i can't believe uh, i had no idea i never looked at the yeah. synopsis of casting a glance I thought yeah yeah that's why you know it's gone. it's incredible that he you know he and you know he used math to basically figure out how the tide rose that's crazy you know to time it yeah it's um, incredible and you know just that connection with that country song was um because graham parsons also died in a plane crash like Smithson did. So it's like a very moving like moment in the film when the, the song comes on. And I mean, I think a lot of it, when, when James Benning chooses to use music, it's just so moving, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, I know. Well, you were talking, we were talking earlier about movies that make, make us cry. And I didn't reference L Cohen because we, it was yeah. early in our conversation, but I watched that last night and I, I, I cried so much because like there's that drone for like the first 30 minutes or something and you see yeah. the eclipse and then the Cohen song comes in and it's so, it's so affecting after hearing almost nothing yeah it just moved me to tears like it's he uses music so well it's so tasteful yeah it's incredible and i mean i love that you know he's also aware of like how music works in movies Mm. that he he mentioned that like he said it would have been easy to just end the shot after the song ends Mm -hmm. but he doesn't he keeps going like it's just the soundtrack keeps going i mean that was really the last bending film i saw that i just like was completely enamored by like i thought it was a masterpiece and so good i mean i think you saw my letterbox review where i i quoted um speed levitch from waking life yeah um, i love that yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah it's such a beautiful film is uh, the song Lo- Love Hurts by Graham Parsons? I guess that was it. Yeah, it's Love Hurts, right? Okay. Yeah, it's such an obvious song, but yeah, it's just so beautifully. Yeah, it's a duet with his partner at that time. So yeah, and then, you know, Graham Parsons passed away through a plane crash like Smithson did. Um, but yeah, in, I guess we can get into Elko in a little bit, um, even though it is a little later. Um, uh, the whole thing with that too was fascinating. So he, he drove up to Oregon to make that film because he knew that eclipse was happening and uh, i don't know if you guys remember that eclipse that was like very vaguely yeah 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 Yeah, it was like 2017 i think when it happened um and yeah i was in new york at that time so we barely got to see it but i i still ended up like on a pier with a bunch of people who were trying to see it and uh they they had like yeah yeah, and they had these lenses that allowed you to look into the sun. Like somebody was actually wearing a welding mask, and nice. I guess that allows you to look up to the sun. Cool. Um, so yeah, it was a solar eclipse, but in New York, like the way it passed, like you could only see it if you had like a specific lens. Like it just wasn't gonna show up. It was just like a very, like dark, like 
fingernail <laughs> shadow <Yeah. laughs> moving across the sun. Um, but yeah, the, the the peak of that path was along the west coast. So he went to like I think what was the best place in Oregon to to experience it, and he was talking about like how initially, because um, you know it, it is a big sound piece, and you know you can see how like the animals um, react to it suddenly becoming yeah, the nighttime. Birds and everything, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and then the cows, and he initially that's what he planned to shoot. He wanted to shoot the cows as it happened, but then he realized like, yeah, it, it might be too obvious, and I, I think that's another that says a lot about his like approach to filmmaking that he he doesn't go for the easy shot like he would rather like make something where it's like okay what what would be more you know like not superfluous like what would be more interesting to do it this way you know and the shot of the mountain during the eclipse is so beautiful like i you know i I, obviously i was just sitting here by myself and aloud i was just like oh wow like it it's so (laughs) yeah it it feels so surreal. It it feels out mm. like just I don't even know. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it looks like and there's like a fire behind it or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the shade of 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 light definitely changes as well. And yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like uh um, moving into his digital stuff. Um. Yeah. The he, aside from manipulating sound, he also has begun to like manipulate image. The, in the way that he does sound like so invisible like cuts and stuff like that this one didn't have any invisible cuts but you know sometimes he will kind of adjust the color as well um but i don't think he touched this one like i think you know that was just how it naturally looked through his camera um and it, yeah no i mean just from a technical aspect you know how um you know our eyes adjust to like light and yeah. how it changes that's why you know we're not blind when <laughs> it's nighttime um but cameras don't like you know you have to actually set your camera in a certain way in order to adjust to nighttime and you know obviously like you have nighttime in this film for um uh how long does it take i don't even remember like it's but not it, it's that a long. good well yeah but uh, yeah for however long it lasts it's like um yeah the, the camera was able to adjust to it beautifully um and yeah who knows how it would have looked if he had shot this on film you know mm-hmm. uh, would he have even been able to capture it because he only had like a 10 10 minute that's the max that you could uh, actually 11 minute uh magazine that's like the max that he could have put in his bolex um yeah so he was really stretching it with um with 13 lakes and 10 skies being 10 minutes each that was the longest that you could do but digital you know it allowed him to do longer shots and um you know it just made sense he was like lamenting you know film processing you know like he just didn't feel like they were being you know they were they weren't processing the color that well which you know he's been proven right with these restorations like you can see what the full color was originally for his 16 millimeter stuff so it just made sense for him to transition to digital and you know it made him completely autonomous because it was like he um you know he no longer had to like submit his film to a lab in order to get it developed get you know get the film back and then you know sometimes you know it would be messed up um uh, so like yeah now he's completely in control of his whole process because all he needs is basically his camera he has his uh, macbook pro he he still edits on the old final cut which i love <laughs> you know he never transitioned to final cut uh 10 um which uh you know it's just like a weird like nerdy thing i guess <laughs> like um but uh yeah he um 
he just has become completely autonomous and then uh he also said like it, it you know obviously he lives in the house he doesn't have like storage for his his films you know to control the temperature so what he did was he just donated all his films to the austrian film museum oh cool yeah and that's why they're now available on dvd because australia the austrian film museum is basically putting them out and that was just the agreement he was like okay i'm gonna give you all my films as long as you preserve them and then restore them and then digitize them and that's what they've done and they've made dvds um uh of the of the works um blu-ray box set when (laughs) i know right like uh, come on criterion like let's let's get on it yeah arrow arrow video put out the james spinning blu-ray box set yeah because i i do think it would benefit like especially seeing the you know like 11 by 14 um like restoration like they do need an hd upgrade because yeah like when i was watching the california trilogy on my tv like i could definitely see those artifacts and stuff of of dvd even though i have a blu-ray player that basically upscales um dvds uh yeah so it helped a little bit but you know sometimes i could just see like man like i i would love to see this in hd you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah now his all his work is in hd and then uh how very fitting that his first digital work he is his first film that he made outside of the United States, uh, which is Roar, um, uh, which is an incredible work. Like, it was so exciting. I remember when that first came out. Um, have you seen this, Kay? I haven't. No, it's oh, one of the few man. I still need to catch. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I really want to see that. Yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible piece. Uh, the thing about it, too, I remember was... Uh, one of my my friends on movie, like he was telling me, like he he gave such a scathing review of it. He said like it was brutal. It looked like I, I was watching somebody's like outtakes from in from their final cut bin. Yeah, <laughs> so he said, oh, yeah, <laughs> so just, like laughing at it because like um, yeah, like it it seems like initially it's random shots. It's not as structured as um his other films. Like you can't really determine like okay, what was the the proof that he wanted to do other than like you know it's just okay this is a fascinating place i want to film it um and yeah it, it will take as long as it needs for me to to do the shot because now i can with digital you know and then i was talking about like the invisible stitches like the very first shot of the film it feels like a long take in this beautiful tunnel it's like man it's it, it really draws you into the film so it's this tunnel that's like a roadway so cars pass through it but then also like there's a, a path on the side where sometimes like there's a cyclist that passes by. So he shot this tunnel multiple times, but there's all these invisible edits. So it feels like it's just all one shot that he did. Um, yeah. And then the tunnel is like under some sort of factory. So every now and then you hear like this kind of um, industrial drone coming in. And then obviously when the cars come in, like it's very quiet in the tunnel, despite like the echo, it's like when the cars come in, like it's very loud and you get that whole experience of it passing, like, you know, through the tunnel, like the, the audio, like feels like it's going from front to back and, you know, vice versa, depending on the direction. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, such an incredible way to start the film. And you, you know, okay. You were mentioning that shot of the airplane flying over, um in los um <laughs> uh, just a weird like connection to to that location by the way so that's right by lax and steve i don't know if you're familiar with it where you're right in the flight path of the landing planes mm-hmm. if you've ever yeah. been there um, oh yeah yeah so you know it's like off of sepulveda 
And you know that there's an in and out there now? <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, so if you're like coming into LA, like that's a lot of people's first stop is in and out, you know? <laughs> it's like they they want to go, but you're right there by the flight path, so they they they've carved out like this green, like it's like this really long like piece of green. You can stand there and then you can just watch like planes like landing over you. You know? <laughs> it's incredible. So um cool. Yeah, so he he alludes to that again um, in Roar, uh, where he films this forest where it's near an airport, but you never see the planes. The only thing you get is the sound, and then the way that the 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 landing planes make the entire forest like vibrate, it's just uh, incredible. But yeah, it's yeah. I think um, in his like uh, over like people will look back on this film and think that yeah, it's really a masterpiece. Like you know, and the the ending is is incredible too. And yeah, I think it's one of his longest shots. Uh, I won't ruin it, but it it is in the promotional <laughs> material. Most people know what it is. Um, but yeah, so he's transitioned into gi- digital by 2009, and then yeah, he it really like starts this another prolific period where now yeah, like he says, like the cost of his movies are basically just a tank of gas and a sandwich. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. You know, because he's shooting on digital, and uh, 2011 was a particularly like fruitful year for him. Um, that was the year that he made uh, two of my favorite films and also they they focus on uh, another idea that I think comes from Cage and also is you know an easy to understand proof which is um, indeterminacy Uh, so the shot basically lasts as long as you know like similar to RR like how long a train passes through or like with small roads in 2011 I love small roads yeah it's amazing right (laughs) yeah it's the length of so peaceful yeah, and it, it's basically the shot is how long the car takes across the yeah. <laughs> the roadway that he films, you know, and then the shot ends. Uh, even though he plays around with that sometimes, sometimes he stays a little longer. And again, you know, chronicling the American landscape, you know, by choosing the small roads, like the ones that are off the main roads is incredible, you know. And there's even like a little bit of narrative again, because, you know, there's a one of the iconic shots in it is the the breakdown. Do you remember that? shot okay where the the car is broken down and the, the person is kind of panicking and they run up the hill and then um I don't yeah actually i won't re- remember that I should oh my god it. that's you have to that's one of when the best I parts of the this? movie i need to check uh, when i logged that movie but you know yeah, what it makes me yeah. think of i think it was in um the documentary on land works and they were talking about mm. about roads as art installation in the environment <laughs> it's not so crazy and so thinking about that and then thinking about small roads it like kind of ties together like his art approach to making film and then this idea mm. of roads as installation work like isn't oh yeah. my gosh it just makes my brain like click on um yeah i watched this it looks like last year so i i don't remember that specific shot but it looks like i'm gonna yeah, have to watch you got, it again you gotta w- go back and watch that bit again i'm it's just incredible. gonna have to rewatch all of benny's <laughs> yeah, filmography yeah, yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah because it's an incredible shot i think it's one of the few two where you see a person outside of a car because you mm. know obviously there there's drivers in these cars mm-hmm. um but yeah like the even just the aesthetic like small caps for small roads you know mm-hmm. and yeah you, you talk about um the installation there was actually like um a companion piece to small roads that was uh, maybe it was even a precursor um 
uh, that was an installation that I was lucky enough to see when I was in New York, and it was called um, Tulare Road. Um, and I think it is one of the small roads he filmed. So that's like a, I think a three screen installation. Okay. So he's just focusing on that road. And then sometimes, yeah, you see the cars like move from one screen to the other. Like, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Or sometimes he'll, he'll have them contrast. So one would, one screen would be like daytime and the other one would be like, um, not, not necessarily nighttime, but like when it's like lesser visibility, like, you know, it's a little more misty early in the morning kind of thing so yeah it's it's an incredible installation and it's too bad yeah that that's one of the things about his installations that you can only see it if you happen to be there at that time that it was showing like it's not really like something that does the rounds again but yeah uh i guess in contrast to small roads um he made this other film which we're we can dig into um called 20 cigarettes oh i loved um, this i loved this yeah. oh my goodness all right, so yeah, let's get into it. Uh, okay, yeah, 20 yeah. Cigarettes um, uh, came out in 2011, and I act- this was the first James Benning film I saw in the theater with him in attendance um, uh, in the 2011 New York Film Festival. So that was a very special festival for me, and I can probably get into that story another time. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this was definitely one of the highlights of that festival and um yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised as well that this was something i i didn't think that james benning would be part of his um filmography that it was like focused solely on people that it was you know it was a portrait film even though northern evers is like that too but this one even more so because i think of the digital aspect um so yeah the the basic premise of it you know from being 20 cigarettes it's um how many cigarettes you get in a pack and each one is basically a friend of his smoking a cigarette and the shot lasts as long as it takes them to smoke a cigarette and that's it and then um yeah what he did actually this is interesting how he approached uh, his working method for this one uh whereas in other ones he's always like behind the camera with this one he actually told them what their frame was so where they would be in the frame so you know not to walk out or you know lean too much to one side um and then he pressed record and then he walked away (laughs) and he allowed them to have this this basically intimate moment of of smoking a cigarette you know um yeah and uh steve you saw this too right so yes this is uh yeah this is the other bending that I've seen. Yeah, so how was that leap from United States of America, like the beginning and now like where he is, you know, well, with digital and everything? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's I had a similar just experience, you know, hmm. so it, it, in in a way they're very complementary and just of, um, I, you know, there's something about being with a person like, you know, so so Benning's not there with them, but that but you get to be with them. Yeah. And there's something about that, that, you know, there's an awkwardness and you can, I feel it in myself. I think I can like kind of project it onto the person in the film at, at different moments. Like, Oh, like, Oh, like what, what are they doing? Are they fidgeting? Are mm. they feeling awkward? Like what's going on? <laughs> you know, it's something that, you know, actors are so great at taking at, at not showing that, you know, at being yeah. as real and not awkward as possible. Um, and that, so you kind of, as a viewer, it's, it's a little shocking to see someone have that vulnerability and to have that a feeling of like, where should I be looking? 
um, kind of kind of a thing. But um, but there's something about being with being with a person silently for five minutes that's um really connecting. Yeah. And um, and my and just my other just takeaway from from watching the movie was just uh, you know, again so much is happening in your mind as you're watching it and you just can't help but notice certain prejudices come up, you know, kind of mm. feeling, feeling more connected to this person than this person at first and kind of trying to work through all of that in a fun contemplative, but real sort of way. And like, I don't know if that's any, if, if any of that was in his intentions, um, speaking of banning, but, um, you know, it's certainly uh, a very, I don't know, just progressive <laughs> kind of film in that sense, just to kind of, you know, here's a way to be with a, as a diverse crew as you can be with uh, in an hour and a half and like really be with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that too, the hour and a half aspect. Like I always had it in my mind that the movie was two hours. So I was like pleasantly surprised when it like ended. I was like, oh, it's 98 minutes. Like it's the perfect length for a movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, it, it, it's that whole thing of like because of the indeterminacy of like how long the shot will take depending on how they smoke the cigarette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like is like sometimes some of them do go longer. And um, yeah, we can get into that. Uh, but yeah, Kay, you were saying you loved this movie. Like, what what was it about this film that you loved? Yeah, I loved this because I I don't know what it was, but there were just a few people that I I felt I I don't even know how to explain it. I want to say a personal connection with, but that's not mm. possible because I don't know them. But there were there was this one woman in particular, um, and she had she was near the end, and she had kind mm. of like bobbed hair kind of graying hair and she for about half of the time was looking directly into the camera and I was so struck by that because at first it's like it happens to a few people where they kind of glance nervously into the lens and you can kind of sense them being like oh I'm not supposed to look at the lens but Mm -hmm. with her it's like you got that a little bit at first but once she had looked at the lens a few times there would be these whole stretches where she's just like looking directly into the camera and as a viewer looking back it's like making unexpected long eye contact with somebody and not only like not wanting to break it but being in a situation where you're not supposed to like you're supposed to keep looking and so it created this like very kind of like intense moment for me of like feeling a strong personal connection with this person that I'd never met who I don't know anything about um but just through eye contact and and how much that can carry in like feeling you know a resonance with another person um so I was really really affected by that but then just throughout the film I thought it was so beautiful how he did stage these shots and how like he put people in different environments where it is like portraiture but it's also kind of like reflective I mean I I can't again speak to it but it feels almost reflective of of their personalities like the people very much seem to fit in their environments even if the environment Mm -hmm. was like a little bit sparse like I remember there was one woman and behind her was just like a thumbtack on one side and then the corner (laughs) yeah there's like a corner of a piece of paper in the other and so it's like yeah I wrote it down um it says um uh Boy and a battery, <laughs> RF Yates. <laughs> that's what it says. 
<laughs> it's like, what does that mean? Right. So it's like you get these like kind of glimpses of like what perhaps you know Benning feels is a is like an accurate reflection of these people or perhaps just where they were or I don't know but and like there were there was like such beautiful composition in it too where like there was one where um a woman was standing and behind her was a picture of two wrestlers and the wrestlers were Mm -hmm. in red and blue uniforms and then it reflected like her her eyes were blue and then she was wearing like red lipstick and a red shirt and I was just like this is so beautiful like the amount of detail that goes into the composition of this like you could look at it as a still you could look at it as like a harry potter moving picture kind of thing where it's just like you know they're moving within (laughs) their frame but like there's just this real like humanity and intensity and like aliveness to it aside from like the beautiful composition as a portrait it it just really struck me i love this film it's so beautiful yeah yeah yeah, and everything that you're mentioning, it's all intentional. Yeah, like the, yeah. The, the background chosen for them and whatever he chooses to show in that background and then also the sound. Yes. You know, the sound is, is also very manipulated in this. Um, like uh, uh, the one standout I love, which is actually James Benning's cameo in the movie, is uh, there's a, it's also towards the end. It's uh, I actually wrote down everybody's name nice. <laughs> who shows up in it. Oh, and then cool. I wrote like a brief description because it helped me like kind of see the contrast and then also like what details I noticed this time around mm. um, but yeah it, it's towards the end it's uh, this kid he's a younger fella um, Jacoby Cosen is his name it's a young black dude and he's probably the one who smokes the fastest in the whole thing like oh. he's really rushing yeah, I, through I, the I cigarette yeah. yeah there's yeah, this yeah. music and then, right I don't remember the music. Oh, that was a different one. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, there's definitely some music that's intentional, too. But with this one, Benning's cameo is basically, he says, hey, fuck you. Like, that's him who says that to him while he's smoking. (laughs) And shows his his, his twisted sense of humor, (laughs) too. Um, And, yeah, that's another thing, actually, to bring up. Like, uh, there's almost no spoken words in it. So when you hear something like that or, like, that one, the earlier guy... Um, um, I'm thinking of his dog's name, Reggie. <laughs> like he says, "Hey, Reggie, come over here," you know, and that's when you hear him talk. Um, well, I'm blanking. Um, but I did want to ask Kay that that older lady that you're saying that was like looking at us, uh, towards the end was she the one who kind of looked like Dame Judi Dench? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like was she wearing like a white? Because there's there's so several middle aged and older ladies in the in the which I love. Piece. Um, yeah, yeah, a yeah. little bit. I would almost have to pull it up, but she had mm. like it was like light brown hair that was definitely graying. And I'm trying. Oh to, no, that's not her. Then yeah, yeah I'm that's trying to think else. of of what her background was. Um, it was like a textured horizontal background. Mm. I'm. This is it's. The, it, the Benning's making it hard to talk about his films. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think of who it was. No, but um, no, I I think I know who you're talking about. So her name is uh, Janet Jenkins, and uh, she was in front of curtains. That was right, the, right, 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 right. The, the texture behind her. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I put this down. It's like she looks directly at us, glances to the side, then looks straight back at us again. Yeah. There's a gentle industrial hum behind her and she looks into the camera the most. Yeah, she, and That's for such a long time. Like, I remember there was yeah. one shot where it's like, I felt like she was staring at me and it created this really mm. interesting thing because it's like, there are these people in this intimate, private 
even if it's a quick moment and we're just staring at them and then for her to stare back was just like very affecting oh yeah absolutely and especially for me having trouble with eye contact like that's definitely yeah it it jarred me quite a bit when she would stare (laughs) it's just man um yeah i mean i i also just want to highlight the first two cigarettes just because of the contrast well you know there's a lot of contrast here you know we go from basically like experience of smoking a cigarette and then also age i was listing that and then also maybe even um sex or gender you know is also Mm. a thing that that um uh like changes as we go along but the first two are great contrast because the first one and i'm gonna love pronouncing his name because i love thai names so his name is sompot chidna Gorn Song C. Are you Sorry, sure you love mer- pronouncing mer- these names? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, lo- I love stumbling over Thai names. Yeah, yeah. Chidagasorn Pongsi. Yeah, give it, give it to us one more time. <laughs> yeah, Chidagangsorn Pongsi. Uh, Pongsi. <laughs> yeah. There are some Thai names that are porn, but yeah, yeah. So this, yeah. So Som, we'll call him Som. Um, he, uh, yeah, this was his first ever time smoking a cigarette. He had never smoked a cigarette Whoa. before. Yeah. yeah, so you can see it, like, he's alternating between, like, enjoying it, but then also, like, thinking about it. He's very conscious about it. He's like, totally. you know. Yeah, so the way he smokes, and, like, you know, I love the background that Benning chose for him, which is that, you know, it's, like, it's probably in Cal Arts, and he's, like, standing by some like a, a bush and his head is almost like in the bushes like you yeah know, like some bamboo <laughs> or something uh yeah and it's funny too with the credits like he lists like i guess their hometowns where they're from but yeah i think most of this was shot um close to him in california uh i think there were only a few exceptions because like you know it was like he was traveling for like a film festival and he met up with somebody he had met before sure. but the yeah the second one um you know, I guess she that's why they use her as the promotional image for the film because you know, obviously, she her name is Francesca Sloan. Uh, it's just so mesmerizing to watch her smoke because she's clearly like an experienced smoker, mm. yeah. And she does it in a way that's like the most cinematic, I think, because it's like these slow wisps, and then obviously, she's very gorgeous too, so that helps. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it's one of those shots where you think like, man, I could like, um, watch like this go on, like, you know, like have her light up another cigarette. And it it really goes to show why like smoking as horrible as it is to do as a person, um, it is beautiful to see on screen, you know, like she really like captures that. And I I had to look into it. Like I was looking into some of the people, because some of them I did recognize and I'll mention them as we go along, but, um, uh, I looked her up because her name looked familiar, Francesca Sloan, and then I realized, oh my god, she's like one of the producers and also like a sometimes writer of Atlanta, the the Donald Glover show. Like she's written okay. some some great episodes for that. <laughs> like um, cool. the Big Payback in season three was a great episode. It's when cool. um like all the the blacks uh like in Atlanta like com- um reclaim like uh, reparations from you know uh the ancestors of like the slave owners so they basically are able to take like their houses away from them and like garnish their wages and stuff it's a really funny episode (laughs) and she wrote that um yeah and she also produced um fargo uh i think the most recent one maybe season five or season four cool um 
Yeah, so yeah, she's like now involved in TV because I'm assuming she was a CalArts student. She was one of um, James Benning's students. So now, yeah, she's firmly established and she's going to be producing the um, the TV show of Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know if you guys sensed which was the longest cigarette in all of them. Um, it was a surly old guy with some liver spots on his face. Do you guys remember this? And it seemed like he was yeah, sitting on the floor behind like a wooden wall. Yeah. He was early on. He was the f- the fourth cigarette. So that's Tom Anderson. He directed Los Angeles Plays Itself. No that's way. him. Yeah. Full <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's in it. Um, yeah. And obviously because he's a professor of film, he's, you know, a scholar, a critic, a documentarian. He's, you know, a filmmaker. So he's so aware of him being filmed. And there's almost like this kind of um air of like you know surliness yeah <laughs> the way he's smoking like he's just pissed that he's being that's so, that's so funny so, that you bring that up just yeah the, the emotion of smoking yeah and that depending on your mood but then but maybe just intrinsically who you are and just how it looks like you can emote a different emotion like going from uh the first guy what are we calling him psalm Yes, um, yes. yes. From, <laughs> going from Sam to Francesca to Tom. Yeah, you know they each are. The, you're, you're picking up a different vibe. Yeah, in each one, absolutely. Um, and they're doing the same activity. Um, it just kind of just I guess you know just as as humans we're just these cool prisms. You give mm. us one activity, and we'll do it a million different ways. Yeah, because you could imagine, like, if this had just been a straightforward portrait film, like the what he considers to be an influence on this, which is Andrew and um, Andy Warhol's um, portrait films, you know, which are basically just like three minute, a lot of them are just three minute rolls of just people looking into the camera. And then, you know, sometimes it's fascinating because the one that everybody remembers from that is like the girl who's crying, but some people just don't know what to do you know, uh, like being shot that way. So giving them that activity of smoking, like gives them something else to focus on instead of just like the camera uh, being there in front of them. Because, you know, if if you've ever tried that, just like film somebody, like just sit, tell them to sit somewhere or like stand somewhere and just film them and like not give them anything to do. They really become conscious after a while, you know, oh, it's yeah. like they don't know what to do. Like I did that with a friend once and then she just, and I walked away too. She just started like waving at the camera and smiling like just not knowing totally. uh which and then yeah it's actually going to be in my my next movie i'm I'm going to include that clip because it's oh, just good. like yeah i want to see the the effect of that um but yeah uh, i guess another um cigarette i want to highlight is cigarette number nine which was um uh kind of a middle-aged woman who, who has like this big sky behind her oh yeah um she's smoking and it, it seems like she's on top of a hill and that is also another colleague of Benning's, um, another filmmaker, Sharon Lockhart, uh, who's who's an amazing filmmaker in her own right. And it's funny how, like, later on you see these connections because um, uh, I think uh, it was, oh, um, uh, yeah, the, the old lady who looks like uh, Dame Judi Dench. She's, like, in a, she's, like, the second to the last. She's the 19th cigarette. Um, she's kind of, the sound indicates, like, a cafeteria. Um, but there's like a framed photo still behind her, and that's uh, Gosho Gaoka, which is um, Sharon Lockhart's first film. So there's all these like you know running things mm. throughout the you know um, 
the film. Uh, I and the, even like after Sharon Lockhart, I recognize another guy who's like a, a critic, uh, Dick Hebdige. He's the next guy. He he kind of looks like a, an old rock star. And I love that. I mean, maybe this is taking it too literally. Behind him is a rock face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, co- contrasting the different styles of smoking with him, like when he's ex- exhaling, you barely even see smoke coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, where's this like inhaling going on? Is he just like fake smoking a cigarette? Like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then he barely brings this the cigarette up to his face, too. And then uh, another detail I noticed about him that he's wearing his watch like upside down. And I know certain people who do that because it's like, you know, it's easier to just like turn your wrist um, upward to look at your, yeah, instead of down. So, um, so yeah, I noticed that too. And then um, after him, there's another, um, yeah, it, it really depends on how you respond to it. And I think that's, that's how you, um, you feel if it passing, if the time is passing by quickly or not. Like, I think if I'm more interested in the person, like I think it, it feels like it passes by faster. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there, there was a Korean woman, um, Hee Song Moon, um, who's also like a very less confident smoker. Like she tends to bite her lip a lot, oh, purses yeah, her lips. Oh yeah, I remember her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she keeps changing how um, she holds the cigarette, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. Like she would rush the drag. So she initially starts with the two fingers, you know, the the middle finger and the index finger. And then, uh, and then he eventually she eventually switches to the, the thumb, and index finger way of smoking, which is really funny because <laughs> that's like um you know the the Matthew McConaughey meme yeah. smoking <laughs> like that's how he holds the cigarette too, so I th- I thought about that and then um yeah the there's a Polaroid behind her and that's a Polaroid of James Benning with I guess some a friend of his I was wondering about that <laughs> yeah yeah that's him. Yeah, that's a Polaroid of him. So I, I love that. There's, yeah, there's just these like, um, uh, like little details that he throws in to every shot. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So are there any more like cigarettes for you guys that stood out? Oh, I don't know. I think it was just primarily the one. I mean, there was another one. Um where it was a woman and she was like outside. I can't remember if she was like in front of a barn or something, but it was like kind of like mm. a far more like ranch environment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, uh, yeah, I'm looking through it right now. Um, what was like, the description I used? Was she the one that has kind of like, like a mark on her neck? Yeah, it almost looked oh, like a yeah, like yeah, a yeah. like a love bite or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really liked hers. I I just love like her character. I remember thinking like I just wanted to have a conversation about her. I wanted to know her story. I think she had mm-hmm. like interesting hair too. Where it was like two braids yeah. and then like a ponytail on top, but then also <laughs> bangs down. And that's what yeah. struck me at first. I was just like I was like what is happening with what is yeah. happening? But like Yeah, it, I, I- yeah, she just no, seemed like an interesting character. I, yeah, I don't know, for like, sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like, what is Benning's relationship with that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that that's really the thing. I wish I asked more questions. Uh, I don't even Me remember too. what question I asked when I was at the film festival um, for this film. But yeah, her name was uh, Tanya Barber. Um, yeah, and I definitely put that, that marks on her neck, broken nail polish. I just you love know. that. Like, she, <laughs> yeah. she just seems like a very, like, devil-may-care kind of person. Like, mm. I just want to, like, know her personally. <laughs> right. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, yeah, it's just, like, I, I guess also going back with the contrast again, she's preceded by a middle-aged lady. That that lady that you were mentioning with the, the stare 
that that that's what precedes her you know it's mm. like and yeah so yeah there's there's all these things that you get to see it really rewards like rewatches because you you know you'll you'll get to enjoy it in certain ways and i think like me cataloging every single cigarette <laughs> and every single yeah. person was like a great way to like you know view it in a in a new way you know uh i mean i love okay that you even noticed that piece of paper that was on a thumbtack and then i wrote <laughs> it down like um yeah the other thing about that that shot too by the way um she was wearing like a, a red kind of ladybug shirt i almost yeah. felt like it was had like, it was like black splotches yeah 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 and then the, the the other sound detail that i loved about it is that you could hear like something like scampering on the floor and i assumed that was a dog you know like that was walking around um oh, i well, wish <laughs> he should have shown yeah that. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, yeah, that, that's what it implied with the the other guy who's calling uh, his dog Reggie, you know, in that shot. And that's the first, like, surprising part where it's like, wow, there's going to be words in here, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I, and the reason why I also mentioned Dick Hebditch, uh, who's the tent cigarette, um, who barely smokes, um, he actually shows up in a later Benning film, too, um, called uh, Readers, uh, which is also a beautiful movie. It's only actually four shots, and then it's four different people reading. I love that. <laughs> it's just, yeah, and I think he only gives them like a half hour each. So the movie's exactly two hours. Cool. <laughs> and he, he said initially like the movie had uh, five readers. Like he had a kid also reading a book. But then um, he said like, oh, no, it, it's, it, it deserves to be its own piece. And he called it a uh, reader and he just gave it to her. <laughs> so she only has the one copy of that movie. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's just like the, this is like the newfound freedom that he has with digital um, that, yeah, he can just go off and like, yeah, it just just takes an idea basically to jump off of. And then he, he's able to make these films, you know, um, and then it expanded. He basically like started building cabins, you know, um, because I guess he needed something to do while he was he had bought a house in the Sierra Nevada mountains and a lot of his <laughs> digital work is set around there. Mm-hmm. Um but like he was like, Yeah, so what am I he he like renovated the house. So he's like, Okay, what am I gonna do now? I guess I'll I'll build a cabin. I and, love that you know, story. It, and then he built yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's funny how it's relevant again because, you know, uh the the two cabins he built was basically um uh, Henry David Thoreau's Walden cabin and then the second one that he said he needed an edge and again there's that whole thing of you know the killer like being contrasted with like the hero um, is uh, uh, he built the Unabomber's cabin yeah. you know uh, <laughs> and you know R.I.P. Ted Kaczynski and you know th- that whole like sequence of work is incredible because it's like a book there's a couple movies from it uh, Two Cabins and Stemple Pass but the book is fascinating of, of Two Cabins because it's like he includes Kaczynski's uh, manifesto about technology and then also like bits from his diary, which he reads in Stemple Pass, the film. Um, and, you know, he it is also an expansion of what he's been doing, which is basically he's been recreating like a lot of folk art, like most Tolliver. Like and he's he's doing incredible recreations of these paintings and then he put them in the cabins, you know. Uh, like I can't tell the difference between his copy and the originals. Like that's how good he is, you know, at copying other artwork. And it's not limited to painting or drawing. He's also doing like sculpture, um, and then he he's just doing a lot more work where he he just says like yeah he doesn't care if um the films are shown or not. Like if people invite him to screen his films, then he 
you know he comes out to to show them but other than that he's just happy like making um you know the films that he's making now you know yeah he's a real renaissance man <laughs> he does it yeah all. absolutely <laughs> yeah it's just incredible how how the work has expanded that you know i mean ultimately that's really it you can't separate his life from his work like that really is it um so yeah okay um you know there's one thing that we do at the end of every episode which is um we do something called a wine pairing so yeah we recommend like something related to whatever movie or you know filmography we discussed previously so would you have any like wine pairing recommendations to james benning Oh, that's interesting. I I I wish I had had a little bit more time to think. Yeah, about I should have prepared you for this. <laughs> um, that's totally yeah. fine, though. Just thinking yeah. off the top of my head. Um, gosh, because there's so many different ways you could take it, like durational mm-hmm. or like nature based or just purely experimental. Um, can I have a moment to percolate on that? Absolutely. While you guys yeah, and I, circle yeah, back, I, circle I can back. give a couple. <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Steve. Okay, Carlo. So we already discussed it on a previous set, but I got to go with one of yours, man. I got to go with Acquainted. With <laughs> oh, man. Come on, see. We got to let me. Oh. You got to pair right. it. Yeah, okay. You know, it's like, yeah. It's nice. It's contemplative. You got people and you got landscapes. Come on. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, it's very long. It's not 87 minutes. It should have been. <laughs> but... uh. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, thanks, Steve, for including that. I will just also say, like, uh, I forgot to mention in 2011, that's how, how fruitful his his digital work was becoming because he also made another film in 2011 called Nightfall, which I think, yeah, Dang. definitely shares uh, some kinship with, um, with Acquainted with the Night because he is also filming a sunset. But the way he does it is it's... Um, it's in a forest in it's in the Sierra Nevada mountains where he bought this house. Um, and it's more of a sound thing than visual because like he said, he wanted all the, the movement, uh, anything mm. like distracting to like, um, you know, be out of the frame. So he said like there was one tree branch that was kind of moving in the wind. So he broke that branch off so oh. that the image would be perfectly still so you see the the image like the, of this forest like gradually descending into darkness yeah and um yeah you you also get the sound with it of like how sound changes as it gets darker that's you cool. know um yeah so that's definitely another highlight of his stuff um I have so mine. okay did you cut yes. okay go ahead <laughs> okay so this is one I just watched this year um and I I love this film I I can't wait to watch it again in fact and I choose it because I noticed that you have not neither of you have seen it um it's Ooh. from the director of Spirit of the Beehive uh Victor oh, yeah it's called the Quince Tree Sun Oh, um, this is on my list. Yeah, yeah, I want to see this. I feel like it would be a really wonderful pairing because it deals, it, it approaches an artistic medium in an artistic mm. way. It deals very much with time. It's super personal. There are, are long shots, um, and you kind of get like this very intimate experience with this artist as he's trying to paint a tree. Um, so yeah, that that would be my high Ooh. recommendation. Amazing. Yeah, and Irisa is funny because, you know, he's he's a filmmaker that you can easily get into his filmography because he's only made three films. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I heard he has a new film out. Like, it, it's coming really? out this year. So, 
Yeah, it's like the notoriously like unprolific filmmaker that he is. But you know, every time he makes one, apparently, you know, it's a masterpiece. So yeah, um, yeah, I I gotta see this. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I've only seen um Spirit of the Beehive. I Which definitely is so need to good. also see. <laughs> yeah, and um, I need to see El El Sur. Yeah, that one's well. on my watch um, list too. But yes, uh, mm. Quince Tree Sun, definitely check that one out. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, and I would actually recommend a filmmaker I'd mentioned along the lines um, who's in 20 Cigarettes. I would recommend um, Sharon Lockhart's Lunch Break, which um, is hilarious because um, James Benning is credited as the editor of the movie, but the movie's all one take. Mm. So it's like, how did he edit the movie? And yeah, so this is the thing. Okay, I'll, I'll touch up on when I met him. It, it was an interesting experience just meeting him was just that we didn't really hit it off, you know? I, it almost felt like we were both from different planets, even though, like, you know, I, I definitely had reverence from his work. Um, I met him because, you know, I contacted him through Facebook, and it's funny, he, he leads you to his email, and his email is actually easy to find. It's on the CalArts website. That's the that's the, the email that he uses. So he's very reachable, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I drove up to, to CalArts to, to meet him, and, you know, like, we, we were talking about his work, and... Um, and that was one of the things I, I had to ask him was like, you know, why are you credited as editor for lunch break, uh, which is just one shot. And the, the whole thing about the shot is because it's um, he basically said uh, it, it's supposed to be a 15 minute break that he filmed. Uh, she films that goes through like this this corridor in this uh, factory uh, where you see all these people having their their lunch break. Um, but the shot is slowed down to be like an hour so so you really move in slow motion and it's incredible and so he said like to get it to that right duration of like um you know the the pace that it moves uh where it's it's almost like you know because if you you slow it down too much it's gonna kind of be choppy um so that was his editing input was basically um that he he basically had to decide how slow it was gonna be in, in terms of how slowed down it was, even though it's one whole take. Um, and uh, yeah, the other detail he mentioned to me about this movie too is that she like paid a lot for like VFX to fix the bobble of the camera because, you know, obviously any camera movement, if it's slowed down, it's even more obvious. Mm, yeah. So, um, so yeah, she had to like pay some VFX company, I think, to fix it so that the camera's like completely still as it's moving forward through this corridor um yeah so that's definitely what i would recommend um so yeah i i think just before we wrap up i just have two more questions for you Kay. one okay yeah is there anything looming on the horizon that you're excited about like any movies that you're looking forward to Every next day of my life, Carlo. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that's such a dumb answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, movie is coming up that I'm excited for. I mean, Barbie, Ham- Bar- Barbie oh, Hammer. Yeah. Who isn't excited? Barbie Bar- <laughs> Hammer? Is that what it's being called now? No. Are I- you watching them on the same day? Are you doing the, that that thing that those crazy people are doing? I don't know. I don't think so. I also think I, I messed up that combination of the two names. But no, I am planning on seeing uh, Christopher Nolan's next masterpiece in IMAX. 
film. Yeah, um, so that one will be fun. And then the Barbie yeah. movie will be fun. Um, I don't know. I, I'm always trying to watch stuff. Like, I, I feel weird if I don't watch a movie every single day. Maybe you guys can wow. relate to that. Um, wow. That's just yeah. where I'm at in my life now. So, yeah, I mean, every, every day is something new. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I would say that those are the two big blockbusters coming up that I'm looking forward to. Um, and other than that, I don't know. I don't have a ton on the horizon. I have that New York trip. Looking forward to that. Okay, and, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about yeah. that off record. Yeah. <laughs> My film pilgrimage. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, n- not too much else. Uh, just letterboxed in a way, keeping up uh, with what's new, what's old. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, would, I would say I'll, I have a proposal to welcome you back. I okay. mean, you're always welcome back, especially if you have any films yeah. you want to get off your chest. I mean, Thank apparently you. now you have two avenues of doing it. You have Nugentino Cinema and then you have us. So, oh, <laughs> you know, I if you want to do that. something longer than an hour, because I, I know the Nugentino <laughs> stuff is usually he keeps it to an hour. Uh, but uh, with us, you know, obviously we're we're going we go long, baby. For so, my five uh, hour podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was going to say like. <laughs> For um like moving forward, uh like I guess a l- little looking ahead, there is one new release I wanted to ask if you would want to come back to discuss, which is um Poor Things, the new um Yorgos Lanthimos film. Oh, do I know about this? Oh, you oh, don't you even know, know about, about it. it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh wow. Um, yeah, I have not heard about this. I'm gonna put it on my watch list right now. Yeah. Um, oh, 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 yes. I saw a trailer for this. I did not mm. put together the name. Um, his yeah. name did not ring a bell immediately. But yeah, I liked The Lobster. I liked Killing of a Sacred Deer. I still mm. need to see The Favorite. But yeah, I would definitely love to chat that. And then we were talking about Linklater Deep Cuts, too. So Oh, yeah, yeah. let's do that. Yeah, Bernie. Let's get into all of that. Bad News Bears. Let's do <laughs> love it. The, yeah, yeah, the B-sides. Yeah, let's definitely do the B-sides. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so Poor Things, I think it's coming out in September. So, yeah. Cool. We'll, yeah, but if you, if you want to come back earlier for something else, yeah, we, you're definitely welcome to. And, yeah, we want to thank you, Kay, for thank for you. being on here and being such yes. a sport. Yeah, doing another you, long Kay. one. I can't believe we did. <laughs> we matched the running time of, of the Over the Garden Wall episode. Like, that's just wild to me. That's vibing, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. Sorry again for the audio issues and everything. Hopefully oh, no, next no time will be better. Also, sorry to the audience that I'm echoing, but that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> well, it's actually us that's echoing. You're oh, fine. Well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's perfectly fine. But yeah, thank uh, you, Kay, for coming for back. These guys echoing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing all that stuff with us. I mean, like the the Casa Bonita like oh, detour that we made was just incredible. <laughs> So yeah, I can't wait to, to watch videos. Yeah, and we'll yeah, we'll definitely. <laughs> okay, for sure. Let's do that. Yeah. All right, Steve. So you want to take us yeah, home? <laughs> so yeah, let's bring this baby home. We have a Twitter at Movie Food Pod. Carlo's got a Twitter at Carlo Kino with two Ks. You can follow me at Steve Positron. We have a Patreon. If you want to support mm-hmm. support us, help keep the lights on, patreon.com slash moviefood. Carlo's letterbox at astrofish, F- uh, F-I-S-C-H. And that yes. is it. Oh, and don't forget to follow K. Oh, yeah, and I figured out Kay, her letterbox is, is a letterbox. It's fervently. Yes. Oh, that's how, that's okay. how you find her. Yes. Okay. Backslash letterbox. fervently. There you go. Okay. That's me. There we go. 
Okay, yeah, check out her reviews, especially the the Benning reviews. You know, um, yeah, I think there's there's almost like a, a because of you watching the stuff recently and then you responding to my reviews like you know you liking them like people can like cross like reference our reviews together you know because you know how you can see which reviews you liked yeah you know uh, yeah it's it's a nice like interplay i feel yeah yeah letterboxd is so great for that kind of stuff and thank you guys again so much for having me back uh it's always uh, so sure. good to chat and uh to talk with you yeah. this time steve great to meet you yeah. yeah that's awesome that we all got together on one show yeah. it's perfect Oh.